Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. This is episode 238, and this is part two of my series on presenting the astrological forecast for each of the 12 rising zodiacal signs for the entire year of 2020. So these are basically horoscope forecasts for all 12 signs of the zodiac, although you're primarily supposed to look at them from the perspective of your rising sign or your ascendant sign, and then only secondarily from the perspective of your sun or your moon sign. So in the first part of this, in episode 237, I presented the first six signs of the zodiac. In this episode, I'm going to present uh, Libra, Scorpio, Sagittarius, Capricorn, Aquarius, and Pisces. Um, I did want to read the timestamps, so that's the primary purpose of this intro in just a moment. Um, some of these I did as solo episodes, but the rest I did with Lisa Scheim. Uh, Lisa actually stepped in because I started coming down with a cold uh, towards the end by the time I got to Capricorn, and so she stepped in to sort of bail me out. So thanks and uh, great respect and admiration to Lisa for doing that. I owe her one, so please let her know if you enjoyed these horoscopes. All right, let's get to the timestamps. So if you want to jump forward to your specific zodiacal sign, Libra is the first one that begins at two minutes into this recording. Scorpio begins at one hour and 23 minutes approximately. Sagittarius at two hours, 53 minutes. Capricorn at four hours, eight minutes. Aquarius at five hours, 17 minutes. And finally, Pisces begins at six hours and 23 minutes. Each forecast is about an hour long. Sometimes it goes a little bit higher, give or take. Uh, and that's about it. So let's jump right into it. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the forecast. Hey, my name is Chris Brennan, and this is your horoscope for Libra and Libra Rising for the entire year of 2020. So I'm doing a live stream today, and I think this is number seven uh, that I've done this week, where I'm looking at the next 12 months from the perspective primarily of your rising signs. So these are year ahead horoscopes, but I would recommend looking at them first primarily from the perspective of your rising sign, if your rising sign is Libra or your ascendant is in the zodiacal sign of Libra. And then secondarily, if you're born during the day and your sun is in Libra, then this may also be applicable to you. Or if you're born at night and your moon is in Libra, then this horoscope would also be particularly or partially applicable to you. All right, so thanks everyone for joining me in the live chat here in the live stream today. I appreciate it. Sorry for the delay. I meant to get Libra in yesterday, but ran into some problems and distractions. So I'm back at it today, and I'm hoping to get at least two, maybe best case scenario, three horoscopes done for uh, today before I call it a day again. And then hopefully I'll be able to finish the rest tomorrow. All right, so let's jump right into it. Uh, I'm going to be displaying a couple of pieces of art, uh, pieces of artwork during the course of this video. One of them is the Planetary Movements uh, poster, which is from a, a calendar or a poster that I released this year. It shows where the planets will start at the beginning of the year and where they will end up in the signs of the zodiac by the end of the year. That's kind of helpful for visualizing how fast some of the inner planets like Mercury and Venus move versus how slow some of the outer planets like Saturn or Uranus or Neptune or Pluto move. Um, but even despite the slowness of the outer planets, there are some shifts where some of the outer planets will change signs uh, during the course of 2020. So those are kind of major transitions that will be taking place this year. And in this diagram, I have it de depicted basically from the perspective of Libra rising so that you can see 
what the 12 houses are, which are the 12 sectors of the chart, which represent different areas of a person's life, as well as different topics and individuals that are important uh, in your life in different ways. I'm also going to be showing the significations of the 12 houses to show you what those 12 sectors of the chart look like and, and what they actually mean or depict in different parts of your life. And finally, the planetary alignments poster, which will show when on specific days during the course of each month, different planets change and move into different signs of the zodiac, when the lunations like the new moon or the full moon or eclipses take place, as well as planetary stations and some outer planet aspects. All right, so let's jump right into it at the start of the year in January. It's already January 8th by the time I'm recording this, so we're already a little bit into the year, but we're just about to get to the active spot in January where some of the major planetary activity starts taking place. And so let's see. So the, the three big things this month are Uranus stationing direct in Aries, uh, which is, or sorry, Uranus stationing direct in Taurus at two degrees of Taurus, which is your eighth house of shared resources and um, other people's money and also issues surrounding mortality. So this is a long-term Uranus transit that I'll actually circle back to. Uh, there's also an eclipse that's taking place. This is a lunar eclipse that's taking place on the 10th of the month, weirdly right around the time of the station, the direct station of Uranus. This is taking place in the sign of Cancer, which is your 10th house of career. And then finally, there's a Saturn-Pluto conjunction that's coming up on the 12th of January, and this is part of sort of a lot of broader transits that are going through Capricorn, whereas where there's a lot of emphasis this year, as we can see in the planetary movements chart, where down at the bottom of the chart you can see Capricorn and you can see Pluto's transiting through that sign ever since 2008, Saturn is transiting through that sign ever since 2017, and this year Jupiter has just ingressed into Capricorn and it'll be moving there through that sign for the entirety of the year, and then at different points we'll have some inner planets uh, dip into that sign as well. So there's a ton of activity in your fourth house of your home, your living situation, and your parents uh, this year that could represent some major developments and major changes. So that's kind of the overview, but let's break down some of those transits individually. Um, let's start with the lunation, which is the full moon which is taking place, which is also a lunar eclipse that's taking place in Cancer in your 10th house of career. So the 10th house is the very top of the chart. It represents our career, our overall life direction, but also how we take actions and the effect that our actions have on our reputation and our public life in general, as opposed to our private life, which is more the fourth house in the very bottom of the chart. So a full moon usually represents a full moon in general, but also a lunar eclipse, which is like a supercharged full moon, usually represents a culmination of events or something coming to light and coming into maturity that you initiated in your life or that was initiated in your life about six months earlier uh, when there would have been a new moon in Cancer last summer at some point, like maybe around June or July. So with this uh, lunar eclipse taking place in the 10th house, um, there's something about your career and public life and overall life direction that will start to become more clear and more crystallized at this time. And we're going to have a return to this sector. This isn't the only time your 10th house is going to be activated this year. 
Um, but we're going to return to it, I think, six months later, I think, with one more eclipse taking place in that sign. So this isn't the first time you've had an eclipse in this sign. They've actually been bouncing back and forth in six-month increments for the past year and a half now. So this isn't probably necessarily a new development uh, so much as it's a culmination of a sequence of events and changes that have been building up and taking place in your career sector for the past year or year and a half now. Um, so that's one of the things that's happening this month that's sort of characteristic of the month, right around the 10th. And that eclipse, it's not necessarily going to coincide with an event that all happens at once right around the time of the eclipse, but instead it opens up a six-month window where a sequence of events of things reaching a culmination or a critical point in terms of your career starts um, happening at that point immediately after the eclipse. The other major transit that's happening is the Uranus direct station uh, in your eighth house of shared resources. That's not necessarily like a major transit unless you have planets in the early degrees of fixed signs, so especially around two degrees of Taurus, uh, two degrees of Leo, two degrees of Scorpio, or two degrees of Aquarius, in which case that might be a sensitive spot for you. The eighth house has to do with um, shared resources. If you have a, a partner, either a business partner or a romantic partner, a Uranus transit through the eighth house over the course of this decade could indicate unexpected shakeups or disruptions when it comes to your partner's finances. Uh, sometimes it can have to do with issues surrounding debt or taxes or money owed to other people in different ways. Um, Uranus usually brings destabilization in the area of life that it transits through, but eventually it can sometimes become like a positive or constructive thing where it shakes things up and forces you to go in a direction that you wouldn't have gone otherwise as a result of that destabilization. Um, but the end result is usually creating something new and sort of innovative in that area of your life that ends up being progressive or a positive development in some way. So that's a long-term transit. Um, it's going to be taking place still for I think the greater part of the first half of this decade, and it already started about a year or a year and a half ago when Uranus first started dipping into Taurus. I just mention it here because a planetary station is often an intensification of whatever that transit signifies. So again, especially for some of you with planets in the early degrees of fixed signs, you could really be feeling um, that Uranus transit around this time when it stations direct at two degrees of Taurus. There's going to be another station later in the year at 10 degrees of Taurus, which could also be important, but we'll save that and come back to that later. All right, the other major thing that's happening this month that we have to provide some context for is there is the Saturn-Pluto conjunction which is building up and goes exact on the 12th. And for the most part, this is more relevant for sort of like mundane world events, uh, but it could be relevant for you if you have any placements in your birth chart around uh, 22 degrees of the cardinal signs, especially 22 degrees of Capricorn, um, or secondarily 22 degrees of Aries, 22 degrees of Libra, or 22 uh, Cancer. So those are the other cardinal signs, because this exact Saturn-Pluto conjunction is taking place at 22 degrees of Capricorn. So let me just change the animated chart to Libra rising so we can place this in the correct whole sign house for you, which is the fourth house. 
So this isn't necessarily a new transit per se, because like I said earlier, Pluto went into Capricorn and into your fourth house of the home, the family, the living situation, and the parents, and your private life way back in 2008. So that's a very long-term planet or long-term transit because Pluto moves so slowly, and it can represent um, major changes and transformations, especially sometimes very extreme transformations during the course of that transit when it starts hitting planets or points in your natal chart. So transformations with respect to the home and living situation of the parents. Saturn went into Capricorn in December of 2017. So it's been transiting through that sign for two years now and usually indicates a period of restructuring when it comes to the home and living situation or the family and the parents in the private life. So sometimes, especially for those of you with day charts, Saturn's transit through the fourth house can indicate setbacks or obstacles or difficulties with the living situation or the family that are going on at this time. Uh, the good news is that you're basically two-thirds of the way through this Saturn transit by the time we begin 2020, and that transit's going to be wrapping up over the course of the next year since we're two-thirds of the way through it, and then you'll be completely done with that transit by the end of the year, by December of 2020, when Saturn moves out of Capricorn and out of your fourth house and into Aquarius, which is your fifth house. The other positive thing that's happening this year that's actually balancing out some of the intensity of the Pluto transit and the sort of soberness of the Saturn transit through your fourth house is that Jupiter, just like a month or two ago, moved into Capricorn and will be spending the entirety of 2020 in that sign which brings a little bit more hope and a little bit more optimism um, and a little bit more of a sense of expansion and growth uh, in the area of the home and living situation and the family in order to balance out some of the themes of like contraction from Saturn that has been there over the past couple of years. So if things have been a little bit tough with respect to the home and living situation over the past couple of years or other fourth house topics, the Jupiter transit through that sign, especially for people with day charts, um, if you're born with your sun in the top half of the chart during the day, uh, will probably promise um, the rectification of some issues that you've been experiencing over the past couple of years in that sector of your life, and perhaps um, just balancing the scales a little bit so that they're not leaning so much towards the Saturn sign, which can tend to be a little bit more depressing or a little bit more restrictive in some ways. So there'll be a few different important turning points with the Jupiter transit during the course of the year, especially when Jupiter stations retrograde later in the year and then eventually stations direct. Uh, but we'll save that discussion for later so I can give some exact dates on when that should occur. I just wanted to talk a little bit about that because that's probably the most active sector of your chart this year is the fourth house of the home and the living situation and potentially the parents. All right, so those are the major transits for the most part for January. Um, let me take a look at the live chat. It looks like some people have joined us. Thanks everybody for joining me in the live chat. I appreciate it. Um, if anybody has any comments or questions, please let me know. Uh, I'll try to read the chart, uh, the chat as much as I can. All right, so um, let's jump into the month of February. All right, so there's two things that happen in February that are 
Like obviously there's a lot of little stuff here, like Mercury moves into Pisces and Venus moves into Aries, and different like interplanet transits that I'm not going to dwell on here for the purpose of this because they go by relatively quickly. And I'm trying to focus on a bird's eye view of some of the most important stuff that tends to uh, coincide with more slow moving transits. But there's two somewhat slow moving transits that are notable and worth mentioning uh, this month. And what's weird is they both start on the same day, which is February 16th. So the first thing that happens is that Mars, which has been traveling through Sagittarius since the beginning of January, going through your third house of siblings and travel and communication, um, it leaves that sign and it moves into Capricorn and joins all of the rest of those Capricorn planets um, in your fourth house of the home and the family and the living situation and the parents. So this suddenly may bring an extra spurt of activity and energy and focus towards fourth house matters in general for about a month or month and a half while Mars is transiting through that sign. Um, there are some potential problems with that because sometimes Mars can bring an excess of energy to whatever house it starts transiting through, and sometimes that excess energy can bubble over into tensions or um, strife or sometimes conflicts and separations within the context of the fourth house of the home and family and living situation. So that's going to be less of an issue for people with night charts, whereas the people with day charts, I would expect that to be a somewhat more irritating transit going through their fourth house uh, starting on the 16th of February. The other major thing that happens on the same date is that Mercury actually stations retrograde in Pisces. Uh, on the 16th of February, roughly around the same time, which is kind of weird and could be connected in some way. So Pisces is your sixth house of work and health. So when a Mercury retrograde station happens, sometimes it causes us to revisit something that we've done previously and to have to go back and relook at uh, something that we previously thought was finished, where it was just like a one-time thing. But all of a sudden, just like Mercury slows down and does kind of a loop in the sky or does like a U-turn and then starts moving backwards and revisiting degrees of the zodiac that it's already gone through, you will similarly have to go back and revisit or relook at something that has already taken place within the context of either your work or within the context of health matters. So if it's a health matter thing, it may be something where um, maybe you weren't doing something the best way that you could have, and there could have been some miscommunication that occurred surrounding health matters or surrounding like even something as simple as your dietary or exercise regime that you have to go back and um, reconfigure in some way, maybe by getting some advice or some help from somebody else. Um, or there could be some sort of miscommunication that occurs at work within the context of your workplace, or if you own your own business and have employees, the sixth house represents um, subordinates or people that work in a sort of support role for you. So there may be some sort of miscommunication that you want to be careful about there. Um, you want to be extra careful about to avoid miscommunications just because this period of the Mercury retrograde in Pisces could be especially prone to them um, because if you look at the actual chart, Mercury stations retrograde very closely conjunct Neptune. So Mercury retrograde periods are already um, inherently have a greater predisposition towards 
running into miscommunications just in and of itself, but Mercury-Neptune conjunctions kind of amplify or reiterate and exacerbate that tendency for the potential for miscommunications. So especially around the uh, 15th and 16th of February, just be careful to be a little bit extra cautious in the way that you communicate so that you're being clear about what your intentions are and not creating any situations um, where somebody could misunderstand you, especially within the context of the sixth house of work or health-related matters. So that's the major thing happening in February, and I should be clear that the Mercury retrograde, both of those transits start on the 16th of February, but then they last for a few weeks after that point. So the Mercury retrograde is about halfway done by the 25th of February when it uh, makes the retrograde conjunction with the sun. So whatever the issue is or the miscommunication that's set up around the time of the 16th, there's a turning point and it starts to be resolved around February 25th. And then when we move into March, what happens is that Mercury retrogrades back into Aquarius, uh, which is your fifth house of children, uh, creativity, self-expression, pleasures, and also sex and sexuality. So Mercury retrogrades back into Aquarius and then it stations direct there around the 9th of March. So for some reason this could indicate um, returning back to fifth house type topics during that time as well, again, that you thought were finished, but where there may have been some mis miscommunication or some misunderstanding that forces you to go back and relook at those topics again for some reason. Maybe something coming up within the context of if you have children, some misunderstanding within the context of your children that you have to get worked out. Uh, it may tie together since it's straddling two different houses of the sixth house of work and health and the sixth house of uh, children and creativity. It could somehow tie together those two topics and make you have to deal with both of them simultaneously in a way that's connected. Um, but what's important is just to sort of maintain clear communication and try to avoid miscommunications since they might be more uh, prominent or more of a predisposition at that time. All right, so what's interesting is that that direct station of Mercury in Aquarius on the 9th of March actually sets up or cues up a set of other major shifts also involving Aquarius and your fifth house of children and creativity and sexuality later in the month of March. So on the 21st of March, we have a major shift when Saturn moves into Aquarius for the first time in almost three decades. Uh, so Saturn goes into Aquarius and goes into your fifth house, and it's going to stay there for actually, uh, I think, like three months or something like that between late March and uh, the very end of June or the very beginning of July, because it's just dipping into that sign for a very quick preview of what that long-term three-year Saturn transit is going to be about. And then later in the second half of the year, it retrogrades out and moves back into Capricorn and back into your fourth house. Um, eventually stations direct, and then finally at the very end of 2020 in December, Saturn will return to Aquarius where it will stay there permanently for the next couple of years. So what we have going on here in late March is the very initial phases of this Saturn transit through your fifth house and kind of like a preview of what the next few two to three years of that transit are going to be like. Um, almost simultaneously, though, one thing that's interesting is that Mars also moves into Aquarius 
leaving your fourth house of the home and family and living situation and moving into Aquarius, the sign of children, self-expression, and sexuality on the 30th of March. So this creates um, kind of a tricky situation where there's a almost simultaneous double ingress of two somewhat challenging planets into the same uh, sign and into the same sector of your chart. So let me just move the animated chart forward to that time. There we see Saturn ingressing into Aquarius, and then we see Mars moving into Aquarius right around the same time shortly after that, and both of them forming a conjunction at zero degrees of Aquarius in the very first degree of that sign. So um, this is kind of tricky, uh, not going to lie, um, because whether you have a day chart or whether you have a night chart, it means that the initial ingress of both of those planets, especially of the Saturn ingress, is setting up and perhaps um, bringing up some sort of potential potential obstacle or difficulty or setback that has to be dealt with and has to be confronted in some sense head on. So for the people with night charts, it's the Saturn transit that would be more tricky, whereas for the people with day charts, it would be the Mars transit that would be more tricky. So Saturn transits tend to be more of a, a constricting influence that slows things down and can sometimes just put like obstacles or barriers in your way, or sometimes act as sort of a stop sign that says that you can't proceed further in this specific area of your life. Um, and the, the specific significations or the area that we're talking about is the fifth house of, again, just reiterating topics surrounding children, creativity, uh, pleasures or what you do for fun and enjoyment, uh, but also sex and sexuality. So Saturn tends to put barriers or obstacles um, in front of things, whereas Mars tends to create, um, at the best case scenario, putting a lot of energy and attention and focus uh, towards that area. But in other instances, sometimes it can indicate separations or strife or conflict in that area for some reason. And there's obviously like a, a major range of you know worst case scenario to best case scenario in terms of how that could go ranging from light period of irritation and like annoyance with something that's going on like let's say you if you have kids that your kids are being extra annoying for that period of time for some reason for like a month or two to um other more serious things like um maybe you get in a major conflict or uh, falling out if you have, let's say, adult children and maybe you stop talking to them for a period of time. So those are like some possibilities just in terms of one specific scenario or two specific scenarios and what kind of obstacles you could be running into in that time. But the, obviously there's a range of potential manifestations. But either way, it seems like very early on in that transit, once that conjunction takes place shortly after the two move into that sign in late March, that whatever the obstacle or difficulty is, that's going to emerge, that it kind of emerges or arises relatively quickly after that ingress due to the conjunction of the, those two planets very early in the sign. So you should know what that's about pretty quickly. All right, so that's March, because March basically, the end of March just queues up um, the Mars and Saturn transit. And it's weird that the Mercury retrograde earlier that stationed direct in Aquarius was in the same sign. And it's almost as if the Mercury retrograde and the miscommunication that was all involved and the need to revisit something that you thought you had done earlier or finished earlier somehow 
um, not just proceeds, but sets up and maybe related to as a sequence of events the ingress of Saturn and Mars into that sign later in the month. So that transit continues over into April. And in April, the Mars Saturn stuff is still the major dominant theme. The only other major stuff that's going on is now that Saturn is out of Capricorn, the only two planets, and Mars is also out of Capricorn, the only two planets that are left there that are outer planets are Jupiter and Pluto. And Jupiter actually forms a conjunction with Pluto in Capricorn during early April on the fourth of the month. And then Pluto later in the month stations retrograde in Capricorn on the 25th of April. So usually Jupiter represents like a sense of expansion and growth and um, optimism. And Pluto tends to exacerbate or tends to magnify whatever it touches. So this may cause you to rapidly expand and want to rapidly grow whatever your efforts are within the context of the fourth house of your home and your family and living situation, especially if you've been feeling restrained or held back over the course of the past two years as Saturn has been transiting through that sign. Uh, as soon as it leaves and you have some sense of freedom and some sense of optimism again, suddenly within the context of the fourth house, you may want to go kind of crazy in terms of building up and improving things there as opposed to the past two years of kind of um, paring things down and becoming a little bit more conservative in that area of your life. So the only tip would just be not to go too far and be a little bit careful um, because Saturn or Jupiter Pluto transits can tend to uh, make us go a little bit overboard or it can tend to indicate a period where we go a little bit or overboard or have that potential. And additionally, we're not fully done with the Saturn transit yet, even though there's this temporary period of a few months where Saturn has uh, dipped out of that sign and moved into Aquarius, it's slowing down and it's going to station retrograde and come back in the second half of the year. So there may be something that's not finished um, that you have to return back to to sort of clean up before you're fully done with, with that transit and the, the um, sort of phase of your life that it was indicating over the past couple of years. So don't go overboard uh, with Jupiter, even though that might be um, appealing or that might be tempting during this time. All right, so that is April. That's going to take us into the month of May at this point, where we've got a few things going on. All right, so um, one of the main things that happens in May is Saturn stations retrograde in Aquarius. So whatever that fifth house transit of Saturn is about and whatever the preview is that Saturn is giving us as it's going through your fifth house of children, um, creativity, and sex or sexuality, uh, this is going to be the point where uh, we're going to get a really clear picture of what the next two or three years of that transit are going to be like. And not just the sort of obstacle or the difficulty that came up when Mars moved into that sign. Because at this point in May, Mars actually departs from Aquarius, gets out of that sector of your chart, and it moves into Pisces on the 13th of May. So what we have left then is just Saturn stationing and intensifying the, its significations in that house. So for some people with Saturn transiting through the fifth house, it can just be a period where um, matters pertaining to children become much more serious and there's a lot more responsibility in this area of your life than at other times. 
So um, I had a friend, for example, who um, had like an unexpected uh, child when Saturn ingressed into his fifth house, and that in, in sort of initiated a two or three year period where um, just life uh, financial matters were a lot more more sparse. He had to cut back more, and they had to reorganize things and restructure things to make way for having a, a child that wasn't necessarily planned for, and that put an additional burden on his and his partner's life. And was not, you know, ultimately it was something that was positive or constructive in the long run, but it was a difficult initial phase, sort of opening up and moving into that with Saturn moving through the fifth. So obviously that's not going to happen for everybody, but it's a good analogy of the type of thing that a Saturn transit through the fifth house might raise um, in your life um, during the course of it. And I think you're going to get a really good preview of that, especially when Saturn stations retrograde. So that's happening on the 11th of May. Um, Mars, as I said, leaves your fifth house and moves into Pisces, which is your sixth house of work and health. Uh, and also employees on the 13th of May. So this could indicate a period in which um, either you could be putting more energy and having more of an energy expenditure for some reason in your work, where maybe um, your work becomes particularly active or there's some project that's taking a lot of time and attention and you're having to exert more energy in that area of your life than you usually do. This could also be happening within the context of health, where you could be having to put more focus on health, or you could have to start um, uh, just expending more energy in that area of your life in terms of like maybe going to the gym or spending extra attention, paying attention to dietary uh, restrictions or other things like that. Mars can sometimes also be a little bit challenging and in indicating um, conflict or strife or a separation. So those themes could come up in the context of your work or in the context of health matters. So it might be good to be a little bit um, careful and avoid doing things impulsively in either of those areas in order to avoid um, the sort of worst potential consequences. That's especially good advice for people with day charts that tend to have more problems with Mars and is probably less of an issue. You'll probably experience more of the constructive side of that transit if you were born with a night chart. So that's the Mars transit that begins there and it lasts for about a month. Weirdly, around the same time, um, Venus stations retrograde in Gemini in your ninth house of travel and education and philosophy and your personal beliefs. And that retrograde is happening in Gemini. It lasts for a few weeks starting on the 13th of May. And it may cause you to basically have to revisit or review some things with respect to either your beliefs or your views about the world in general. So sometimes people can go back and start taking classes and learning something uh, as a sort of prerequisite to um, having uh, a greater change in terms of their career and overall life direction once Venus moves into your 10th house after the retrograde is over. Sometimes it's going back and revisiting um, a person who was important in your life previously and may have affected maybe your personal belief system or your philosophy of life, but who you hadn't been in contact for quite some time. So the last time that Venus went retrograde in Gemini was exactly eight years ago in uh, 2012. So sometimes when people are very tied into Venus retrograde transits, which actually may be the case for you since Libra is your ruling planet and is the ruling planet of, uh, or Venus is the ruling planet of Libra. Um, 
sometimes when people are tied into Venus retrograde transits like that, you can go back in these eight-year increments and just see if those retrogrades were important to them in the past. And if they were, it can give you a preview of what upcoming retrogrades might be like that are in the same sequence or the same series. So go back and see what the Venus retrograde was like in the spring and summer of 2012, uh, and then go back eight years prior to that, which would be the previous Venus retrograde, which would have been, what, like 2004? And then just keep going back as far as you can, depending on how old you are in eight-year increments, and that should give you some sort of preview of the potential topics that could come up during this Venus retrograde that lasts for over a month. Other ninth house topics are things like travel and foreign countries or foreign people. So there could be something involving like a foreign situation that becomes important to you, even taking a major trip. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not like a Venus. Uh, it's not like a Mercury retrograde or like a Mars retrograde in your ninth house. The Venus retrograde tends to be a little bit more pleasant, um, but just involves having an extended um, period, especially for those of you with night charts, where they, there can be more positive feelings of reconciliation and review of something that you had uh, established previously. All right. So the other important station that's happening in this month is Jupiter. The very next day, on the fourteenth of May, is stationing retrograde in Capricorn in your fourth house. So this is one of two stations that Jupiter will make this year, and it should represent an important turning point or a pivotal turning point with respect to some of the themes of growth and expansion in your home and living situation, or potentially with your parents if that relationship is somehow important to you depending on where you are in your life. Um, the fourth house also has to do with like ancestry and where you come from. And somehow sometimes themes involving ancestry become really important within the context of fourth house transits. And this could be a good area to focus on and look into and sort of expand uh, during this time. Whatever that transit is about for you, this would be one of two really pivotal times this year when I'd expect it to manifest in a specific event that's somehow tied into your fourth house. So pay attention to this station, which is the retrograde station later in Capricorn, and then there'll be a second retrograde uh, station when Jupiter stations direct just a few months later, which we'll come to in just a little bit. And it looks like that's about it for the major outer planet transits in May which leads us to June, where we're going to wrap up the uh, first half of the year and the second quarter of the year, and then begin moving into uh, the second half of the year. But first, got to get through some major stuff with eclipse season and a Mercury retrograde first. All right, so there's the chart again. So right as soon as we move into June, we immediately move into eclipse season, starting with a lunar eclipse, which is going to take place in the sign of Sagittarius, which is your third house of communication, siblings, and short distance travel. So there's the significations of the houses, siblings, short trips, school or education, and communication are major third house topics. The, the nodes are changing signs and they're actually moving into the signs of Gemini and Sagittarius around this time. So what's happening is from this point forward in six months inc increments, we're going to keep getting 
and start getting a series of eclipses bouncing back and forth between your ninth house, Gemini, of belief and philosophy and education, and your third house of siblings and communication. So this specific eclipse in your third house seems to represent um, a coming, a culmination or coming to maturity of something about your communication style and the way that you uh, communicate that which you know or that which you think about the world. Uh, and for those of you with siblings, it could represent some sort of culmination of events with respect to your siblings' lives. Um, sometimes that involves your actual like relationship with siblings. Other times, it's just something happening in your sibling's life that is important that may or may not directly impact you, but because it's an important person uh, in your life, it could be notable in some way that your chart is reflecting some major change that's happening in their life as a result of an eclipse falling there. So sometimes it's like a sibling, um, you know, has a child, or your sibling gets married, or something critical like that. For some reason, the sibling sector of your chart starting this month is starting to get more active and more lit up and there's more of a spotlight or more attention focused on that area than at other times in your life. So sometimes this can just increase your communication with siblings for some reason uh, because there's more stuff going on in each of your lives. So this is opening up a window that's going to last for about a year or a year and a half of eclipses uh, occurring in that sign. So it's not necessarily going to be a one-time event, but instead it's going to open up a six-month window of sort of starting point with this eclipse, then six months later, um, the second, the next phase of that will begin, and it'll just keep bouncing back and forth in six-month increments of um, the, the keyword that I use for eclipses is um, major beginnings and major endings. So just think of that as the major theme that's starting to take place in your third house of communication, siblings, but also um, travel and education. That is not the only eclipse that's taking place this month though, but in fact there is also a, another solar eclipse that's taking place in Cancer. I think this is the last of a series of solar eclipses in Cancer that have been happening for like a year, a year and a half now, and it's taking place in your 10th house of career and uh, work and overall life purpose or life direction. What's a little bit weird about it is that it's preceded by and happens roughly at the same time as a Mercury retrograde station which begins on the 18th of June. So it's like 18th of June, Mercury actually stations retrograde in Cancer. Uh, let me switch to the charts to show the specific degrees on that because that might be notable and if you have those degrees if you have planets close to those degrees in your actual birth chart, then the Mercury retrograde is going to be more notable for you than others. So it looks like Mercury stations retrograde at 14 degrees of Cancer in the middle of June. And then we see the solar eclipse taking place just a few days later, also in Cancer. So this is important because the Mercury retrograde, just in and of itself, in the 10th house, would normally indicate a period where you're revisiting or revising something with respect to your work and your career and your overall life direction um, as the sort of best case scenario. And that kind of also makes sense that whatever you start revising at this time or revisiting could have much greater impact or much greater implications in the long term because that eclipse falls there immediately afterwards. 
One of the things you want to be careful about is that Mercury retrogrades also, of course, can typically have to do with miscommunications or misunderstandings. So you want to make sure that there's not any major misunderstandings or miscommunications to whatever extent you can that come from your side. Obviously, there's some things that are sometimes outside of our control, and the way that other people receive our communications isn't always something that we can alter or do to like fix. Sometimes you just have to fix issues after the fact and can't so much before. But especially if there's any potential where the lack of clarity is coming from you or there is something you could do, it would be good to be um, especially on your feet or on your toes during this time surrounding communications um, for the three-week period that Mercury stations retrograde. The 10th house also represents uh, superiors or people that are in a position above us. Sometimes that can indicate like your boss, if you have a boss in your workplace or with respect to your career. So that might be a particular person to be careful about having miscommunications with just because it could impact your career in a major way as a result of the eclipse um, if you're not able to avoid that. Um, but other times to give a more optimistic slant on it, because I don't always want to just be negative about Mercury retrogrades, it could just force you to go through a three-week period of rethinking what your career is and where you want to be headed with your life and what the most optimal sort of like long-term plan is for you, especially if you're to think far into the future. And that really connects with the eclipse because since this is a new moon solar eclipse, it's kind of like setting, laying the seeds or planting the seeds or laying the foundation for something that will grow and develop over the course of the next six months. So the best thing that you could do in this period in late June um, is not just to go back and review things and rethink how you could best be proceeding forward in terms of your career or your overall life direction, but think about if you were to start something during this time, what you would want to accomplish by six months later. And if you do initiate something at this time in terms of your career, then you may find that the long-term impact that it has in that area of your life could end up being much more significant than it seems at first, even if it's only a relatively small or relatively minor change that you're making at this time. So uh, a good time to initiate that. All right. Um, other things that happen in June, there's two other major things that I want to mention. One of them is that the Venus retrograde period comes to an end um, in the sign of Gemini in your ninth house of education and philosophy and travel. So that ends when Venus stations direct on the 25th of June. So sort of wraps up that sort of educational transit. It's kind of interesting that that coincides with the eclipse in the 10th house as well as the Mercury retrograde transit. It makes me wonder if either for some people there might be a journey or there might be uh, some sort of educational program that comes to completion at that time, which is another ninth house topic, which then um, sets them up for the career change or the uh, shift into a new phase of one's career, which is indicated by the eclipse on the 21st. So the last major thing that happens, and I'm not sure if this is going to be completely unrelated or if it's somehow tied into all of these other transits that are piling up in June, but the final thing I want to mention is Mars ingresses into Aries on the 27th of June. And this is kind of a major deal because this is the beginning of a long-term transit that's going to last for pretty much the entire second half of 2020, where Mars is moving into your seventh house of partnership and relationships and other people in general. And the reason why this is important 
if we look at the planetary movements chart, over there on the far right in Aries, the sign that Mars is moving into, we see it move into that sign at this time at the end of June. But then what happens is that as it's getting near the end of Aries, where it would normally just take like a month and it would pass through that sign relatively quickly, what happens is that it slows down and Mars turns around and stations retrograde and then begins moving backwards for several weeks before eventually slowing down again, stationing direct, and then starting to move forward again uh, for several weeks before it eventually departs from that sign. So what this means is that um, it's going to take a transit that would normally be a relatively short-term, potentially somewhat irritating, but certainly energetic transit where Mars is bringing much more attention and focus and energy to your seventh house of relationships and other people and partnerships. Um, it's taking what should normally be a short-term energetic or potentially irritating transit and it's drawing it out and it's ex extending it for almost six months for almost the entirety of the second half of the year. So that turns it into a major transit and turns it into what will, for some of you, perhaps be one of the more notable transits and more memorable ones um, once you finish this year and you're sort of looking back and reflecting on it in retrospect. So that begins at the end of June. Um, let's do sort of best case scenario, worst case scenario again, like I usually try to do, because both sides are possible. It really depends on your birth chart and how things are situated in your birth chart, as well as how different parts of your chart are activated by different timing techniques like annual perfections or zodiac releasing. Um, best case scenario, so I could see this as being a period in which you just have to put a lot more energy and sometimes even more energy than you're comfortable doing so that you might be exhausted with the amount of time that you have to focus on and spend on relationships during this six-month period. So it could be a period in which maybe you're planning something with respect to a relationship that's forcing you to put more energy towards it. Maybe there's something going on in your partner's life that's requiring additional support and attention and energy on your part in order to help them get through that time. Maybe it's kind of a tumultuous time for them, and so therefore it's something that's requiring more of an energy expenditure on your part. Um, what are some other possible scenarios? I mean, those are some of the best case scenarios. Worst case scenario, or let's say moderate to medium worst case scenario is just Mars transits can be periods that are more irritating where there's more of a sense of frustration where some sort of obstacle or separation sometimes can occur within the context of relationships um, or even just a period in which you and if you have a partner, you and your partner aren't getting along as well for some reason or maybe there's a sequence of specific things that you have some sort of conflict or butting heads about. So that's the one of the main potentials for this transit is just that it can be kind of a tense period for relationships. Now, for those of you with night charts, I would probably not expect it to be the worst case scenario. It could be a little bit um, irritating, but it's not going to be necessarily anything to write home about or it's not going to be the worst case scenario. For people with day charts, I would expect it to be a little bit more challenging potentially, um, even more so if your seventh house or if Mars is somehow activated as a time lord by annual perfections, like if you're in a seventh house perfection year. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that you should just avoid anything having to do with relationships or go out of your way not to do anything important during that time because sometimes 
important intense transits like that can show up during some of the most pivotal periods in our life because just when something important happens there's going to be a lot going on and it may not always be necessarily easy but it doesn't necessarily have to be um, terrible either. Something that just takes a lot of energy and is exhausting can sometimes in and of itself, once you get to the other side of it, still be have been worthwhile and have been important and something that you're happy that you ended up doing even if it uh, took a lot of effort during that time. So there's going to be at least two critical turning points. This is just the opening or the beginning of that transit that starts on the 27th of June. But there's going to be two Mars stations, first when it stations retrograde and turns around and starts moving backwards, and then secondarily when it stations direct and starts moving forward later in the year that will probably be the critical turning points in this transit. Um, so we'll get to those later. This is just the starting point on the 27th of June of kind of a long transit of Mars. All right, so let's get into the second half of the year. All right, here's the uh, calendar for July with the planetary alignments. Um, the main things happening this month are the Capricorn stuff kind of comes back with a vengeance. And uh, for one final pass of like major, major Capricorn stuff, which then kind of dominates the next six months, so the entire second half of the year. Because what happens is that on the 1st of July, Saturn already has been retrograde for a few weeks at this point, and it makes a retrograde ingress or a, let's say a regress back into Capricorn and back into your fourth whole sign house. So it moves back into that sector that has to do with the home and the living situation and the private life and the parents for one last pass through that sector of your chart before it completely finishes up those transits um, in mid to late December. Uh, almost simultaneous with that, just a few days later, on the 5th of July, we have a uh, lunar eclipse taking place in Capricorn, which is putting a lot more attention and focus on that sign. So the main one though is the, the Saturn transit, because um, Saturn returning back to that sign sometimes will indicate the final phase of whatever that transit has been about for you, and it will bring a sense of closure and a sense of completion to matters pertaining to your home and your living situation or matters pertaining to your parents and your relationship with them and whatever is going on in their life. So normally this isn't usually going to indicate something that's brand new or isn't some sort of scenario that you haven't been already dealing with for a while because we've had Saturn going through that sign for two two and a half years at this point. So most of the themes should already be clear at this point. And by the second half of this year, once Saturn comes back to Capricorn, it should just be a matter of revisiting and making sure you got the point of that transit in some instances, if there was some like broader lesson to be gained from it. And sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. Um, in other instances, it can just be doing what's necessary in order to wrap up and make sure that part of your life and whatever you were going through during that time is finished so that then you can move on with your life and allow that sector of your chart and that sector of your life, your home and your private life to be less of the focus in the coming years as Saturn by December moves into Aquarius and just gets out of your fourth house completely. 
um, because by that time Jupiter will also do the same in December and get out of your fourth house completely. And basically by the end of 2020, there's just a complete shift away from the fourth house and this entire sector of your life in general. Uh, but in the second half of 2020, it definitely continues to be a major part of the focus and it comes back into focus um, with a lot of attention being paid to that area of your life. So that's the major thing that happens in July and it happens right at the start of the month. Um, and that just again becomes part of the dominant theme. Uh, eventually that takes us into August and August we actually don't have a lot going on. All of that other stuff like the Saturn transit through the fourth and everything is still going on as a sort of background transit. But the only major outer planet transit that changes in August is that Uranus stations retrograde around 10 degrees of Taurus on August 15th. So again, Taurus, as I mentioned briefly earlier, is your eighth house. Uh, the eighth house has to do with things like mortality and just topics surrounding mortality that can include things like inheritance, um, but also the eighth house often primarily has to do with financial matters and the way that um, the assets or money of other people, what role that plays in your life. So sometimes that can pertain to like the partner's finances or assets. Other times it can pertain to things like taxes or um, debt that you owe or other things like that. A Uranus transit through the eighth house can indicate sudden or unexpected disruptions or innovations in that area of your life, like finding new and innovative ways, sometimes even to bring technology to bear on um, making positive or constructive changes in that area of your life. Um, this is kind of a long-term transit. It's lasting for, it started a year or two ago, and it's lasting all the way through, I think, 2025 or something like that before Uranus leaves Taurus and moves it into Gemini permanently. So this is not necessarily anything that's going to be hugely important at this point unless you have planets around 10 degrees of fixed signs. So if you do have a planet at 10 degrees of Taurus especially, or let's say even within a degree or, or two of that, so let's say 9 degrees of Taurus or 11 degrees of Taurus, then this will be the first time that Uranus has gotten that far into the sign and has stationed at that exact degree of Taurus. So it could actually really be activating those topics for you, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to mention the station, just because stations can represent sort of like an exclamation mark next to that planet for that period of time right around the middle of August. So potential for unexpected disruptions around that time, but only if you have personal planets around 10 degrees of the fixed signs. Um, and if it's 10 degrees of Taurus, then it would pertain directly to those eighth house topics potentially. All right, so that's going to take us into September. And September is really primarily um, characterized by the Mars retrograde station, which really gets going around the 9th of the month. So on the 9th of September, Mars stations retrograde in late Aries. Um, a few days later, on the 12th of September, Jupiter stations direct in Capricorn in your fourth house. And at the end of the month, Saturn stations direct in Capricorn, also in your fourth house for the final time. And then it'll start making its way out of uh, Capricorn and out of your fourth house. 
What's interesting about this is I think those three transits actually might be connected in some people's lives, and it might be connecting two different parts of your chart um, because when Mars stations retrograde, it's, it does so pretty closely square to Saturn and to a lesser extent Jupiter. So I'm going to switch here to the this is the program I'm using for this if everyone always asks and I forget to mention it but it's called Solar Fire uh, that's available at um, Alabe or Astrolabe. It's called alabe.com but the name of the software business is Astrolabe uh, and they gave me a promo code which is AP15 if anybody wants to get a discount on the software. So here's September and here is Mars. It's slowing down in the first week of the month, and then it stations right here retrograde at 28 degrees of Aries. So let me put Libra on the ascendant or the rising. So there it is. Mars stationing at 28 degrees of Aries, and so this is in your seventh house of relationships. So it's bringing a, an exclamation mark and an intensification of this very energetic Mars transit, but also potentially divisive or um, irritating transit of Mars in your seventh house. This is when it becomes probably the most irritating or the most frustrating is right around this time in early to mid-September when it makes the retrograde station. That's the most important turning point for that transit and setting up the initial sort of sequence of events that becomes notable or memorable in retrospect or will become memorable in retrospect. But notice how it's at 28 degrees of Aries. So it's actually squaring Saturn, which is at 25 degrees of Capricorn in your fourth house of your home and living situation and parents, pretty closely at that time, which for some of you probably may imply that there's going to be a connection between those two areas for some reason, where there's a basic, it's setting up a basic tension or setting up some sort of basic conflict between. Um, there's some sort of like strife or tension that's happening in the realm of partnership, and somehow that starts affecting or causing um, setbacks or tensions or even like losses in the area of your home and living situation with Saturn being squared at that time in your fourth house and also stationing there. Um, it could also be the reverse though. It could be vice versa. It could be that Saturn's indicating some tensions or some problems or obstacles that are arising within the context of the home or the family or your, even your parents and your living situation in the fourth house, and that somehow this is causing tension or conflicts with respect to relationships or your partners. Um, or your other one-on-one -on -one partnerships in general in your life with Mars stationing in your seventh house. So that's kind of one of the more tense transits that's happening this year, and it really gets the most intense around this time of early to mid-September when Mars is stationing retrograde and is squaring those Capricorn planets. Um, but the Mars retrograde then is going to last for several weeks after that point uh, and won't station direct for quite a while. So um, we move into October, and what happens at this point is that we have our third and final Mercury retrograde of the year. And this Mercury retrograde actually takes place, it, it actually begins in Scorpio on the 13th of October. So Scorpio is your second house of finances and possessions and um, assets and other things that that which has value 
that you've acquired during the course of your life. Um, a Mercury retrograde can sometimes indicate, like again, either revisiting something with respect to those topics, so revising something that you thought was finished that you have to go back and look at, and you realize there's something wrong, so you have to retool something that you've been doing. Um, so revisiting the area of finances and possessions, or potentially a miscommunication involving financial matters, is one of the other potential scenarios at this time. I tend to think that that's probably the more likely one. Uh, because there's something that's a little bit destabilizing or something that's a little bit unexpected or more unexpected than usual about this particular Mercury retrograde. Because if you look at the actual chart and the degrees and the specific planets that Mercury is interacting with when it stations retrograde, you'll actually notice that it's stationing retrograde uh, pretty closely opposite to Uranus. So here's uh, October. Mercury's slowing down, and then it stations retrograde at 11 degrees of Scorpio around the 13th of October or so. And notice that the planet Uranus is at 9 degrees of Taurus at this point. So we've got a pretty tight opposition between Mercury in Scorpio in your second house of financial matters and Uranus in Taurus in your eighth house of um, other people's money, of inheritance, of mortality and issues surrounding mortality, and things like that. So there could be some sort of unexpected development that takes place involving your money and your partner's money around this time, and it's kind of interesting, or, or other people's money, and it's kind of interesting that it's also taking place um, around the same time as the Mars retrograde in your seventh house of relationships, and some of those final Saturn transits through your fourth house of your home and your family and your living situation. So some of these could be like parallel events that are running in parallel and not crossing over, and others could be um, sort of crossing each other and somehow connected or intertwined in some way in this sort of broader sequence of events that's taking place in some of your lives, depending on how your actual natal chart is set up. All right, so the Mercury retrograde actually just starts at that point. Um, at on the 13th of October, but then as all Mercury retrograde periods do, it lasts for about three weeks. The middle point where there's some, uh, the resolution of whatever the issue was at the start of the retrograde starts to come into play and you start to see some resolution where there's an end in sight. Um, that happens at the Sun-Mercury conjunction around the 25th of October. Uh, then interestingly, Mercury ingresses, it makes a retrograde ingress, a regress, into Libra and into your first whole sign house, into the house of self uh, and body and appearance and basically who you are. Um, weirdly, the same day, Venus also moves into that sign. So Venus returns to its home sign and moves into your rising sign, which is generally usually kind of a, a pleasant transit where things look a little bit more optimistic. Uh, Venus transits to the first house since the first house has to do with the appearance and how you appear to other people in the world or how you present yourself. It can be kind of a good time to get a makeover or like buy some new clothes or generally Venus can indicate a period where aesthetics become more important to you and you do a better job of um, sort of picking out aesthetic matters than at other times. So somehow that might be connected and that takes us into November, where very early in the month, Mercury will station direct in Libra, and that's on the 3rd of November. Then that transit is pretty much wrapped up at that point, and the Mercury retrograde period should be roughly over 
What's interesting is that just about a week later, the very following week, we get the very tail end of or the other important or pivotal turning point of the Mars retrograde cycle where Mars, Mars stations direct on the 13th of November. So this is taking place in your seventh house of relationships. And I'm not sure if it's connected with the Mercury retrograde. Like it's weird that in the charts, the Mer Mercury regresses back into your first house of self, and the Mars transit is finishing up at that point in your seventh house of other or your seventh house of relationships. So it could be connected because it's almost as if like one scenario with Venus moving into your first house, Mercury going into your first house and stationing direct there is there's something, some sort of theme potentially in early November of finding your voice and of sort of learning how to use your voice and speak out and say what you have to say. And somehow as a result of doing this, once Mercury starts moving forward again, um, there's this shift that then takes place within the context of uh, relationships because then just the following week, Mars stations direct. And there's Mars stationing at 15 degrees of Aries. So somehow perhaps by finding your own voice, it causes, causes a shift and things start moving forward after a period of sort of moving backwards in the sphere of relationships for several weeks at that point. So hopefully whatever the issue that was set up or whatever the difficulties or the potential for strife or conflict that were set up by the Mars retrograde, some of that should start to be resolved at this point when Mars stations direct and you should start to see the resolution or at least an end in sight to that transit. Um, the entire transit's not finished yet because Mars then after stationing direct needs to work its way back through the second half of Aries and then eventually it will get out of that sign but not until the early part of next year. So technically the Mars transit isn't going to be fully over until early next year but at least the most intense phase um, should be over at this point after, Mar after Mars stations direct on the 13th of November. Uh, let's see, the other major thing that happens this month that's notable and worth mentioning is we have a return back to eclipse season. So we get a couple of eclipses. The first one is a lunar eclipse on the 30th of November, and that's taking place in Gemini. And this is, again, just emphasizing it's moving into a period where the nodes have moved into Gemini, which is your ninth house. And the other eclipse after that is a Sagittarius eclipse on the 14th of December, which is taking place in your third house. So for me, when I think of the third house or the ninth house, third house axis, a large part of it has to do with what you know and what you've learned, which is the ninth house, what you, what you believe versus how you communicate that, which is your third house. And what's happening with these two eclipses is we're seeing a uh, culmination of events, a lunar eclipse in your ninth house. So there's something that you perhaps initiated or started learning six months earlier that has started to crystallize and started to become more clear in your mind at this point from the 30th of November forward. And then what happens in December uh, is you start a new phase in learning how to communicate what you know and what you think. Uh, starting on the 14th of December when we have this solar eclipse which takes place 
in Sagittarius in your third house. So this would be a good time um, to try a new communication style or to try experimenting with different communication mediums. Like perhaps if there's something that you're really passionate about or that you've been learning recently, it would be a good time to start writing a blog about it or start a YouTube channel or start a podcast, basically figuring out different ways that you can communicate something that you're passionate about and something that you believe in strongly would be recommended during this eclipse that takes place um, in the third week of December, second or third week of December around the 14th. Um, since it's happening in your third house, third house is also siblings, so it could be some major development in the lives of your siblings as I was describing earlier during some of those previous eclipses and some sort of sequence of events with respect to them or your relationship with them. Um, but definitely because it's bouncing back and forth for a while between the third house and ninth house axis, it could be more uh, about knowledge versus communication. Third house, ninth house also has to do with travel. So um, the ninth house is long distance travel and the third house is short distance travel. So it could be something about taking a major trip or alternatively with the third house, it could be something about reconfiguring your ability to communicate uh, and not just communicate, but travel um, locally around your city. So something like you know, changing your vehicle or getting a new car or something like that as a notable third house type transit is pretty typical. All right, so this brings us to the final and I don't want to say most important, but one of the most notable transits of 2020, which happens at the very, very end of the year. And it is when first on the 17th of the month, Saturn departs from Capricorn and finishes up its three-year-long transit through your fourth house of your home and family and living situation, and Saturn moves into Aquarius, which is the place of children, all matters related to children, creative expression, and also sexuality. Uh, interestingly, two days later, Jupiter, the largest planet in our the other largest planet in our solar system, also moves out of your fourth house, completes that transit, and simultaneously moves into your fifth house of children and creativity and sexuality. So just a few days later, on the 21st of December, those two planets form a conjunction at the first degree of that sign. So let me put that up so you can see the exact degrees and how sort of dramatic it is, especially just remembering that these are the two largest planets in our solar system. So there's Saturn going into Aquarius and there's Jupiter going in and then forming a conjunction from our standpoint here on Earth uh, at zero degrees of Aquarius. So this is the onset, this is the full onset of that Saturn transit that I was talking about earlier in the year that we got a preview of between March and late June when Saturn just like barely sort of dipped a toe into Aquarius and then it retrograded back out and went back into Capricorn to finish and sweep up whatever needed to be done in that area in the second half of the year. Now Saturn is done with Capricorn and it's fully moving into your fifth house. So some of those themes of responsibility of sometimes obstacles or setbacks, but also just putting in hard work and hopefully eventually in the long term building new structures that will have um, major payoffs in the long term if you put in the hard work, that whole period really begins at this point and it's going to last for at least a couple of years of Saturn going through that sign. So the good news is I really like that this Saturn transit is starting with not just Saturn moving into that sign 
which is bringing the responsibility and more of a pessimistic vibe potentially to that part of the chart. But it's getting really balanced out by the fact that Jupiter is going in at almost the exact same time, which is bringing um, more of an optimistic and more of an expansive vibe to the uh, fifth house sector in your life. So normally, if it was just like a fifth house transit of Jupiter, this can be a period where people have children or where their relationship with children is something that's positive in their life or something that's constructive. It can also be a period in which um, there's sort of growth and new development when it comes to artistic or creative matters in a person's life with Jupiter moving through that sign. Now, we're still going to get some of that with Saturn there at the same time, but it's going to be need to be balanced. The sort of optimism will need to be balanced with not a pessimism, but more of a sense of realism and healthy realism about what can actually be accomplished in that area of your life. But the fact that those two are going in there together at the same time is bringing a sort of balance that I think is ultimately positive, especially for people with day charts. I think that's going to be a very positive and constructive transit. For people with night charts, it might be a little bit more challenging with Saturn going through the fifth house, and you might get more of the restrictions or some of the setbacks um, and some of the sort of burdens associated with that transit. But with Jupiter being there at the same time, that's still going to help balance it out way more than your experience of, for example, spending the first two years of Saturn going through Capricorn being just on its own or just with Pluto, which is a pretty intense transit to experience right from the start without any moderating influence from Jupiter. So that really kicks off 2020 because then though that's the major outer planet transit that you're going to be experiencing for most of the rest of um, or well most of the following year, most of the year of 2021. And it begins right at the end of 2020. So that's getting us into the forecast for next year, and that's getting us a little far afield and further ahead than I'm supposed to go in this recording. So I'll have to save the rest of that discussion for next time when I return to do the horoscope forecast for uh, 2021, which sounds really weird to say, but I'm going to get used to saying it over the course of the next year um, as we get further and further into 2020. All right, I think that's it then for this forecast for Libra and Libra rising for uh, the coming 12 months. So, thanks a lot for watching this. Thanks everybody who joined in the live stream chat. I appreciate it. Sorry I couldn't follow as many comments as I would like. Um, if anybody has any interesting anecdotes or stories that you want to share, uh, please type them sort of briefly in the chat box now. I'm going to wrap up and do some of the plugs and some of the promo stuff that I have to mention before we end this video. Um, but I'm curious if anybody has any experiences, especially with Saturn going through Capricorn over the past two years in your fourth whole sign house and how that's been working out for your home and living situation or parents and private life in general. I'd be curious to hear some of that. Um, let's see. So the artwork that I've been using in this episode comes from my uh, the posters, the 2020 astrology calendar poster bundle that I released just a few weeks ago, where you can use these posters like a calendar in order to see all of the major transits of the year at a glance. And it's something that I always have up in front of me by my computer at all times because then I can just look up and see 
what day it is and exactly when certain planets change signs, exactly when the eclipses or other lunations take place, or when planets turn retrograde or direct. So there's also the planetary movements poster in there, and there's also another bonus poster that shows the significations of the houses. So with this, you can sort of be set to analyze the astrology of the year at a glance and also learn about your own chart and astrology in general while you're doing it. Um, you can find out more information about that at theastrologypodcast.com slash 2020posters. Uh, also recently, Lisa Scheim and I released our 2020 auspicious elections full year ahead electional report. So in this, we went through each of the next 12 months and we did a, a two-hour video and a written report where we picked out one lucky day or one auspicious electional chart for each of the next 12 months which was the best um, chart that we could find for launching different types of ventures and undertakings over the course of the next year. So that's super useful for people that are trying to plan out long-term things like launching a new business or getting married or going on a major journey or something like that um, because we've done most of the hard work for you by searching for the most auspicious days during each of the next 12 months. So you can find out more information about that at chrisbrennanastrologer.com slash 2020 elections. And finally, I have to give a shout out to all the patrons who supported my work and support the astrology podcast through my page on Patreon, because they're the reason I'm able to do this um, and spend so much time doing the horoscope forecast this year, as well as get some of the equipment and stuff that's been necessary in recent years as a result of their support. So thanks in particular to patrons Christine Stone, Nate Craddock, and Tanner Robinson, as well as the Astrogold Astrology app available at astrogold.io, the Portland School of Astrology at portlandastrology.org, the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs at honeycomb.co, and there's also two major astrology conferences that are happening in 2020. One of them is being hosted by the International Society for Astrological Research, and they're doing a conference in Denver, Colorado from September 10th through the 14th. Uh, you can find out more information about that at esar2020.org. And also the Northwest Astrological Conference is happening in Seattle, Washington from May 21st through the 25th, 2020. And you can find out more information about that at norwac.net. So if you want to become a patron and get bonus content like early access to new episodes or private patron-only podcasts, then you can sign up and find out more information at patreon.com slash theastrologypodcast. All right. And I did it. How long is this? Oh, wow. This one was longer than usual. The last few have been an hour long, but I put so much detail into this one that it ended up being like an hour and 20 minutes. So you guys got a little bit more bonus content than some of the other rising signs. So congratulations. I guess that's partially because in some ways for the Libra rising people, there's more going on than some of the other rising signs because so much of the planetary transits this year are going through the cardinal signs, which are the angular houses for you. So that's like the first house of self, the fourth house of the home and living situation, the seventh house of relationships, and the tenth house of career. So this is definitely 2020 is a big year for those with Libra rising. Um, yeah, Chanda in the comments says 2020 sounds as if it will be as challenging as it will be rewarding. And I think that's a really great synopsis. So it'll be challenging but rewarding. I think that's a great way to frame and a phrase or summarize a lot of what I was saying about this year, especially with respect to some of the Saturn transits that are going on. All right. Um, any final comments? Thanks everybody for joining us. We appreciate it. Um, you guys have been great in the comments section. I'm still getting used to like how to read 
the live chat, which unfortunately I can't follow as well as I'd like to, but I'm going to read through some of it later and post some comments once this video recording goes up in just a few minutes. Um, please be sure if this is your first time liking or finding my channel to be sure to subscribe to the channel, uh, like this video, put a comment on this video, and uh, yeah, that'll help me to boost the video and to keep doing more of these in the future as more people find them. All right, I'm going to take a break because that was a bit of a uh, marathon, but then I'm going to come back later and I'm at the very least going to try to do the Scorpio Rising horoscopes uh, tonight. And with any luck, if things go well and I can get some more coffee, I'm going to see what I can do about uh, also doing the Sagittarius Rising horoscopes tonight as well. And that'll just leave me three to do tomorrow if I can get that far through them. So we will see how it goes. Uh, thanks everyone for joining me today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Astrology Podcast, and uh, I will see you next time. Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to be going through the uh, horoscopes for Scorpio and Scorpio Rising for the entire year of 2020. Joining me today is Lisa Scheim. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Chris. And she's going to be helping me today to go through the next 12 months. We're going to give you an overview of the major outer planet and some of the inner planet transits that are going to be uh, dominating the different themes during different parts of the year, and we're going to go through month by month. So these horoscopes are primarily directed towards your rising sign, especially if your rising sign is Scorpio, although you can secondarily look at them from the perspective of your sun sign if your sun is in Scorpio, especially if you were born during the day, or your moon sign if your natal moon is in Scorpio, uh, especially if you're born at night. Uh, any other preliminaries before we jump in and get started? Um, no, I think that's it. All right. Uh, and thanks everybody for joining us in the live chat since we're doing this as a live stream tonight. Uh, this is horoscope two out of hopefully three tonight. I'll see how far we, we can get. We. <laughs> we? Yeah. Thank you for joining me. Yes. All right, let's jump right into it. So we're going to be looking at a few different things. One of the things we're going to look at is the planetary movements uh, poster. So this is from a, an illustration from a poster that I released this year which shows where the planets will start at the beginning of the year in the signs of the zodiac and how far through the zodiac they'll get by the end of the year. So this is useful for um, sort of illustrating and visualizing how some of the inner planets move through the signs relatively quickly unless they turn retrograde, uh, and how some of the outer planets move through the signs very slowly and sometimes don't change sign for a decade or so. Uh, the other thing we're going to be looking at is the Planetary Alignments Calendar, which is another poster I released, which shows dates when lunations, such as full moons and new moons, take place, when the planets will change signs, and also when the planets will make major aspects to each other, or station, retrograde, or direct. All right, so we're looking at Scorpio rising, um, and we're going to start in January. So there's three main things that happen in January. There is Uranus stationing direct at two degrees of Taurus, which is in the seventh house of relationships for those with Scorpio rising. There is an eclipse, a lunar eclipse that takes place the very next day on the 10th of January in Cancer, which is the ninth house of religion and travel and education. And then finally, there's a Saturn-Pluto conjunction coming up on the 12th of January, taking place in the sign of Capricorn, where we've got a bunch of activity taking place this month in the third house of communication, siblings, and short distance travel for those with Scorpio rising. So out of all of that, um, take your pick. Where where do you want to get started? Maybe I'll start with the Saturn-Pluto. This is something that's been going on for a while. Okay. 
someone I heard just did like a <laughs> webinar on this recently. Yeah, I just jumped in at the last minute to a webinar about Saturn Pluto. So that's fresh in my head. Okay. Yeah. So wherever Saturn and Pluto have been transiting, which for Scorpio rising people is going to be the third house of um, short distance travel, siblings, communication, um, and to some extent teaching and learning, uh, that's already been going on for a while now. So while there is an exact Saturn-Pluto conjunction during this month, almost mid-month, it's kind of just hitting a little um, accentuation of something that's already been happening, particularly since 2017. Pluto's been there since 2008, and um, Saturn joined it at the end of 2017. So it's already been there for a good couple years, and there's just one year left. Yeah, so Saturn went in in December of 2017. So they're already two-thirds of the way through this transit of uh, Saturn going through Capricorn and going through the third house, mm -hmm. which can sometimes bring some challenges or some restructuring or some obstacles surrounding either siblings or communication, uh, short distance travel, or even education to some extent. Mm -hmm. So for some people, there could have been more of a distance for the past couple of years with siblings. If you have any, that's one possible manifestation of Saturn there. Um, for some other people, you might have been working on um, learning to communicate better or studying something that isn't necessarily a four-year degree, but still some sort of course of study, either formal or informal. So this is um, a little peak in that. It's not over yet, um, but you may notice it a bit more at that time. Yeah, uh, there's sort of an intensification of that transit, <clears throat> especially potentially for people that have Saturn at 22 or have placements at 22 degrees of the cardinal signs, especially 22 degrees of Capricorn or really any of the other three cardinal signs, 22 Libra, 22 Aries, or 22 blank. Cancer. Cancer. That's the other cardinal sign. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone always forgets cancer. Yeah, poor cancers. So, and speaking of cancer, that's the other one where there's activity right in that three-day time period because there's a cancer eclipse within 48 hours of that as well. And so for, um, for everyone, there's been a lot of activity with regard to the cancer and Capricorn areas of your chart. And for Scorpio rising, that means a lot with um, teaching and learning. I mean, it's not necessarily only with that for you, but that's a main activity that crosses both the third and ninth house themes. So anything that you may, you know, these bounce back and forth every six months. So anything that you've been focused on for the past year or so with regard to either teaching or learning, it could also be since it's happening in the ninth house for you in particular, um, something having to do with a culmination regarding any sort of travel plans, um, anything having to do with big picture worldviews, religion, philosophy, astrology itself goes there, even political views can. So there may have been changes with regard to that area of your life over the past year or so, and this is another new wrinkle in that story. Yeah, so since this is a lunar eclipse that's taking place in the ninth house, it seems to imply almost like a maturation of something that you know and of uh, deepening of your wisdom in terms of your personal philosophy of life or something that you've been learning or educating yourself on lately, especially over the past six months. Uh, but we've also had recently, just before this month, so it still kind of counts because we're in eclipse season, there was a solar eclipse in Capricorn, which is sort of like initiating a new phase of activity for six months and building something new with respect to your communication and the way that you communicate that which you know, which is from the ninth house. 
So we've got both ninth house and third house things going on, as you said. Um, but one of the things that's nice this year is even though we're what a year and a half into the eclipses taking place in Capricorn, and we're two years into Saturn transiting through that sign and the sort of restructuring that's happening as a result of that, that can sometimes be a little bit taxing or a little bit tiring or a little bit burdensome. Uh, Jupiter is just ingressed into Capricorn only like a month or two ago, and it's going to spend the entirety of 2020 in that sign, kind of balancing out some of the more uh, heavy transits that are going on in Capricorn and leading to a little bit more of a sense of optimism and lightness and expansion to balance out the sort of contraction that's been happening with Saturn for the past two years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So it does lighten up a bit potentially, or at least some opportunity can be added to the effort that you're already put in, putting in in that area of your life. And um, I want to throw in my favorite third house topic of cars, just because everyone I've been talking with um, for the past year, year and a half with Scorpio rising has been replacing their cars, mm. which is a really common but mundane expression of the third house, kind of how you get around in short, short distance travel, how you get around town, basically. Right. So if you haven't replaced your car yet, that might happen. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's see. What else is going on this month? We also have the Uranus station. Um, in Taurus. So we're about a year into Uranus's full-on transit through Taurus. And it really started, though, almost a couple of years ago now, right? It was mid-May 2018 was the first ingress. Okay. So this is moving into or has moved into the seventh house uh, for those with Scorpio rising, the place of relationships, partnership, um, marriage, and just other people in general. So Uranus can sometimes bring major changes, sometimes destabilization uh, or upsets, but also innovation and like new activities and sometimes even excitement when it comes to seventh house affairs. Mm -hmm, definitely. Yeah, so Uranus is kind of the, the planet of the unexpected. And so sometimes if you have Scorpio rising, this is a seven-year transit. So we're just a little bit into it. There's still a bunch of years left. Um, it's only going to get to about 11 degrees, almost 11 degrees of Taurus this year. 10 degrees. 1041. Okay. Almost. <laughs> Almost 11. We're both right. <laughs> yeah, we're both right. <laughs> okay. So anyway, um, you know, it's only getting to about a third of the way through Taurus. So still got a bunch of years um, in this transit. So what that often brings is sort of unexpected ups and downs. Um, it can be unexpected change. It can be innovations, like you said, excitement. And those things um, with regard to your personal partnership is probably the most you know, common thing that it hits. But for some people, it can also or um, alternately be like a business partnership, like you meet someone you start doing work with one-on-one um, -on -one more regularly. I have seen that happen with Uranus transits of the seventh. I've also seen um, something change with regard to if you are in the type of work where you do a lot of one-on-one -on -one interactions, that can be anything from customer service to client work. Um, anyone who sees clients like doctors or even astrologers and, you know, just lots of one-on-one -on -one things, then that can bring um, erraticness to that area of your life as well. Okay. So there's going to be two really important turning points for that this year. One of them is happening right here in January when Uranus stations direct at two degrees of Taurus. So that's going to be especially important for those of you that have um, any planets at two degrees of fixed signs, especially two degrees of Taurus, but also to a lesser extent to Scorpio, to Leo, or to Aquarius. 
And then there's going to be one other Uranus station later in the year at 10 degrees of Taurus, which is going to be important because that's going to be the first time Uranus makes it that far into this sign. And this is a long-term transit, so it's going to be having an impact. And for some of you, it's going to be building up for quite a while if you have things in the later part of the fixed signs, like the later part of Taurus, for example, or if your ascendant is very late in the sign. Um, but still, for those of you that have things around mid-Taurus or early Taurus, a lot of the major action will start taking place with respect to that transit probably this year. Mm -hmm. All right, so um, we'll come back to that later when we talk about and identify the month where the second Uranus station happens um, much later in the year. All right, so I think that's it for January. Let's move on to February. Okay. All right, so the main thing that happens in February, there's really just two main things, and, and weirdly, they both happen the same day. One of them is that the planet Mars leaves Sagittarius and moves out of your second house of finances, where it's been transiting since the beginning of January, which can sometimes be a period where you're expending more energy for financial matters, or other times there can be conflicts or tensions um, surrounding financial matters. So it's departing from that sector of your chart, and Mars is moving into Capricorn, where it's joining all of those other planets in your third house of siblings and education and communication and short distance travel. Weirdly, right around the same time, um, Mercury is stationing retrograde in Pisces on the same day on the 16th of February. So that's happening in your fifth house of children, uh, creativity, uh, sexuality, and other matters related to that. Um, so there's a possible like overlap there just because both of those things are happening on the same day, although since they're happening in different parts of your chart, they could also just be happening in parallel. Mm -hmm. um, yes, yeah, so Mars moving into Capricorn and joining the party in the third house. How do you feel about that? Um, I feel great about that. Okay. <laughs> well, it's just a lot of activity in one area of your life. And for you, that's going to be that third house we were mentioning earlier, you know, so teaching and learning and short distance travel and siblings. So if you've had any issues with siblings or even neighbors, that's another third house topic, um, then Mars joining the Capricorn party there could put potential extra stress or attention on that issue for you temporarily. Now, Mars is a much quicker transit most of the time than, than Saturn and Pluto and Jupiter, certainly. So this is a short-term additional influence. But given that we'll have both Mars and Saturn there, and Mars is the more challenging plan if you, planet if you were born during the day, Saturn is the more challenging one if you're born at night. So either way, no matter when you were born, you're going to have one of the challenging planets transiting through that area. So it could indicate increased tensions um, with regard regard to either any of those people that land in the third house, relatives, siblings, neighbors, or any of those other concrete topics. Yeah, for the people with night charts, I would expect this to just be a period where you're just putting extra energy into some of these topics and maybe you could like overextend yourself or it could be kind of a trying time where you could like overexhaust yourself or something due to having greater interactions or having to communicate more or travel more or interact with your siblings more or go through educational pursuits more, but maybe not necessarily a big deal. Um, for people with day charts, it might be a little bit more tricky though, because Mars tends to bring out, Mars transits can tend to bring out more scenarios pertaining to like separations or strife or just general irritation. Mm -hmm. So it could be a period in which you feel more irritable and more combat combative verbally or in which arguments take place. 
Um, there could be um, tensions involving your siblings or other extended relatives, like you said. Um, but also just being careful even for things like short distance travel and like not putting yourself in a bad situation by like speeding or something when you're driving just because a Mars transit through the third house could be easily something like getting in an accident if you had some sort of predisposition or if you were being reckless during that time. Definitely. And don't flip off other drivers. That's that's my big thing about the third house. Okay. Don't <laughs> right? flip off other drivers. <laughs> yeah. Well, you never know, you know, with road rage these days. So Mars going through the third could be a time when you feel more irritable when you're like driving around town, but like you could also get into conflict more easily. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah. Okay. That sounds good. So that transit of Mars, at least, it's beginning on the 16th of February, but that's going to be going on for more than a month until late March. So that's kind of the time frame there. The periods in which it might be more important or less important for you are going to depend on what planets you have natally in either Capricorn or other cardinal signs that it could aspect while it's transiting through that sign. Mm -hmm. The other thing is the Mercury retrograde, which start, is starting the same day on the 16th of February in their fifth house. One of the things that's a little tricky about this one, just like the Mercury retrograde in Pisces around this time of the year last year, is that it's actually closely conjunct Neptune. So that's a little bit problematic because it increases the already natural propensity for Mercury retrogrades to be about miscommunication or um, just crossed wires that lead to communication from one party or another not being clear and leading to misunderstandings. So because it's happening in the fifth house of children, um, creative expression, and also sexuality, those are the three primary areas where it could have some relevance for you in your life. If there was like, if you have children, there could be a misunderstanding with your children or a misunderstanding surrounding that. Mm -hmm. um, what are some other possible scenarios? I mean, those are the main concrete ones I can think of. You know, there's some ones that are going to be one off for some people, like having a miscommunication while going out and having fun, you know, because the fifth house is things you do for fun. Yeah. And also like hobbies and stuff. So having mm -hmm. like a miscommunication involving a hobby. So this is a three week period. And one of the things that's interesting about it actually is that um, Mercury starts its retrograde in Pisces on the 16th of February, but it actually retrogrades back into Aquarius and moves into your fourth house by the 4th of March, which is the sector of the chart that has to do with the home and the family, the private life, but also sometimes the parents. So it's going to start its retrograde in the fifth house of children, but move back into the fourth house of parents. And so for some people that might connect those two topics in your life and force you to go back and review or renegotiate or just reassess the relationship between those two areas in some way so that something that you thought was finished previously has to be looked at again and sort of um, figured out anew. Mm -hmm. One of the things that's interesting about that retrograde in early March when it goes back into Aquarius into your fourth house is that it stations direct there on the 9th of March um, and then begins moving forward again in Aquarius. But this kind of cues up or prepares the way or paves the way for some other major transits in the same house that begin later that month in March, where on the 21st of March, Saturn moves into Aquarius into your fourth house. And then just a week later, Mars actually also completes its transit through Capricorn and moves into Aquarius also into your fourth house where those two planets, Mars and Saturn, quickly form a conjunction in the first degree of that sign. So that's a little tricky because it means we've got um, 
a Mercury retrograde there first in the fourth house. So there could be some miscommunication or some things that are up for review surrounding your home and living situation um, or potentially parents or family or private life. And that has to get worked out during the course of that Mercury retrograde. But then at the end of the month, we have this major shift where both of the more challenging planets move into the same sector of the chart. Yeah, so it's almost like that Mercury direct station earlier in March kind of tips off your attention to that area of your life for some reason, but probably not the same reason as later in the month. Because later in the month when Mars and Saturn go in there, that's when it's more like, oh, there's something that needs attention here for real. Like there's a problem or there's a, you know, an issue of some sort with regard to either your family or, um, you know, where you live or something about your house needs repair or, you know, things like this. But Mars and Saturn both being there, I would expect would be more of a, um, oh, a problem has cropped up in your home life. Yeah, so for Saturn, this is going to be a preview of a longer term transit because Saturn just kind of dips its toe into that sign for like three months. It moves in here at the end of March. And then um, what happens is it stations retrograde later on in May and then retrogrades out of that sign and leaves and goes back into Capricorn in early July. So this is just a preview then for like a few months of Saturn moving into your fourth house. Then it's going to come back to Capricorn for the entire second half of the year to finish up and sort of sweep up the rest of the dust and debris from that transit. And then at the very end of the year in December, late December of 2020, Saturn will return back to Aquarius and it'll stay in that sign for a couple of years which is the onset of a much more long-term transit where it'll just be moving back and forth in that sector of your chart for quite a while. So that means that starting 21st of March, we're seeing a preview of a major long-term transit. Um, so for some people, it's going to be more constructive and it may just have to do with restructuring things in terms of your home, your family life, and your private life in general. Uh, so maybe there's some things that have been um, you've like sort of go by, or there's some things that are in disrepair, like you said, that sort of have to be addressed, either very literally. Sometimes ha people have that, or sometimes more metaphorically, um, involving your private life. Sometimes it's things going on with your parents, or even your relationship with your parents, and needing to reassess and restructure that. For other people, there might be um, a longer-term series of setbacks or difficulties in this area that especially this preview period should trigger or should set off in some significant way so that you see um, a sort of series of events that's going to take a while to clean up over the course of the next two or three years. Mm -hmm. And I think that's especially the case right at the beginning of this transit because of that conjunction of Mars and Saturn as soon as both of them change signs. So that whether you have like a day chart or a night chart, everybody with Scorpio rising is going to be getting that conjunction right in their first house um, immediately upon both of those planets ingressing. So here's the conjunction. It happens around March 30th, March 31st, around zero degrees of Aquarius. Of course, if you have early degrees of fixed signs, that's going to be more important for you, like zero degrees of Aquarius, zero Taurus, zero Leo, or zero Scorpio. Um, but it means whether you have a day chart or a night chart, there's just the potential for some challenging event or some major obstacle to arise at this point, especially in the first month or so of that transit 
um, while both Saturn and Mars are moving through that sign. Mm -hmm. So Saturn moves in on the 21st of March, Mars on the 30th, and then Mars doesn't depart from that sign until the 13th of May. Um, yeah, July 1st, I think. Oh, so sorry, you said Mars. Yeah. Sorry, I meant Saturn. Okay. Okay. So yeah, and now if something crops up, which it probably will to some degree for most Scorpio rising people with regard to your home life or something with your parents, um, you need to attend to it, but I, I don't want people to worry too much about this being a preview of this longer transit because when you get the longer transit later on, um, Jupiter is actually going to swap out with Mars and it's going to be a bit better. So even if, you know, I don't want to scare people if something kind of rough comes up at this time, it's not necessarily going to feel that way the entire time when you have Saturn come back later in the year. Yeah, that's a good point because we didn't have that with Saturn going into Capricorn at first where we just had like two years of Saturn grinding through Capricorn and grinding through the third house. And it wasn't until the last third of that this year that Jupiter showed up and started balancing things out. Mm -hmm. Whereas while we have this three-month period of Saturn initially dipping into Aquarius and then retrograding out, by the time it fully goes into Aquarius in late December, it moves in almost simultaneously with Jupiter for the first year of that transit. Yeah. So we'll get there at the end of the year, but um, it won't be the same exact experience later on. Good point. All right. So that's the last major thing that's happening in March is just the onset of that transit of both Saturn and Mars into Aquarius. Then we move into April. Um, April sees the conjunction of Jupiter and Pluto towards the beginning of the month. And one of the things that's interesting is that now that both Mars and Saturn have departed from Capricorn, that pretty much just leaves Jupiter and Pluto uh, to their own devices in your third house for a few months, basically. So it's just Jupiter um, sort of unleashed and able to manifest some of those powers of like growth and expansion and stabilization in your third house. Um, but since it's also conjoining Pluto at the same time, there might be a tendency a little bit to go a little bit overboard and maybe go too far in trying to expand in the third house so that um, trying to caution and trying to have some discipline might still be called for or might still be necessary. Yeah, the Pluto is a long-term transit like we were talking about earlier, so it's been sort of gradually transforming something about third, third house matters for you is the way you communicate or something about deepening your focus or deepening your thinking about a certain topic or things like that. So that's just continuing, but Jupiter's kind of like joining Pluto to amp that up, whether that's still sort of um, in the destruction phase for you in terms of you know, wiping out something, your previous thought process or way of communicating or things like that, or even a relationship with a relative or sibling, or whether you are now into the sort of empowerment and building sort of um, a higher, building to a higher level than you have been before in any of those areas of your life. Right. Because that's what Jupiter and Pluto do together. They It's like an amped up expansion power. Sure. Yeah. Um, so that exact conjunction is taking place. I think it's the first of like two or three or probably three, three. Mm -hmm. conjunctions um, on the 4th of April. And the only other major thing is that Pluto stations retrograde later in the month on the 25th, which is just a further intensification and emphasis on the same conjunction more or less at that point. Mm -hmm. So that's the only major outer planet thing happening in April, of course. You know, Saturn and Mars are still working their way through Aquarius and through the fourth house, so that's still working in the background. Mm -hmm. Then we move into May, and 
what happens in May is that Saturn stations retrograde in Aquarius on the 11th of May, and there's an intensification of whatever it's trying to do and whatever it's trying to indicate as it transits through your fourth house. This is going to be one of those pivotal moments where whether the events are internal or external, you would probably really start to feel what that transit is about and get the clearest idea of what that three-year transit is going to result in in your life during this time. Interestingly, it's only two days later that Mars um, exits that sign and moves into Pisces. So it gets out of, it completes that transit through your fourth house around the same time and moves into your fifth house of children, uh, creativity, hobbies and pursuits, as well as sexuality. Um, simultaneously, we have Venus stationing retrograde in Gemini, which is your eighth house of shared resources, mortality, and other people's money. And Jupiter, the very next day on the 14th of May, is stationing retrograde in Capricorn in your third house. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of a lot that all gets packed into that what is it, the second week of May, basically? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot packed in, but it's kind of a jumble of like assorted different things, mm -hmm. different energies, different areas of your life being focused upon. The Venus retrograde happening in your eighth house could, you know, any retrograde brings a revisiting of whatever topic it's, it's happening with. So this may be a revisiting or a restructuring of some sort of um, financial arrangement you have with a partner, anything around shared resources that you may have at home. Um, it could also be um, revisiting things that involve the other financial topics besides income, such as taxes, loans, debts, and so forth, things with mortgages, all of that. Mortgages may be you know, true for some people, given the activity in your fourth house of home, certainly not everyone, um, but that could be one tie-in between the fourth and eighth um, or inheritance. Um, the Venus retrograde, though, this year is happening. It's stationing retrograde exactly square Neptune. And so that's something to watch out for because while um, a retrograde through your eighth house could you ha could have you kind of poring over numbers or you know revisiting thin things that you normally want to be pretty like cut and dried and factual, um, it's going to be exactly square Neptune, and that might fuzzify things in a way that you know you might not understand until after the retrograde. Right. I think the YouTube captioning is going to have problems with the word fuzzify. <laughs> I think it's a fine word. <laughs> okay, we'll see. That'll be a good test. See how advanced Google's algorithm is. Um, nebulousness, that's, yes. another, that's another word I've been using mm -hmm. over and over again for this Neptune transit through the fifth house, but especially um, that Venus retrograde square mm -hmm. where Venus stations in your eighth house of shared resources as we can see there at about 21 degrees of Gemini and it's squaring Neptune at 20 degrees of Pisces in your fifth house mm -hmm. of children and um, sexuality and other things like that. So um, there could be some crossover between those topics that is unique to this Venus retrograde, although this Venus retrograde, one of the tricks for any Venus retrograde is to look back in eight-year increments because the last time Venus went retrograde in Gemini was in uh, 2012. Mm -hmm. So looking back and seeing if there were any eighth house type themes that came up in your life involving either mortality or shared resources or other people's money in general could give you some preview of what this Venus retrograde period in the same house is going to look like. Mm -hmm. Or go back eight years before that to 2004 and so on and so forth, depending on how old you are. Right. And 
you know, if you do have like children that are old enough to be dealing with financial topics, that could be a tie-in. I mean, any of those fifth house topics could be, but sort of a more, you know, easy logical one is, you know, dealing with like um, shared resources involving your adult children or dealing with, you know, writing up wills and, you know, how that affects your kids and things like that. That's not going to be true for everyone, of course, but it is one sort of obvious connection for some people with Scorpio rising. Yeah. And also, um, like child support oh, yeah. can be a manifestation of a connection between the eighth house of like your partner's or former, former partner's resources mm -hmm. and the fifth house of children. Yeah. Venus going retrograde is slowing down and for, forcing you to pay more attention to that area and maybe even revise something that was established previously, especially like an agreement between two people is a very Venusian type thing. Mm -hmm. So those are some possible manifestations of that. Mm -hmm. And while you're revising those things, I would say, you know, just because it's stationing square Neptune, um, normally I would say this more about Mercury retrogrades, but since it's involving like uh, an area of your life, you normally want to be pretty factual about like, you know, your finances. Um, you probably want to wait. And if you can, if you have the leeway to until after Venus goes direct to kind of complete whatever you're doing in that financial area, just to make sure that you have everything straight and that Neptune hasn't been sort of like, you know, putting wool over your eyes or even that you just didn't see something through no fault of anyone's. Right. All right. So, and then we have the Jupiter station, but that's just um, an intensification of some of that third house transit that we've already talked about in previous months with mm -hmm. respect to communication and siblings or even um, travel. Mm -hmm. So that takes us into June. Uh, the Venus retrograde is hits its halfway point through the cycle when it conjoins the sun on the 3rd of June. So it's halfway over at that point, although it doesn't actually station direct and complete the retrograde until the 25th of June, so towards the end of the month. Before we get there, there's a three actually important things. One of them is there's a lunar eclipse which takes place in Sagittarius, mm -hmm. which is your second house of finances and personal possessions and resources. So there's some sort of culmination of events or some sort of spotlight that is shed on your second house of financial matters. Um, so this could indicate some sort of culmination of events with respect to finances where they become more important and more of the focus than they have in other times in your life. Mm -hmm. I think this is the first eclipse in Sagittarius, right? Yeah, it is. This is kind of nestled into what is otherwise the Cancer Capricorn series that will finish after this summer. And then the Gemini Sagittarius polarity of eclipses will start in full at the end of 2020 for about a year and a half. So this is the very first one in that series. So it kind of introduces a new theme, even though that definitely also ties into that Venus retrograde in the eighth house of shared resources we were just talking about. Um, there's a new um, emphasis on the financial parts of your chart, the second house of your own income and possessions, and the eighth house of shared resources. Right. So this is a one of the first previews of a real shift because the nodes move into Sagittarius and Gemini by this time or around this time, and it uh, cues up a set of a series of eclipses that will take place six months from now. So this first eclipse in that axis is probably going to open up a series of events that will grow and develop and mature between now and December, and then it'll really get going in December once we have um, the first full set of eclipses on that second house axis of your finances versus the eighth house placement of other people's finances. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's good. That happens really early in the month on the 5th. 
Um, then a couple of weeks later, we have our second Mercury retrograde of the year. This time, Mercury is stationing retrograde in Cancer um, in your ninth whole sign house, which is the place of education, uh, philosophy, and travel, as well as like foreign places and foreign people. Uh, Mercury stations retrograde in Cancer and retrogrades all the way back to the early part of that sign. Mm -hmm. uh, before eventually stationing direct three weeks later, like it always does, because Mercury retrogrades are always three weeks long, and it eventually stations direct um, in Cancer on the 12th of July. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, and this will happen also around the eclipse in Cancer, which I think will be the last Cancer eclipse. Mm -hmm. So, this is kind of ending a whole series. Um, it's sort of temporarily putting more attention, very temporarily, on the ninth house of, you know, foreign travel and religion, philosophy, higher education, any of those topics. But um, this is kind of the last hit before the eclipses move on, certainly. So there may be another culmination here, uh, sorry, another um, kind of temporary new start that's like a six month start. But at the same time, there's a revisiting or there's a, you know, going back over something you already decided perhaps in one of those topics, in one of those ninth house topics, because of the retrograde kind of coinciding with the eclipse. But then after this, this will be, there'll be less attention after a while on this area. Yeah, it seems like a revisiting and sort of rethinking of something in terms of your ninth house and your personal philosophy, but also during the middle and during the process of that review of what you think and what you believe about the world, uh, laying a new foundation and planting some seeds that will grow and develop over the course of the next six months in that area due to the final eclipsing cancer um, that will then grow and turn into something over the course of the next six months that should be more solid and more permanent as a part of your life. But it's interesting that the initial trigger is a Mercury retrograde, so there's some sort of theme of having to go back and reassess things in that area of your life first. Mm -hmm. And that's not a bad thing to do anyway, because this is an area that's been experiencing eclipses for the past year or so. So you know, it's not bad to think back on like how has this area been? How has it changed for me over the past year, year and a half? Um, in any of those areas, you know, have I? Um, experienced other cultures more, even if I haven't traveled myself? Have I traveled more than usual? And that was like an expanding experience for me. Have I um, gone back to school or even just taken a shorter course of study, things like that. So it's good to think back to that. And then, yeah, you'll have one last little um, activation of that with the eclipse before we move on. Yeah. And one of the things about Mercury retrogrades, sometimes they can be kind of frustrating or it can force you to redo something or re revisit something, which can be annoying, frankly. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes the process of doing that, even if you have to redo something that you thought that you had finished, can be constructive. And the second time you do it, because you've already done it once, you do it better the second time than you did in the initial first pass. Mm -hmm. So just um, keep that in mind if you go through a frustrating period during this time, because it may end up helping you in the long term in a way that's not immediately evident, because that's a very common theme with solar eclipses is starting something that begins very subtly, but then grows and develops and turns into something much larger and much more significant in the long term than you ever imagined that it would uh, in the initial moments. Mm -hmm. All right, um, so we've got that. We've got the Neptune station. It's not really a big deal. The last major transit that's happening at the end of June is we have Mars ingressing into Aries. 
And normally this would just be a quick little jaunt of Mars through its home sign, but this one, this ingress is much more important than normal because Mars is getting ready to station retrograde and it'll move into Aries and it'll be moving through that sign normally, but then what will happen is it will slow down over the course of the next few months until it eventually stations retrograde at the very end of Aries and then begins moving backwards for several weeks before eventually stationing direct. And the end result of all of this is that Mars, from this point forward, um, as soon as it moves into Aries on the 27th of June, will then spend the entire rest of 2020 in the same sign of the zodiac, which is Aries, and going through or transiting through the same house in your chart, which is the sixth house. So the sixth house uh, traditionally has to do with things like work and health as the two primary things. Um, it can sometimes be a challenging house that pertains to things like illness or accidents or injuries, uh, but it doesn't necessarily always have to be worst case scenario type things, but other times it can just be putting greater emphasis and greater energy towards either your work or towards your health in order to maintain some like overall daily balance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Mars is going to be there for a good six months instead of six weeks. So there's going to be just a lot more attention paid to sixth house matters. Um, so whether you're working on like finding a job or doing something at your workplace that requires more energy than usual, uh, maybe you're having to work longer hours than, than you normally do, whether you either work for yourself or an external job, that's pretty common when Mars is going through the sixth house. Um, you do want to watch out for, you know, being more careful um, in terms of not injuring yourself or things like that, where there may be some sort of health matter you need to attend to. Um, for this is a more important transit for both Aries rising and Scorpio rising people because Mars rules your ascendant. So, you know, it's a more important transiting planet for you already. And then when it retrogrades, it's going to be for both of those rising signs retrograding back through um, a potentially health-related house. Although health won't be the major topic for everyone with Scorpio rising, but it could be. And I would say with Mars, you know, it's not retrograde yet. So you want to, you know, just kind of get ready for it, but it's not actually retrograde until September. But um, you want to pace yourself because Mars going through your sixth house is going to make you feel like you need to do all the things. The sixth house is like what you need to do during a day, whether that's, you know, work at home or work at a job or whatever. And so it's going to just have more work on your place, plate, but eventually less energy to deal with it. So you want to pace yourself and not act like you need to do it all in one day because it's going to be a six-month transit. Yeah, this is going to be not a sprint, but more of a marathon getting through a, a six-month transit of Mars and being able to have some level of like endurance is going to be necessary to cultivate, even though that may be like the last thing that you initially want to do is just you want to just get it done and, and sprint to the end of the finish line. But the problem with the Mars retrograde is there's going to be some potentially unexpected like detours along the way mm -hmm. that's going to force you to go in a much more circuitous route than you might want to initially or think is appropriate. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So yeah, once that enters, sort of be mindful of the work on your plate, but also try to take action, not just to get the stuff done, but to do it smartly so that you're not wearing yourself out too quickly. Sure. So that's one of the potential health issues is just overextending yourself and getting fatigued and expending all of one's energy during the course of this long transit. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, all right. Other potential issues are just like irritability in the workplace, getting into conflicts mm -hmm. in the work workplace, or potentially if you're the owner of a business with um, 
people that you're in charge of, people that are your subordinates or your employees, because mm-hmm. the sixth house also represents employees or subordinates. Mm-hmm. Um, pets. Sixth house is also yeah, pets. Somebody, is. somebody in a previous one. Yeah, I forget sometimes to mention that one. Yeah, it Some, could... somebody was having like a Saturn transit. I forget what rising sign it was, but they were talking about Saturn transits through their sixth and having issues with like pets over the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, it it sounds almost like silly, but I mean, it works. Like your pet could be more irritable, or they could have health issues. Like you could need to take your pet to the vet during this transit. Mm, right. Yeah. Pet having a like, bad hair day for six months. Well, no, I'm thinking okay. if you have a day chart, like it could actually be more like impactful. Yeah. Um, one of the things, I don't want to get too ahead of us, but one of the things that's going to be important about this transit is it's going to be squaring the third house Capricorn planets. And mm-hmm. there's going to be a few really important turning points, especially around the time when Mars stations retrograde, where it's going to be squaring Saturn and maybe creating some connection between the third house and the sixth house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll put that off for a month before getting there. Okay. All right. Um, we are now at the halfway point. We've made it halfway through the year. Perfect. Um, we're going to keep going here. We've got a lot of good comments coming through in the live chat. So thanks, everybody. Appreciate you all for joining us today. I guess there's, uh, what, 80 people in the live chat. Nice. So thanks for joining us. Everybody, if you're enjoying this, please give us a thumbs up on this video to help other people see it. And let's jump into the second half of 2020. Okay. All right. So July. Yeah. So we start July right off on July 1st, Saturn retrograding back into Capricorn, into your third house of siblings and short distance travel and communications. So there may be a feeling of you were kind of done with that area, especially after Mars and then Saturn both left that to go into your fourth house of home and family. But um, now there's a sense of, oh, I actually wasn't done with that. I need to finish that up. And Saturn will be back into Capricorn, into your third house for the rest of the year until partway through December. Yeah. So good news is that there's a temporary alleviation of the fourth house transits with respect to your home and living situation and parents. Mm -hmm. That kind of goes away suddenly, somewhat suddenly for a little while when Saturn leaves that sign and moves back into Capricorn. Uh, somewhat not so good news is that Saturn is back to the final, final phases of whatever that transit has been about for you for the past two and a half years now of Saturn going through Capricorn and going through your third house of siblings and communication and short distance travel and other matters like that. Mm-hmm. So the the final phases of thinking you're kind of done with something and there's probably been um, it's been like a breath of fresh air in that house for the past three months up to this point because Saturn and Mars got out of there and just left Jupiter there all on its own. Mm-hmm. So there's been a greater sense of like optimism and expansion. But then suddenly Saturn comes back into this house for one final pass. And for a lot of you, if you have planets in the earlier degrees of Capricorn or other cardinal signs, the more most intense phase of this transit is probably over. So most of you don't have to worry about it too much. But if you have things in late cardinal signs, like late Capricorn, then some of that intensity could come back for one final pass. Mm-hmm, definitely. But this isn't a new area. This is basically just finishing it up. So, you know, also, even if you do feel like a renewed heaviness or a renewed, like, oh, I have to pay attention to this again, um, don't worry at this point. That is what I like to point out about the timing of transits. Don't worry because this is the end. This is just basically till mid-December and then you're done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the last five or six months of this. And sometimes that's really just taking a broom and like 
cleaning up the pieces of whatever you've already been addressing in this house for the past two and a half years now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it can be just that finishing up. You know, for some people, you know, maybe you've been doing more prep work this whole time and then it's finally pulling the trigger on like whatever projects you're doing in that area or something like that. Right. Um, but either way, this is not anything new you're grappling with and you're almost done. Okay. So um, it's not just Saturn returning to that sign, but we also have a lunation there. Yeah, I think that's the last Capricorn eclipse, right? Yeah, let me just pull that up really quickly to make sure. Because I think mm -hmm. we, were having, we were having debates about some of these eclipses because they were like kind of far from the nodes, but right. I think they're close enough to count. Yeah, when they get um, this summer, in the summer of 2020, because of the nodes changing signs, all of the eclipses get kind of wide away from the nodes. And so, yeah, we we're kind of debating all of this, each one. But I think that one counts. It's yeah. just wide. Yeah, so here it is. So it's a lunar eclipse that takes place in the sign of Capricorn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's just re-emphasizing some of the Capricorn stuff, weirdly. And since it's a lunar eclipse or a full moon, um, it's representing a culmination or a maturation of the sequence of events and things that have been initiated in that sign over the course of the past year and a half that the eclipses have been taking place there, but even more broadly the past two and a half years that Saturn's been transiting through that sign. Mm -hmm. So it's really just reemphasizing some of the notions we were already talking about of Saturn returning to that sign making the final pass and maybe the final push or culmination after a long series of like building up things in that area of your life over the past couple of years. Yeah, so basically just echoing all the same things we were saying about the last bit of Saturn's transit. Um, this is the last Capricorn eclipse of that whole series. And then we're going to switch entirely to Sagittarius and Gemini at the end of the year. So basically, um, even if there is more activation in this area, it's kind of one last bit. It's it's not going to keep being activated over and over at, after this point. Yeah, and one of the things is probably just reaching a new level of being able to communicate that which you know um, because of the bouncing back and forth between eclipses in the ninth house of uh, wisdom and knowledge versus the third house of how you communicate it. And since this is the final in the entire series, there's probably some new level that you've reached at this point in terms of communicating things that you'll start to see the results of and you'll start to realize um, how far you've come in terms of that over the past couple of years over the course of the next six months after this eclipse, um, since that's the, the effect or the time window that eclipses usually have. Mm -hmm. All right, so that happens right at the beginning of the month, but is basically in effect for the rest of the month. And that's those are the two major things that are happening in July, Yeah, the two main signatures for July. Once we get to August, there's not a lot, even though it looks like there's a lot, this is mainly inner planet transits that we don't really have to address here. The only major long-term outer planet transit is that Uranus stations retrograde at 10 degrees of Taurus on the 15th of August. So this is the furthest that Uranus has actually gotten into Taurus since it moved into that sign over the course of the past couple of years. So it's pretty notable, especially if you have any planets at around 10 degrees of the fixed signs, especially 10 degrees of Taurus. Mm -hmm. 
So this reactivates all the same things we were talking about back in January. This is the second out of the two stations that Uranus will make this year. So it gets the farthest, as you just said, in terms of degree through the sign. It also stations retrograde to go back over the degrees it's already covered since January. So if you have any planets in between um, two and a half and like ten and a half, then it'll start going back towards those again after mid August. But basically, we're focusing on the station here for mid-August because that imprints, you know, a good, I would say, what, a few, maybe a couple weeks with that kind of energy? Yeah, there's probably an orb of a couple of weeks at least. Because mm -hmm. so, it's basically, once it slows down in the stationary, it's basically in that degree for that long, at least a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. And it's with certainly within a degree of that for a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this intensifies again that um, potential manifestations regarding unexpectedness, change, innovation, and so forth with regard to your partnership or major one-on-one -on -one interactions. Right, or sometimes just uniqueness or like weirdness, mm -hmm. like the importing of weirdness into your life, either in the sphere of partnership or through whoever you're partnered up with at that time. Mm -hmm. That's true. People often talk about transits through their seventh house and meeting people with those kind of signatures. Yeah, that either have a Uranian signature in their own birth chart or who maybe have that going on in their own chart in some ways so that there's something Uranian going on in this other person's life who comes into your life or in your partner's life at that time. And somehow they're the one that brings in this element of, in some instances, like instability or chaos, or in other instances, like excitement and unpredictability in a positive way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it can be unexpectedness and instability sometimes, you know, like your partner's acting more erratic than usual, or there's major ups and downs compared to before the transit started. Um, I have talked with some Scorpio rising clients who said the transit already started out for them with their partner kind of like coming out of left field going, I'm not happy with this, or, you know, I want to do this, or maybe your partner wants to change their life in some respect and that affects yours. Um, but, you know, some people have already been kind of working that out and saying, I was, uh, I was kind of surprised at first, but now things are even better. So it can go that way too. It's not always, you know, people get nervous sometimes when you talk about Uranus transits in the partnership house, but it's not always like your partner's going to suddenly up and leave you or something like that. It can be good surprises as well. Right. Definitely. Um, yeah. It'll depend on how your birth chart's set up and like mm -hmm. what degrees, especially are around 10 degrees of the fixed signs, if any. Yeah. This is a long-term, almost decade-long transit that's going to be going on through 2025, I think. Mm -hmm. That's when Uranus finally moves into Gemini. Something like that. Yeah. Somewhere around the middle mm -hmm. part of the decade. So there's still a long way to go. And for some of you, especially if your ascendant isn't until the later degrees of Scorpio, this may not be something that reaches the most critical or the sort of pivotal culminating point until later on during the course of that transit. Mm -hmm. It's more people that have their ascendant in like the first decan of Scorpio, mm -hmm. the first through the 10th degree that are going to get hit by it more this year yeah. or where it's going to be more prominent. Yeah. What's a better What's a better term? <laughs> yeah, hit by hit. it isn't really like it's a good get way to talk about. Smacked by Uranus <laughs> to get the, the light, the light going, brush. You're going to be gently awakened. <laughs> gently uh, caressed by Uranus. Something like that. <laughs> I don't think that's what Uranus yeah, does. No, it doesn't. <laughs> okay. No, it's more like shocking, unexpected things, and that really can be value neutral depending on the specifics and like how that plays out for you, depending on your own birth chart. Right. Yeah. 
All right. So that's really the main thing in August, and that's really right in the middle of the month.、Mm -hmm. I mean, we of course have the backdrop of some of the other long-term transits that are still. It's not that those other transits aren't in effect. Yeah. It's just that we may not necessarily be in the most critical turning point of some of them、mm -hmm. until we move to the following month. <laughs> right. <laughs> Foreshadowing the, here. And then we are. <laughs> right. So、uh, on the ninth of September. Uh, one of the more notable transits of the year happens, and this is Mars slows down and it stations retrograde at 28 degrees of Aries、mm -hmm. uh, in the sixth house for those with Scorpio rising. Yeah, so this is where some of those factors come into play that we were starting to talk about with the beginning of the transit at the end of June. Um, once it entered Aries and into your sixth house, so it's been slowing down really since then. It's just been kind of like proceeding, but going slower and slower and slower until it finally stations September ninth to go retrograde. And so this is one of the major turning points if you're going to have major things with regard to either your work, your work, your workflow,、um, what's on your work plate, or your health,、um, or even just health routines that you need to kind of refigure. This is one of the two turning points around that process. And this is, you know, when Mars is actually retrograde, when it stations to go retrograde, is typically the more frustrating part because this is where if there's something that's going to crop up. To、um, frustrate whatever efforts you're trying to move forward with in this area to, of your life,、um, and cause you to have to either go back over what you were just doing for the past couple months or re retool something about that, this is when it will happen. Yeah, and that's kind of emphasized, like those notions of Mars slowing down and stationing retrograde and getting diverted and like wanting to move forward, which is. Of any of the planets, like Mars, is the one that wants to press forward the most,、mm -hmm. and instead, it's sort of frustrated by having to do a U-turn and go back and deal with something it had been through previously, which astronomically is literally retracing its steps and going backwards in the zodiac instead of forwards. But symbolically, sometimes means slowing down and sticking with something or returning back to something that it had. Attempted to finish previously, or thought it had finished.、Mm -hmm. So that's kind of、um, exacerbated in this instance because Mars is stationing at 28 degrees of Aries, and that's actually pretty closely within about three degrees square Saturn at 25 degrees of Capricorn in your third house. So that really just reemphasizes some of the frustrating, constraining type significations in terms of what's going on with Mars at this time. Especially for people with placements in the later degrees of cardinal signs, like twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine degrees of, let's say, Aries or Capricorn, especially.、Mm -hmm. That's kind of there's a, there's a lot of tension there, and and sort of like frustration between the sixth house of work and health, and the third house of communication, siblings, and、uh, like movement or travel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in one way or another, those two will kind of be at odds. Those two areas of your life will be temporarily at odds, and it's not to say that they that has to be a forever thing. But yeah, temporarily, you'll probably find that something about retracing your steps in the the sixth house of work and health is somehow running into your long term efforts in that third house. And this will probably be more frustrating feeling because they're both almost all the way through their signs when they retrograde. So Mars is like just had two degrees. Is left before it was finished entirely with your sixth house, and similarly Saturn, you know, most of the way through Capricorn, and even having a 
already gotten through all the degrees of Capricorn and then retrograded back. So, you know, I would say, yeah, I mean, I think we're in agreement that frustration is a really good keyword for these this time period. Yeah, so I'm thinking, I'm trying to think of some possible combinations of manifestations if it was a direct connection between the sixth and the mm -hmm. third house instead of just something that's happening in parallel. Mm -hmm. But if it was a direct connection, it could be something like feeling frustrated about um, communication issues in the workplace. Mm -hmm, so sure. communication being a third house thing and the workplace being a sixth house thing. Mm -hmm. um, also, there could be like um, problems in terms of movement or in terms of transportation, like having a Mars square Saturn between the third house of short distance travel, which indicates things like cars, and the sixth house, which can be the house of accidents. So being careful mm -hmm. around this time, especially not to do anything impulsively like you know pull out in front of traffic mm -hmm. uh, or something potentially dangerous like that definitely i was thinking also things like you know some sort of frustration with your ability to have transportation to work and that causing problems in the workplace i know that's a pretty common thing right like your car breaks down and you have to start taking the bus but then it makes you late to work yeah. and creates tensions in the workplace or exactly. something like that yeah or vice versa mm-hmm yeah, so those are different possible manifestations because like with all of these placements, we're dealing with broad archetypes that could manifest in a, a number of different, in many different ways in terms of the specifics and in terms of the specific birth charts and the context of the individual lives involved. Mm -hmm. But here we're trying to <clears throat> dissect and get as close as we can to the individual manifestations by figuring what the core underlying archetype is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it won't be those specific ones we just mentioned for everyone. It may be for some people, um, but there'll be other aspects of the third and the sixth house that come out for the rest of the Scorpio Risings. Sure. So one of the things I like that's happening around this time that I think is helpful is that Jupiter stations direct in Capricorn and early Capricorn just a few days later. And I think that's going to help balance some things out in terms of the third house mm -hmm. um, and in terms of the potential scenarios of like worst case scenario versus less worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. Jupiter, at least if there's problems, seems to have an antidote or a way to rectify some of the problems to some extent. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of what it's doing by stationing direct there just a couple of days or a few days after Mars stations retrograde. Mm -hmm. um, so while there might be the introduction of a problem, there may also shortly after that be the introduction of a possible solution at the same time. Definitely. Yeah, I could see that being something like, so your car breaks down, so you have all those tensions with getting to work late because you're taking the bus now, but then you talk to someone, maybe your sibling perhaps, right, like since sibling it's in the third or house. Like a neighbor <laughs> so, or yeah. or extended relative. Uh huh. And they're like, oh, I have a car that I'm going to sell, but it'll be ready in like a month or two months or something like that. So it's like you have the hope introduced, but it, the problem isn't fully fixed yet. Right. Um, so that happens, the Jupiter station directing Capricorn. And then later in the month, um, Saturn stations directing Capricorn for the final time. Mm -hmm. And this is the final pivotal turning point for Saturn's entire three-year-long, or I guess it's up to two and a half years long, transit through Capricorn at this point, where from this point forward, it's going to um, turn around and slowly start moving forward and beginning the final march towards the end of Capricorn and its entry into Aquarius in December. Mm -hmm. So this is truly the last leg of the journey. Um, I'm trying to think of a famous journey. This is like Frodo in The Lord of the Rings has reached like Mount Doom mm -hmm. and is ready to throw the uh, ring into the volcano to destroy it. 
You're a big. <laughs> I was going to say, so fan? that's not my reference point, but okay. I always want to say similarly, perhaps, um, that every time we talk about this final Saturn station in Capricorn, I always want us to play the final countdown song, which is like a cheesy 80s song. Okay. Um, <laughs> like an 80s rock song. I mean, you could sing it here no, just I'm, to. I'm good. <laughs> okay, just to refresh us. But that's what it always makes me think of every time we talk about this, because this truly is like the final pivot point, the final major emphasis on this area in a Saturnian kind of way um, before it's done. Right. So wrapping up and cleaning up some things with respect to third house topics of like siblings, of travel, of communication, mm -hmm. maybe even education to some extent, mm -hmm. um, or things surrounding like neighbors, your neighborhood, and other things in terms of a restructuring of that area of your life. And hopefully by the end of it, putting uh, more firm foundations in that area that are a little bit more solid compared to when you first went into it. Mm -hmm, definitely. And if it's been a rough road, you know, you can have hope that this is really the last kind of um, stationing emphasis and stations always do emphasize whatever the planetary energy is. This is more of the like, this is a heavy area of my chart lately. Um, this is the last emphasis like that, and, you know, before it leaves in December. Yeah. So this is the final exclamation mark uh, behind that transit. And then it's on its way out after this point. Mm hmm. All right, so this is taking us into quarter, the last phase of what, quarter three? Mm, yep. All right. Or no, Wait, qu no quarter this four. This is quarter four. We're actually right. in quarter four. It's late. Our yeah, we're a little tired. Division uh, <laughs> capabilities are running a little low. Yeah. We're in the last phase of the year, and we're finally into quarter four, starting with October. Yes, the final countdown, as it were. Okay, <laughs> which we're not going to sing. <laughs> Uh, so October 4, one of the big things for me is that right in the middle of the month, we get the beginning of our third and final Mercury retrograde of the year, which begins in Scorpio on the 13th of October. One of the things that is notable about this, aside from the fact that it stations retrograde in Scorpio, which is the rising sign or the first house for those with Scorpio rising, the first whole sign house, is that it actually stations um, pretty closely opposite to Uranus. Mm. So I believe Mercury stations around 11 degrees of Scorpio and it's opposite to Uranus around 9 degrees of Taurus. Let me put that up really quickly. So there we see Mercury moving into Scorpio, then it slows down and stations retrograde at 11 Scorpio, while Uranus is at 9 degrees of Taurus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is pretty close. And while I normally don't focus a lot on Mercury retrogrades when we're looking at like a year-long period of time. That is, like you said, kind of more notable because it is in the first house for Scorpio rising. And so that's, you know, given that it's stationing retrograde closely opposite the Uranus transit in your seventh house of partnership, it's almost something like a feeling of your sort of revisioning who you are as an individual and how that lines up or doesn't line up well with changing things with regard to your partnership, if you are in a partnership. Yeah, um, and also potentially something about with Mercury stationing in the first, or even transiting the first, but especially stationed there, I think about um, finding one's voice mm -hmm. and the process of finding one's voice and sometimes that being 
a process where you have to go back and, and rethink like who you are and how you communicate with the world in general. Mm -hmm. But this either prompting or being prompted by some of the disruptions that are happening in the seventh house sphere of relationships coming from Uranus, or even perhaps in the process of sort of like finding your voice and rethinking who you are, that that is in and of itself something that creates some tensions or some of the instability indicated by Uranus going through the seventh house. Definitely. And oppositions are a natural tension. It doesn't have to be like the end of the world, but it is a natural tension because you're trying to work out like, you know, who am I, who am I, what do I, what do I stand for? Even in kind of like a smaller revisiting way, that's just like a, th a three week period and this longer, you know, transit of change in partnership. Yeah. So Mercury stations retrograde in Scorpio, but by the end of the month, it actually retrogrades back into Libra, into your 12th house. Um, and then eventually it will station direct in the very beginning of, no beginning of November, mm -hmm. on the 3rd of November, in the later degrees of Libra. Yeah, it stations direct around 27, I think, because it's square transiting Saturn at that time. All right. In your third house. So there's something about that, you know, again, it's it's hard for me to speculate on Mercury retrogrades for everyone, you know, even if it's the same rising sign. Um, but whatever it is, something about your revisiting, um, something about the way you communicate or something like that is running into a similar, you know, Mercury isn't the same as the third house, but they do have one overlapping theme, which is communication. So, you know, that could be an extra emphasis um, you know, when it's stationing direct on that issue in your life, how you communicate with other people, because they're both kind of indicating things about that. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting that it's, it catches the very tail end of the Saturn transit, as you said, because Mercury stations direct at 25 Libra, squaring Saturn at 26 Capricorn. Um, but it's taking place in the 12th house, which is kind of a tricky house, because the 12th can have to do with things like enemies or people who you don't get along with very well in your life. Mm -hmm. It can also pertain to um, self-undoing or ways in which we undermine ourselves. So there could be some challenging themes here where there's kind of a balance because it's connecting the first house transit and the twelfth house transit with finding one's voice at the beginning of it and re revising the way that one communicates, but also being careful that one doesn't somehow undermine themselves or somehow create enemies as a result of communication with Mercury stationing direct in the, the 12th house. Mm -hmm. Although sometimes there's not a lot you can do about that. Sometimes just by speaking your mind and communicating the way that you naturally communicate, sometimes it will just naturally rub some people the wrong way. Mm -hmm. um, and that could be part of the issue with a little transit like that stationing in the 12th house square Saturn, is there may not necessarily be something you can do to fix that. Mm -hmm, for sure. And for some people, it may be, you know, some sort of blind spot, um, you know, that they're speaking out of at that time. But or or involving enemies but for other people you know given that most of the mercury retrograde is in the first house of self i almost wonder if that just dipping back a little bit into the 12th house and then stationing direct there it might be for some scorpio rising people you know the 12th house can also be like things you weren't aware of your own subconscious motivations things like that things that are skewing your perspective unnecessarily and so certainly there's many other 12th house topics too but that's one of them and so you know it might be something like you suddenly become aware of you know something that was skewing the way you were presenting yourself or what you were thinking about and you know in kind of presenting yourself as an individual or how you were communicating with other people 
Yeah. I mean, Mercury retrogrades and 12th house transits are also very internal and very reflective. Mm -hmm. And with it squaring Saturn, it's almost like reflecting on some of the challenges that have happened over the past two or three years at the very tail end of that Saturn transit through the third house. Mm -hmm. So maybe it has to do with like communicating um, some of the difficulties one that has gone through or processing and reflecting on them as Mercury is going retrograde and stationing direct in the uh, 12th house and kind of channeling and reflecting on that Saturn square while we're basically in the very tail end last month of it. Mm -hmm. That could be. Okay. All right. So that is one of the signatures that's happening starting on the 13th of November and then ending in early December with the Mercury retrograde. It reaches its halfway point when the Merc when Mercury conjoins the Sun on the 25th of October, since that's the Sun Mercury Kazemi. So whatever the issue is that's initially set up at the beginning of the retrograde starts to find some resolution, and you start to see the light at the end of the tunnel by that point. Um, not a lot of other major stuff happening in October, so we skip forward to November. Here, the major major thing that happens is that Mars. Finally, after several weeks of being retrograde in Aries, it finally stations direct on the 13th of November in Aries mm -hmm. at about 15 degrees of Aries, I believe. Yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah, so this is the turning point, the major turning point, I would say. You know, we had the Mars station retrograde um, September 9th, and that kind of started that whole revisiting process of whatever was going on with regard to health or health routines or work. Um, or things with coworkers. And, you know, that was probably a fr frustrating couple months, but now it's finally turning around. And so this is the other major turning point within that cycle. There was one in between in mid-October, the Sun-Mars opposition, but here Mars is finally going direct and you can finally start straightening out and not quite moving forward quickly yet because it's going to take a little bit of time to pick up speed. Um, it won't go fast you know, quickly, but you know, you're finally on the right path. You're turning around, you're going direct again, and you're going to figure out and iron out anything that you, you know, had to go back over over the last couple months in that area. Yeah. And from this point forward, while some of the irritation or the frustration may still be present, it's starting to look like there's a light at the end of the tunnel and there will start to be from this point forward sort of a receding or a recession of some of that irritation as Mars just starts sort of casually coasting out of that sign mm -hmm. instead of this long grind that it's been going through for several weeks up to that point, starting especially when it first stationed retrograde in September. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it makes take some time, whatever the specifics are that you need to iron out, um, you know, either because the logistics of it actually take time or other people you're dealing with with regard to that. Um, you know, on their end are going to take time because this is square Saturn until they leave the signs. Um, but, you know, you're moving forward. You're finally moving forward. So this is a good turning point in mid-November. Okay. Uh, I'm just glancing at the uh, live chat and mm -hmm. we got a celebrity astrologer has joined us in the live chat. So Kurt Curtis Manwaring of Zodia Soft Technology, he has, shares an anecdote. He says, back in the mid-90s, I had a client who had an auto accident on the way to seeing me. Mars was transiting the sixth house, was exactly square my natal Saturn in the third. Um, some transits he's saying are exper experienced vicariously. Mm. So that's an interesting wow. manifestation. That is very interesting. 
right? Having the transit, but having it manifested in the life of like somebody around you, mm-hmm. which sometimes happens with the houses, especially when you mm-hmm. involve like perfections and stuff, which can shift where the house significations, what they're manifesting relative to. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for sharing that. If anybody else has any um, anecdotes about transits that they've had, or especially some of the ones we're talking about with like Saturn transiting through the third over the past couple of years, or any of those eclipses or anything like that, please let us know in the chat. Mm-hmm. Appreciate it. And with this more is transit going direct too, if any of you had that other manifestation of just kind of like losing energy for the last couple months, since Mars is so central to Scorpio rising, it being your ascendant and sixth house ruler, um, it'll probably start to come back at this point slowly, but it will still come back. Right. And I know that, you know, I've seen that happen with some people before, like they just become more exhausted during this transit, but then once it goes direct, things start getting better. Right. Sort of like a return of of vitality at that point. Mm -hmm, Exactly. All right. So that's the main thing that's happening in November. The only other major thing I wanted to mention is there is an eclipse. So at the very end of November, on November 30th, we enter abruptly back into eclipse season, Mm -hmm. uh, starting with a lunar eclipse, which happens in Gemini in your eighth house of shared resources and mortality. Mm -hmm. So this is shining a spotlight on that area of your life and indicating a sort of culmination of events or an emphasis on that area. It's probably not something new, but instead something that was initiated six months earlier, sort of comes to a culmination or comes to fruition at this point in that area of your life. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is also going to indicate um, an area of change for you over about the next year or so, um, because this is starting the eclipse season in full in terms of your both of your financial houses. So the eclipses are going to be in your eighth house of shared finances here, um, and then they also happen in the opposing sign, Sagittarius, your second house of your own income and possessions. So yeah, and that eclipse, that solar eclipse, is just two weeks later on the fourteenth of December. Mm-hmm, exactly. So that's a good point that we're opening up a. A window, window, or some would say a portal. Uh, <laughs> some in, would. <laughs> some would say a portal in the eighth house, second house financial axis. Mm, yeah. Okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> some astrologers are not um, on board with this terminology of eclipses being portals. Some might say that, some might not. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, um, but yes, this is going to be an area of greater change over the next year or so for you in your financial areas. And that, you know, that's going to be potentially, they go back and forth. So while the Gemini one at the end of November will technically technically be more focused on the shared resources or other people's money, you know, can be like wills, assets, you know, um, you know, inheritance, different things like that, or things like mortgages or, you know, taxes. Um, Obviously, all of the financial topics kind of influence each other. And so while this first one is happening in that shared resources area, that may then bounce back and affect something about your own finances and vice versa. Right. So my keyword for eclipses is that they're a time of great beginnings and great endings. So you're going to be seeing some great beginnings and some great endings in this area over the course of the next year or so as the eclipses bounce back and forth in these um, six-month increments. Mm -hmm. So this is one of those time periods where you're going to see some endings taking place in the eighth house of like shared resources, other people's money, or even issues surrounding mortality are sometimes things that come up when the eighth house gets activated, especially by eclipses, Mm -hmm. which can involve different things. Sometimes it can be constructive, like 
deciding it's time to like write a will or realizing you've never done that or something like that. Um, other times it can be, you know, important instances or actual like exposure to is issues surrounding mortality more seriously. Mm -hmm, for sure. Um, but yeah, the ideas of great beginnings and great endings is the main keyword that really I think comes up at this point with with eclipse season. For sure. And especially if you're partnered, you can kind of easily see how these two houses affect each other, particularly with the Uranus transit going through the seventh. So an example might be, for instance, um, someone's partner suddenly gets like a way better job and therefore the, your partner's income rises. Well, that was a change for your partner. Then it changes your shared resources and maybe that affects then how many hours you need to work at your job, which is your second house of income and vice versa. Maybe you get a new job and it's fabulous and then that changes something about what you you and your partner are able to do financially together in terms of your shared resources. So. Easily, if you are partnered personally, um, it can affect you know those things. Yeah, and I think it also might be connected with the other, the very last major set of transits that come up this year uh, in mid to late December, which is the great shift of the two major, the two largest planets in our solar system, which are Saturn and Jupiter. Mm -hmm. So this is the last major thing we have to talk about in this forecast, and it's actually potentially the biggest transit and the one that all the astrologers are talking about for 2020, which is that on the 17th of December, Saturn completes its almost exactly three-year transit through Capricorn at this point, and it moves into Aquarius where it's going to stay for the next couple of years. And then just two days later, uh, Jupiter does the same thing, and it ingresses into Aquarius, completing its one-year transit through Capricorn in your third house, and it moves into Aquarius for the next 12 months or so, which is your fourth house of the home and family and living situation and parents and private life. Mm -hmm. So this is bringing a tremendous amount of activity and focus on the fourth house for at the very least the next year as Jupiter and Saturn are transiting through that sign. And in the long term, Jupiter will leave after a year and go into Pisces and Saturn will stay moving through Aquarius for the next couple of years. Mm -hmm. So, and those two form actually a conjunction very soon after, which only happens once every 20 years, uh, very shortly after they move into Aquarius. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's going to be a lot of focus on your fourth house of home, family, parents, um, that sort of thing. Now, for some people, that's going to be your actual you know, dwelling that you live in, your your house, your apartment, whatever, you know, that could potentially tie in those, you know, shared resource topics, like if say you're buying a house for the first time or something like that, mm -hmm. you know, an eclipse in your shared resource area or, you know, which is the same house that governs like mortgages, um, you know, loans and that sort of thing. And then, you know, a lot more serious, responsible focus on the fourth, fourth house of, of home would make a lot of sense. Of course, that's only going to be true for some people, but that's one specific possibility. Um, other things, you know, having to pay more attention to something with regard to your parents um, can be true if you're older in particular and your parents are older. Mm -hmm. um, so that could be something as well. Now, as we said earlier, in the spring, the, the spring of 2020, there was a Mars and Saturn ingress into the fourth. So that earlier ingress might have indicated something more of like a problem in your home and living situation or something with your family. Um, but this, while it's still going to be Saturn coming back and forcing you to sort of take more responsible um, effort and attention to this area of your life, um, Jupiter's ingressing with it, which is a much different picture than, than Mars and Saturn. 
So this is yeah. more potential for opportunities or good things to come with this transit, even if you also need to kind of focus in a more serious fashion there. Yeah, there's definitely more of a sense of optimism and growth, um, especially because earlier in the year, especially for the people with day charts earlier in the year, that ingress of Mars simultaneously with Saturn was just kind of tense and kind of tumultuous for everybody. Mm -hmm. But certainly, especially for the people with day charts and to a lesser extent, the people with night charts, having Saturn and Jupiter move in at the same time does bring a bit of balance in terms of there being equal themes of both moving forward and like positive expansion as well as some of the like themes of contraction and sort of like um, trying to double down and, and achieve stability. Mm -hmm, definitely. So some themes of like gain as well as themes of loss, but there being more parity between them so that there's both um, potentially some positive things and perhaps some challenging things happening, but that it's a little bit more manageable than it could be otherwise. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And it will be more noticeable as a positive opportunity for those born during the day that have Scorpio rising, but you know, it'll still be a better situation than Mars and Saturn in there for everyone. Yeah, definitely. Um, than just like Saturn moving through on its own mm -hmm. um, if it was a night chart without Jupiter. Right, exactly. So and even though Jupiter doesn't usually bring as big of opportunities um, for people born at night versus people born during the day, it usually still brings something, you know, even if it's more modest. And so, you know, that's much better than just Saturn there. Sure. So yeah, that's the last major change that happens. And I guess we've already talked about topics. I mean, it could be major stuff involving the parents and things that are happening in your parents' life or in terms of your relationship with your parents. It could have to do with your home and your living situation and like what your living situation is mm -hmm. and major changes and restructuring when it comes to that. Uh, it could also have to do with your private life and whatever constitutes your private life as opposed to the 10th house, which is more like your public life. Mm -hmm. um, but just some major developments of both expansion and contraction taking place uh, starting in December of 2020 and then really lasting for most of pretty much the entirety of the following year. For sure. Which is starting to get us precariously close to getting into the forecast for 2021. But I don't know if you want to <laughs> stick around for that. I don't, I don't think we're going to do all of that tonight. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I guess we'll have to return again uh, next year to talk about the forecast for Scorpio rising for 2021. Sounds good. I'll pencil that in. Okay. Put it on your Google calendar. Okay. All right. All right. Well, thanks a lot for joining me for this. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Uh, you've been in two now, two three. forecasts, three? This will be three. This will be three. Okay. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you. I'm still making my way through my forecast for each rising sign. This was number eight. Mm -hmm. So I've just got a few more to go. Yes. Two thirds of the way done, if I'm calculating right at this time of night. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, I appreciate everybody who's been cheering me on in the chat, both on Twitter and in the live stream. That's been amazing. So thank you very much. Uh, thanks to Lisa. We, I'm just looking at some comments. Um, we've got to do a few plugs before we wrap things up. So one of those things is that most of the artwork that we used for this episode comes from a set of posters that we just released over the past couple of weeks. 
And it's this um, package where it comes with three posters, and one of them is the planetary alignments poster that shows all of the ingresses of all of the planets and all the lunations and retrograde stations and major aspects and everything else in a single wall poster at a glance so that you can sort of have or just look at your wall and see when all of the major transits that we just talked about in this episode will take place. We've also got the planetary movements poster that shows where the planets start at the beginning of the year and where they end up by the end, as well as a poster that shows the significations of the 12 houses so you can know exactly what topics are getting activated when each of these planets move into different signs. So you can find out more information about that at theastrologypodcast.com slash 2020 posters. Additionally, Lisa and I just released a couple of weeks ago our annual 2020 auspicious elections full year ahead electional report where we actually sat down and we went through each of the next 12 months and we picked out one lucky day for launching different types of ventures or undertakings using the principles of electional astrology and we're actually able to find some really good electional charts uh, during the course of researching that report, and we put it out in a two-year or two-hour recorded video, just like this one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we also have a whole written report that goes with it, so you can glance back at it during the year. Um, going through 2020 was kind of arduous, so we really want all of you to benefit from our efforts in, you know, seeking through all of the challenging astrology to find the best possible dates and times to start new things to have them um, go better than expected. Right. So you can find out more information about that at chrisbrennanastrologer.com slash 2020 elections. And I'll put a link to this in the comments section below this video once we finish the live stream and the video recording is up. Um, other than that, we've got to give a shout out to all the patrons. There's a bunch of patrons who support the astrology podcast and pretty much are the only reason we're able to do marathon recording sessions like this because there are people that are donating just like a dollar each, each time we put out a new episode or, or a variety of things. But basically without them, we wouldn't be able to do this. So in particular, I wanted to give a special shout out to patrons Christine Stone, Nate Craddock, and Tanner Robinson, as well as the Astro Gold Astrology app available at astrogold.io, the Portland School of Astrology at portlandastrology.org, and the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs at honeycomb.co. There's two major astrology conferences that are happening this year. The first is hosted by the International Society for Astrological Research, which is hosting a conference in Denver, Colorado from September 10th through the 14th of 2020. You can find out more information about that at esar2020.org. Additionally, the Northwest Astrological Conference is happening in Seattle from May 21st through the 25th, and that's something you can find out more information about at norwac.net. So if you'd like to become a patron of the podcast and get early access to new episodes, uh, private episodes that are only available to patrons and other bonus content, you can find out more information at patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. All right, that is it for this forecast. Um, thanks again, Lisa, for joining me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Uh, for helping me to guide and navigate the Scorpio Rising for 2020. Mm -hmm. I think we did a pretty good, pretty comprehensive job. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing how this all turns out for everyone. Definitely. It should be an interesting year. May you live in interesting times. Right. <laughs> all right. And thanks, everybody, for joining us in the live chat for this live stream. I appreciate it. Uh, appreciate all your comments. Uh, thank you. I'm going to take a little break and then decide if I'm going to try to do one more horoscope of Sagittarius, which I was going to try to do tonight, or if I'm going to put that off till tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But we'll see what happens. And I'll probably 
post an update on Twitter whenever I decide to start the next live stream. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Good luck this year. Let us know how it goes. Um, please be sure to like this video, subscribe to the channel, and post a comment below um, if you enjoyed this video or want to share something about transits that you've been experiencing so far this year. So good luck in 2020, and we will see you again next year for the forecast for 2021. Mm -hmm. Thanks for listening. Have a great year. Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and this is your horoscope for Sagittarius and Sagittarius Rising for the entire year of 2020. Joining me today is astrologer Lisa Scheim. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Chris. And we're going to be looking at the astrology of the next 12 months. We're going to focus primarily on like big picture, taking a wide angle uh, view of mainly the long-term outer planet transits and some of the longer inner planet transits, especially when they go retrograde. And there's actually a lot of retrogrades this year. Mm -hmm. um, but we're not going to focus too much on like the individual like short-term transits, but instead try to get a big picture for the Sagittarius people, which I think of all the signs Sagittarius would appreciate the most. Yeah, definitely. It's known to be like wide, expansive, etc. So yeah, big picture for this one. All right. So we're doing this as a live stream today. Thanks everyone for joining us uh, in the chat. Uh, let us know if you've joined us. Please give us a thumbs up or a like on this video to let more people see it. And why don't we jump into the astrology of January? All right. All right. So we're going to go month by month. We're going to look at a few different pieces of like diagrams and artwork. One of them is this planetary movements uh, poster, which I just released a few weeks ago is like a poster package, but it shows where the planets will start at the very beginning of the year and how far through the signs of the zodiac they will get by the end of the year. We're plotting it against um, Sagittarius as the rising sign as the first house because for these horoscopes, we would definitely recommend primarily looking at them from the perspective of your rising sign. So if your ascendant is in Sagittarius, for example, then this is going to speak to you the most because then we're going to be able to look at the 12 houses, which are the 12 sectors of your chart that tell you what areas of your life are activated at any given point in time. You can also look at these horoscopes from the perspective of your sun sign, especially if you're born during the day and your sun was in the zodiac sign of Sagittarius, or if you're born at night and your moon sign was in the sign of Sagittarius, then it may be relevant for you as well. But primarily, we're focusing here on the rising sign. Mm -hmm. All right. So that is one thing we're looking at. The other thing we're looking at is the planetary alignments uh, poster, which is another poster that I have, which shows when planets will move into different signs of the zodiac during the course of each month, when planets will station retrograde or direct, as well as major aspects and lunations like new moons, full moons, and eclipses. So let's start here with the astrology of January of 2020. Somehow, because I'm running incredibly late and doing these horoscopes, we're already on the 9th of the month. So we're already at the 9th of January. Mm -hmm. And as we can see from this diagram, we've already reached one of the crucial, sort of pivotal timeframes, few day timeframes of this month, maybe the most pivotal timeframe of this month, where a bunch of major outer planet and other type of activity starts taking place, right? Yeah, there's an unusual cluster of three days in a row that have um, things that would be notable each on their own. So we have a Cancer lunar eclipse, and then we have Uranus stationing direct and in Taurus, and then we have a Saturn-Pluto conjunction going exact, finally, in Capricorn. So it's three things in a row that we could definitely talk about separately, and we will here for a moment. But yeah, just know that this is an unusual cluster to happen in such short period of time. Right. Um, let's see, where should we start? Why don't we start with the eclipse, mm -hmm. which takes place on the 10th of the month, which aka tomorrow. tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is taking place, it's a lunar eclipse in the sign of Cancer, 
which is happening in the eighth house for those with Sagittarius rising. So the eighth house is traditionally in astrology, and ancient astrology especially is the house that has to deal with mortality and issues surrounding mortality. Uh, but it also deals with shared resources and the general topic of other people's money in general and the role that that plays in your life uh, in particular. Mm -hmm. So this is an eclipse series that isn't new. It's been going on for about a year in Cancer and Capricorn in both of your financial houses um, because they happen in two opposing signs generally six months apart. So this isn't a new topic for you. Um, probably about six months ago, there was something else that happened around this topic. But it's another wrinkle in the story, potentially, um, if it does activate things for you. And so that could be things like your partner's income. There's a change in that. That can be your, something to do with your shared resources. If you either have a personal or business partnership and you share any money, um, that's the area that that touches, the eighth house. Um, other financial topics that are in the eighth house are like loans, taxes, debts, mortgages, any of those financial topics that aren't directly income or your own possessions. Yeah, and since this is a lunar eclipse, it's probably representing a culmination of events or a coming to fruition or maturation of something that you initiated earlier, um, at the very least probably six months prior when there was a solar eclipse in the sign of Cancer. But really, since we're getting towards the end of this entire eclipse series that's been going on for more than a year, maybe like a year and a half now, uh, we're going to start to wrap up this phase of development and this phase of the keyword I always use for eclipses is great beginnings and great endings. So more of a sense of ending somehow in this area of your life as you start to wrap up and get ready to move into a new phase where the eclipses are going to shift towards your first house, seventh house axis, especially later this year over the summer. Mm -hmm. So this will be the second to last one in your eighth house. There'll be one last one in the summer. So we have the Cancer Eclipse. The Saturn-Pluto conjunction kind of ties into that because it's happening in the opposite um, sign and house in Capricorn in your second house of your own income and finances. And so this is an area that you've been working on for a good couple years already. Um, Pluto went into Capricorn in 2008 and then Saturn went in at the end of 2017. So the combination has been there for a couple years plus the eclipses. And so for many Sagittarius rising people, there's been something that you've been working on with regard to your own financial picture, whether that's getting a higher paying job, whether that's um, working to start your own, your own business, any sort of financial topics in your life is, has been an area of focus and effort for the past couple of years. And there's one year left. And this is just kind of a little peak in the activity because it is the exact conjunction of those two planets. Yeah, uh, an intensification of the activity. And for some people, especially the people with night charts who are born during the nighttime with um, Sagittarius rising, this transit of Saturn going through Capricorn has probably been a little bit more difficult for financial matters. There may have been some major obstacles or blockages or even like setbacks that have come up in the sphere of finances over the past couple of years since December of 2017. Um, there's a little bit of a continuation. I mean, the good news is the bad news is there's a little bit of continuation of that as we sweep up and finish the last third of that transit between now and December of this year. Um, so that's actually the bad news. The good news, though, is that you've entered into the final phase of it. We're in the final stretch of that transit. And also, there should be some alleviation this year and some 
um, if things have been a little bit more difficult financially the past couple of years, there should be some balance that starts coming into play because the other planet that's transiting through Capricorn this year is Jupiter, which just ingressed into that sign maybe a month or so ago, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and, and Jupiter tends to be more about growth and expansion and stability, which is really almost the opposite of Saturn and is bringing some balance. Um, to the more conservative or constricting side of Saturn that's been activating that financial sector of your chart for about two years now? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I would say the keyword for Saturn and Pluto together in its most neutral sense that would apply to many people is just an overhaul of whatever area it's touching. And so, you know, to greater or lesser extents, um, different people with Sagittarius rising may have been doing a financial overhaul in your life. Um, and that can play out in different ways. But yes, as you mentioned, Jupiter joining Saturn and Pluto definitely helps boost the picture more towards at least some openings and opportunities rather than only hard work. Yeah. And um, even though it's not shown on this calendar because it happened at the end of December, there was actually just a solar eclipse in Capricorn as well, mm -hmm. which is like the laying the seeds or laying the foundations of something in your financial sector that will grow and develop over the course of the next six months. So it's weird how they they do really have that as one of the main axes. Axes, I think axes. Yes. Axes mm -hmm. that are um, activated this year: the second house of their personal finances versus the eighth house of other people's money. Um, but as as you said, also themes like debt, taxes, inheritance, um, and other ways that that can play into that seems to be one of the major activity areas this year. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Okay. So um, that's what's going on in January. The other last major thing we didn't touch on yet is the other one that's happening tomorrow, which is Uranus is stationing direct at two degrees of Taurus. Mm -hmm. So Uranus is stationing in your sixth house, and that's work and health, basically. So it can be your own health um, condition or health routines, like exercise routines, you know, dietary routines, things like that. And also just your daily work, whether that's things you do have to do at home or your actual workplace. So for many people with Sagittarius rising, Uranus going through the sixth um, can play out one of two and or one of two ways. So it can either be changes within your health picture, either um, you start doing more unusual things to take care of your health. I've seen a lot of people when Uranus transits their sixth house start going to more alternative practitioners like chiropractors or acupuncturists or Chinese medicine people, things like that. Um, and also, um, you know, Uranus is also about independence. And so Uranus transiting your sixth can easily provoke um, a greater desire for independence or the necessity of independence with regard to work. So for some people, this is like trying to slowly branch out into working for yourself, which could easily play in for some people with Sagittarius rising with those Capricorn transits in your second house of income. Sure, that makes sense for there to be a connection there. So yeah, Uranus can meet, bring um, unexpected disruptions and a little bit of instability when it comes to either work or health when it's transiting through the sixth house. This is a long-term transit. It's It's been going on for a couple of years now mm -hmm. um, as it's been sort of going back and forth between Aries and Taurus, and then it only fully went into Taurus, I think, about a year ago now. So we're still in the very early phases of it, but we get through about the first third of it this year where Uranus is going to make it to about 10 degrees of Taurus, and here it's stationing at two degrees of Taurus um, here in January. Mm -hmm. So unless you have placements around two degrees of the fixed signs in January, this may not be super momentous for you yet. Although if you do have planets, especially around two degrees of Taurus or 
to Scorpio, to Leo, or to Aquarius, then that could be a pivotal turning point in terms of Uranus shaking th some things up a little bit mm -hmm. um, at this time, either especially in terms of work or in terms of health matters. Yeah, for sure. This is a seven-year-long transit through each sign. So, you know, if some of those themes come up for you, they don't have to be resolved immediately. But just know that usually when Uranus transits through a house, it's sort of a series of repeated unexpected things that sort of eventually move you in a different direction. Yeah, sometimes which is not expected or not necessarily welcome because nobody usually likes to have things shaken up dramatically initially, but sometimes that can be constructive and worthwhile in the long term in pushing you in a direction that you might not have gone otherwise. Mm -hmm, definitely. All right. So those are the major transits for January, and some of these are like ongoing things that are going to be um, coming back in different varying levels of an intensity for the rest of the year. Mm -hmm. But let's move on to February. Okay, so February, mid-month, the biggest thing is that Mars moves into Capricorn on the 16th. And so that's going to be joining Jupiter, Saturn, and Pluto in your second house of finances. So it does put more focus, even more focus than before on that area of your life. Now, for some people with like day charts, that may be more problems that crop up with regard to your finances at this time. Um, even if you have a night chart, it'll probably be less problems, but um, just more attention and effort you need to put in, into that area. So it's already been a background area of focus for a while. It's going to become more so temporarily here. Sure. So Mars, when it ingresses into a house, can definitely bring um, an additional period of like energy and exertion on that specific area. So maybe you're having to put more effort into making money for a period about a, about a month or a month and a half while Mars is moving through that sign. Mm -hmm. uh, for the night chart people, this is not going to this is going to be a little bit more constructive like you were saying in terms of just an expenditure of energy or focus. Mm -hmm. For the day chart people, um, Mars transits like that can tend to be a little bit more frustrating, a little bit more tense. They can sometimes have to do with um, conflict or separation involving financial matters or possessions or assets. Mm -hmm. So that's something to kind of be a little bit careful for and watch out for as you're going through this transit and maybe um, spending sort of being a little bit more impetuous, impetuous in terms of spending can be an issue with Mars transits, like spending first and then thinking about it later. Mm -hmm. So maybe try to maybe exercise a little bit of caution might be a good piece of advice here. Yeah, for sure. And if you can think ahead before that time, sometimes for some other people, particularly with day chart people, not it's not just impetuous spending potentially, but also like some of your possessions breaking or being stolen and needing to replace them, that sort of thing. That won't happen for for everyone, but I've seen that with that transit. Yeah, definitely. Um, so what's weird about that is that Mercury is actually stationing retrograde the same day that Mars goes into Capricorn, and Mercury is stationing retrograde in Pisces, which is the fourth whole sign house uh, for those with Sagittarius rising. So the fourth house is the place that has to do with the home, the family, the living situation, the private life, uh, but also oftentimes the parents. So if your parents are still around, then it could involve them anytime you have a transit going through the fourth house. Uh, a Mercury retrograde is usually a period of having to go back and revise and revisit things. Sometimes there can be issues surrounding miscommunication involving your living situation or your parents. Um, this is especially heightened with this transit because Mercury is going to be conjoining Neptune pretty closely within a few degrees when that happens. So try to be extra careful not to have any miscommunication or 
not to uh, you may encounter situations even potentially in the worst case scenario that could have to do with like deceit or dishonesty when mercury is stationing around that time and that makes me a little nervous just because of the coinciding or the parallel of mars going into the second at the same time mm. so just be careful like if you're like signing a lease or something that all of the terms are clear or that you're not getting screwed financially or something like that mm -hmm. or if there's some sort of like exchange with your parents, if like a parent is like trying to borrow money or something like that, um, that the terms are clear, or at least that you're not that worried about getting all of the money back necessarily in the worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. um, those are some things that maybe you could prepare for with a double transit like that. Yeah, definitely. And for, for some other people with Sagittarius rising, with the long ongoing Neptune transit in your fourth house of home and family, there may have been a sort of a, an ongoing nebulousness with regard to where you're living, whether that's like a specific apartment or home, or just like what city or state or country even. Um, because Neptune kind of makes things unclear and makes you float. And so I have actually seen some people with Sagittarius rising who are just kind of floating around and not sure where they're supposed to be landing living situation wise. So the Mercury retrograde um, with Neptune there could have you revisiting that piece of your life again. Right. All right. So um, that's the Mercury retrograde. And like all Mercury retrogrades, that's going to last for about three weeks. Starting on the 16th of February, it, it will reach the halfway point on the 25th of February when Mercury conjoins the sun. And then whatever the issue was that was set up at the beginning of the retrograde on the 16th will start to be resolved slowly at that point. And then finally, once you get into March, Mercury actually retrogrades back into and falls back into Aquarius, which is their third house of communication, um, siblings, short distance travel, and also education. And then eventually Mercury stations direct on the 9th of March. Mm -hmm. And so not for everyone, but for some people, when there are two houses like that where Mercury is retrograding back from one and then stationing direct in the previous one, if there are people connected to those houses, that can sometimes connect the two together in that experience. And that is the case here where the fourth house is home and family and the third house includes siblings, neighbors, um, other assorted relatives. So there could be something for some people with Sagittarius rising where the Mercury retrograde involves more than one family member um, or something about your living situation that gets revisited that involves you know both where you live and maybe siblings or your neighbors that live around you or something like that that you need to clear up during this time. Yeah, so it could be um, sort of re revising a connection between like parents and siblings or between your living situation and your neighbors, having to resolve an issue or miscommunication or a sort of even misunderstanding or dispute that came up as a result of that. Mm -hmm. It would be interesting if it was like the sign, the house that it's stationed in presented the problem or the party that you had the problem with, which is like, let's say the parents or your living situation, but when Mercury retrogrades back and stations direct, that that house represents the solution, which could be like the siblings or seeking arbitration or help from the siblings or seeking help with your living situation from your neighbors. Then once Mercury stations direct and begins moving forward, there's sort of a forward movement and rec rectification of those issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could see that being true for some people. And for some other people, you know, you might just be going back over a separate thing with the Mercury retrograde in the fourth house of home and family. And then once it goes into the third, your attention may switch to something else. Yeah. Or even more broadly or metaphorically, the fourth is like the private life and the third is like communication. And so mm -hmm. figuring out how to communicate and reviewing things with respect to your private life and how to share that with those around you. Yeah, that could be. 
All right, so what's interesting about that transit at the beginning of the month and Mercury stationing direct on the 9th of March in Aquarius is that that kind of cues up um, a major transit that begins in the same sign and in the same sector of the chart later in the month when we have this pretty momentous transition of Saturn moving out of Capricorn for the first time in like more than two years and moving into Aquarius. Uh, on the 21st of March, which is your third house of, again, siblings, communication, short distance travel, and education. And then just a week later, uh, Mars also ingresses into the same sign on the 30th of March when it moves into Aquarius. And then shortly after that, I think a day later, forms a conjunction with Saturn in the sky. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's a lot moving into your third house kind of long term here. And these are the first little bits of it. So like you said, it sets the stage when Mercury stations direct in Aquarius at the beginning of the month. And then later on when Saturn moves into Aquarius, this is going to be a long-term transit that you're getting a little bit of a preview of because you're getting um, from late March to July 1st, Saturn will be just in the first couple degrees of Aquarius. And so moving the sort of effort and attention that Saturn brings to the area of siblings, neighbors, communication, short distance travel, that can be concrete things like cars, how you get around town. It can be like your computer because that helps you communicate with others, things like that. So you're just going to get a quick preview here for a couple months. Um, with Mars and Saturn going in, they're both kind of um, problem planets. That's not the only thing they can do, of course, but when they're both going in at once and other things aren't offsetting it, it can be the initial piece can be an issue crops up in one or more of these areas for you. Yeah, so there can be certainly like Mars and Saturn. I think the analogy I used on the year ahead forecast that I did with Austin and Kelly in December was like, Mars is like pushing the gas on your car and Saturn is like pushing the brakes at the same time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can create internally like a sense of frustration um, just within you of like wanting to be wanting to move forward with something, but also feeling like you're being held back by something. Mm -hmm. So there's certainly a sense of some sort of um, obstacle or difficulty arises. And what's interesting is that it happens both for people with day charts as well as people for ni night charts um, at this time starting at the end of March and going into April mm -hmm. while we have both of these planets going through this sign. So this is going to, for everybody, indicate something that's much more long-term because even though Saturn will retrograde out, I think, in July and leave Aquarius and go back into Capricorn for the second half of the year, this Saturn transit through this third house is going to be a much more long-term, much more sort of significant overall transit that's going to come and go over the course of the next three years. Mm -hmm. So certainly some themes with like restructuring things related to a relationship with siblings or neighbors or extended relatives in terms of people in your life that this could affect uh, over the course of the next three years. Um, potentially restructuring the way that you are mobile and the sense of mob mobility that you have in your life in general. Um, both in a broad sense, but also sometimes in a specific sense in terms of maybe running into obstacles with um, being more restricted in your ability to have get around town than you were previously. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, but whatever the issue is that is going to crop up during the course of this transit, it seems like this is the preview phase. Um, especially in this first month of it starting in late late March. Yeah, so you can pay attention to what happens at this time. But when it goes back in December at near the end of the year, um, it'll actually be 
it'll feel probably less problematic at that time. It'll have some help. In other words, it goes in with Jupiter instead of Mars, and we'll get to that later. But, you know, whatever crops up at this time, it does give you a sense of the area of life you're going to need to address for the next few years, but it's not always going to be this problematic. Sure. There might be more resolution, more balance later in the year in December, whereas this is more of the initial crisis phase of raising whatever issue needs to be addressed in that area of your life. Exactly. Which may be something as simple as like communication, since the third is mm -hmm. also communication, and it could be restructuring your communication style initially after running into some sort of issue with that or getting into even like a dispute or an argument with somebody um, related to the third house and then realizing that maybe you need to approach things differently in the future. Yeah, that could be. Okay. All right, so that's beginning in late March and is going to last through because it's not, it's like these are the starting points when some of these transits begin, but those two planets are going to be moving through that sign for the entirety of April. Mm -hmm. um, in April, one of the th interesting side effects of Saturn having left Capricorn and also Mars leaving Capricorn simultaneously is it basically just leaves Jupiter all on its own um, in the sign of Capricorn in your second house where it forms a conjunction with Pluto on the 4th of April. And this is actually kind of a positive thing because now for the first time in, in more than two years, we've got a, the benefic planet of expansion and growth and stabilization uh, as pretty much the sole visible planet that's transiting through your second house of finances, which sounds like sort of like a breath of fresh air and sort of like a period of growth after a period of consolidation um, in the financial sector over the course since December of 2017. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would largely agree with that. I mean, Pluto is still there and that is the conjunction that's happening is Jupiter with Pluto. So Pluto has been the longest term transit there since 2008 and it's this sort of um, slow deepening overhaul of your financial sector, but nothing that happens quickly. So at this point, since it's in the late degrees of Capricorn, a lot of that should have already happened by now, unless you have like important placements in very late Capricorn degrees. But by and large, this is probably for most people with Sagittarius rising, um, with Jupiter coming to conjoin Pluto, more of a push to do the building back up phase of that financial overhaul. And so, um, yeah, certainly with Saturn out of the picture temporarily, it might feel more like you have more room to do that and to push and to grow, um, you know, like a bigger push to grow financially right then. And that's what Jupiter and Pluto do. They kind of intensify the growth. Yeah. So just be careful because you're not completely out of the woods financially yet because Saturn will come back to Capricorn in just a few months. Uh, starting in July. So that might be one of the potential downfalls with the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction is Jupiter already indicates growth and Pluto can just magnify whatever it touches. So it could mean you start trying to sort of grow and expand very rapidly in terms of the financial sector of your life at this point in early April, um, thinking that the difficult part financially or the more conservative part is completely over. But just remember that there might be um, a reminder of that, or there might be a return to some of those circumstances just a few months later. So don't get too far ahead of yourself or expand too rapidly beyond your means. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So that's kind of intensified later in the month when Pluto actually stations retrograde on the 25th of April, mm -hmm. but that's the only other major transit that month. So let's go on to May, where in May, the first major Outer planet transit is that Saturn stations retrograde in Aquarius on the 11th of the month. Mm -hmm. So that little dip into the third house of your chart um, 
putting your effort and attention more now on things like siblings and neighbors and short distance travel and communication, all those topics we keep mentioning so far. Um, th there's a, a bit of an intensification here because Saturn only gets through two degrees of Aquarius um, and then it stations to go retrograde eventually back into Capricorn on July 1st. So whatever little taste or preview you've gotten about whatever topic in the third house is going to be something you need to put more effort and attention on, um, you'll feel it more at that point in time or you'll see it more. Yeah, uh, and that's especially true for people with placements around one degree of Aquarius, which is where Saturn is going to station, uh, or even to a lesser extent, one degree of the other fixed signs, which, be, which would be square or opposing that. So one degree of Taurus, Leo, or Scorpio. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so this is going to be an important intensification of that transit where whatever this preview is about should become clear at that point. Um, but also, it might be a little tough for people with night charts, but for people with day charts, one of the things that's interesting is that Mars departs from that sign almost immediately after that. So there's some alleviation of some of the issues with that transit, especially for the day, day chart people. And we see the end of the most sort of intense part of it for the day chart people starting around the 13th of May when Mars goes into Pisces. Mm -hmm. So, um, but that being said, Mars going into Pisces is going to cause a shift so that Mars is moving into your fourth house of your home and your living situation and your parents. Um, for some people, this will just put a greater period of emphasis and activity on that area of your life. So for some reason, you're focusing more on your living situation or on your relationship with your parents and you're having to put more energy into that, even an excess of energy into that area of your life. Um, in the best case scenario, in the more challenging scenario, there may be some obstacles or difficulties or setbacks that come up in this area of your life over the course of the next month. Uh, Mars can tend to indicate conflict or strife or sometimes even separations. So some of those themes could manifest in your life in the context of your home or your parents, especially if it hits a um, pivotal part of your chart or hits some planets as it's going through your fourth house. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, so that lasts about a month. Interestingly, around the same time, Venus actually stations retrograde in Gemini, which is in your seventh house of relationships, and Jupiter stations retrograde the following day on the 14th of May in your second house of finances. Mm -hmm. So Venus retrogrades in general cause a review or coincide rather with a review of relationships oftentimes. And that's true in general for most people, but that's going to be especially true for you with Sagittarius rising because Venus is going to be retrograding in your seventh house of partnership. Um, so if you're married, that's that sector of the chart. Even if you're in a long-term partnership, that's also where it goes. It can um, govern business partnership as well, but primarily we're going to say any anything where you work closely one-on-one -on -one with someone or you're partnered personally closely with one-on-one -on -one with someone, this is going to be an area that's up for review for you right now. So you might need to renegotiate the terms. You might revisit um, your expectations with each other. Oftentimes, there can be like, a, oh, I didn't know that you meant that or, oh, I didn't know that you wanted that for me, that kind of thing when it's retrograding in your seventh house. Yeah, so reviewing unions and reviewing contracts, especially with close one-on-one -on -one partnerships, whether those are romantic or business, sometimes people from the past coming back into your life and um, reflecting on those past relationships and what made them work versus what made, made them didn't work. There's a little bit of a danger with this transit because if you look at these specific degrees involved, uh, you'll see that Venus actually slows down and stations retrograde pretty closely square to Neptune. 
So Venus stations at 21 Gemini, square Neptune at 20 Pisces. So there's a little bit of a danger that at least in the very beginning of this transit, you may over-idealize um, anything from the past, or if there's like a past relationship that comes back, there could be an initial sort of fuzzy phase where everything looks um, perfect and beyond ideal. Mm -hmm. But during the course of it, eventually, especially once Venus stations direct, later in the following month, um, there could be a sort of coming out of that cloudy phase and then a reminder about why things maybe ended and what the reality of the situation was. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't necessarily have to be terrible per se, but it just could be a little bit less than ideal compared to where the transit starts here in the middle of May. Mm -hmm, for sure. Yeah, I'd agree with all of that. And also, conversely, um, if you're already partnered and the Venus retrograde is sort of causing you to rethink your current partnership, which can often happen, you know, the when Venus is direct, that means relationships going forward and progressing and playing out. And so sometimes when Venus is going retrograde, you start only seeing the things that you don't like or that kind of thing. You put your focus is more on the like revisiting and reviewing part and not so much on the this is working out well right now part. So um, particularly um, with the combination of it going backwards and also stationing retrograde square Neptune, which is that nebulousness, it can be um, your sort of your eyes can deceive you either way. You can either be overly rosy, like you were just saying about a past relationship or some someone in the present, but you can also be um, conversely like too disappointed or too disillusioned because that's also a Neptune keyword mm -hmm. um, where it's just your perception isn't necessarily crystal clear right now. And you kind of want to wait until Venus goes direct to really clarify a little bit more, even I would say a week after it goes direct because it stations direct near Neptune stationing. But Basically, you can see things either over positive, overly positively or overly negatively at this time. Yeah. So, and the Venus retrograde station, it's going to last for several weeks until it eventually stations retrograde earlier in Gemini on the 25th of June. Mm -hmm. um, interestingly, in between that time, we have some other stuff happening that we might as well transition into now. Mm -hmm. So, right at the very top of June, it's like we have the halfway point through the Venus retrograde when Venus conjoins the Sun on the 3rd of June. And then two days later, there is a lunar eclipse which takes place in the sign of Sagittarius in your rising sign or in your first whole sign house. So this eclipse is especially important for those of you with Sagittarius rising or other Sagittarius placements in your birth chart. Yeah, so this is going to kick off a series for about a year and a half of the eclipses in your first and seventh houses. So we're moving from your financial sector of beginnings and endings there to um, beginnings and endings with regard to your own, with the first house, your identity, your appearance, um, how you present yourself to the world, even how you think of who you are, and then the seventh house being partnership. So we're not getting a Gemini one quite yet. We'll get it at the end of the year. But at this time, we have the very first one in the first house for you. So um, there may be changes with regard to your appearance at this time. Now, since this is so close to that Venus retrograde, I would say, you know, right. still wait, because that's a topic that could be tied in for some people with both of those going on. Um, it is often recommended to wait until after Venus is direct to make changes to your appearance because of that whole like not necessarily seeing things clearly with regard to the Venus things, which can be aesthetics. So when it's happened, this eclipse happening in your first house, it's going to coincide with you revisioning who you are and how you put yourself out there in the world in various ways. And that can be external or internal or both. Okay. I was thinking with the Venus retrograde and it happening so close to that, that it's 
probably, and since this eclipse in the first house is the first in a whole series of eclipses that we're going to start seeing between the first and seventh house axis, that this is opening up um, a new chapter in a period of time where there's going to be a shift in focus towards issues of the self and how to balance yourself and who you are and what you, how you appear to people and how you present yourself versus um, how you incorporate relationships and other one-on-one -on -one partnerships into your life. Mm -hmm. And then it's kind of interesting that it starts, it really gets going under a Venus retrograde in a review phase through the seventh house of relationships. Mm -hmm. But then there's something about right in the middle of that seventh house of relationships, Venus retrograde transit, suddenly we get an eclipse here and there's some sort of new beginning, um, but also culmination with respect to the understanding of the self and like who you are for the Sagittarius rising people. Definitely. And that's always an axis, you know, all of these polarities often like cause you to re question the other side of things. And so anytime you affect your, your change your relationships or there's any sort of shift within your relationship, that can shift how you feel about who you are in the world and vice versa. And so there'll be more focus on the first house part here of like, wait, what do I want for myself and who am I? Yeah. And maybe coming to some new realization of that because there's suddenly a spotlight on that area of your life of who are you and what's important for you mm -hmm. as, a as opposed to what's important for your partner or for um, your relationships with other people in general. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's happening at the beginning of the month. And um, later in the month, we start getting some like two different things indicating activity in the sign of cancer and within the context of the eighth house which is the house that pertains to mortality and shared resources or other people's money. So the first part of that is we get the first, or sorry, the second Mercury retrograde of the year begins on the 18th of June when, when it stations retrograde in the sign of Cancer, uh, which is your eighth house. And then just two days, two or three days later, we get a solar eclipse, which takes place in the same sign of Cancer, also in your eighth house. And this is the very last of the eclipses, I believe, in Cancer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is the very last one. And then we'll get a Capricorn one just dipping um, in two weeks later. So this is kind of the last hurrah for your financial houses, but the, the last eclipse in your eighth house of shared resources um, does come with that Mercury retrograde as well. So there's something about both, you know, a new episode in that ongoing story for the past about year and a half um, with regard to changes in either your partner's income or um, finances you share together or um, debts that you have, but also a revisiting, something you need to look back over to maybe fix that was incorrect or you had an incorrect assumption about or there was a miscommunication about, something like that, the, because those two things are coinciding so closely together in the same area of your chart. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting to me that there's like a Venus retrograde in the seventh house, and then all of a sudden we get a Mercury retrograde in the eighth house. And that could really be connected where something about the review process that's going on during the Venus retrograde in the seventh house and the revisiting of things in the sphere of relationships then suddenly gets tied in with um, some sort of review in the sphere of shared resources with one's partner. Mm -hmm. um, all the while, Mars is also transiting through the fourth house of like the home and living situation. Mm -hmm. And there's some potential of like tension or strife in the living situation at the same time. Yeah. So it's like kind of pushing in a certain direction in terms of like partnership and shared resources and also your home and living situation where I could see how that could manifest in some specific scenarios for some people depending on the specifics of their birth chart. Right. 
Yeah, yeah, me too. This is, you know, for some transits, they make more sense than others in terms of how they might be tied together versus totally separate transits. Right. Yeah. Um, so that Mercury retrograde, as all Mercury retrogrades do, will last for three weeks starting on the 18th of June. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. And it doesn't end until the 12th of July. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, um, in between that, we have the solar eclipse, which takes place there on the 21st of June. Venus finally completes its retrograde cycle and stations direct on the 25th. And then the last major, major transit that we have happens towards the end of the month on the 27th of June when Mars departs from Pisces and moves into Aries, which is your fifth house of children and creative expression, uh, but also sex and sexuality. Mm -hmm. So this is a major transit this year compared to most years because this is where the Mars retrograde will happen this year. And what that means <coughs> is it's a setup for Mars to be transiting one area of your chart um, with the topics you just mentioned for six months instead of six weeks. So it's much longer than usual, meaning you're going to be putting a lot of your attention in this area, at least one of those topics, if not more, of the fifth house for the entirety of the second half of 2020. So we'll talk about this more as it goes along because the retrograde itself doesn't start until September. What you're looking at here is you'll notice probably at the end of June or the beginning of July, once Mars ingresses into Aries, that your um, you, your attention starts to shift in terms of you know where Mars was transiting your fourth house of home and family. Now you're putting your attention on something that needs effort, something that is a conflict area or something with regard to these fifth house topics, whether that's children, if you have children, well, um, conflicts around if you're going to have children. I could see probably for some people, um, you know, sexuality and creative expression and those sor sorts of things. Yeah. So best case scenario, you're putting a lot more emphasis on this area of your life over the next six months. Um, worst case scenario, you're running into some tensions or some conflict or even some separations in this area. So somebody asked in one of the previous ones if fifth house stuff just pertained to younger children or if it also included like adult children. Mm -hmm. And the answer is yes, it includes your relationship with your adult children. Mm -hmm. And those would be the primary people that a transit through the fifth house could pertain to. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So perhaps needing to tend to that relationship or having um, a more tense period in terms of that relationship is possible during that time. Definitely. And also what's good to know, since it is going to last for six months instead of six weeks, um, know that this is an area that you're going to be putting your effort towards for you know a while, and but your energy for doing so will start to go down a bit as Mars slows down eventually to retrograde for a couple months between September and November. So um, treat it as a marathon and not a sprint. Um, you're gonna, Mars wants to sprint. You're gonna wanna just like tackle things head on, especially Mars and Aries. It's a very forthright expression of Mars. Um, but you know, just hold some in reserve because you're not gonna be done with this soon. One of the things that's also interesting about the fifth house is it can also pertain to like um, hobbies mm -hmm. and games and things that you do for fun or pleasure or enjoyment. So it could mean just like putting a lot more focus in on your hobby and whatever that is, potentially running into some areas or some issues or some obstacles um, or tensions in that area. But it could also just be a period in which maybe you put more work into like training. Like if like golf is your thing, mm -hmm. working on your golf game and getting better at it. Because I know there's some golfers like Tiger Woods has like major placements in the fifth house. Mm -hmm. I think the ruler of the ascendant 
where it's like it, it's a game and it's a hobby, but it's also what he's made his career and his job out of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So having an extended period of focusing on those things and putting more energy into them than at other times in your life. Mm-hmm. Definitely. All right. So I think this is taking us into June so that Mars ingress into Aries into that sign is the main thing that starts off at the very end of the month. Uh, but that is a long-term transit that's going to last the rest of the year, and then we're going to come to a few pivotal points in that um, over the course of the next few months, especially starting in September. Mm-hmm. All right, we are halfway through the year. Okay. We have done the first half of 2020. I just wanted to check in with the live stream chat and see how everyone is doing. I've seen some good comments coming in, so thanks everyone for joining us today. We appreciate it. Uh, it looks like there's like 80 some odd people here. Nice. Um, if everyone's enjoying this video, please hit the like button just to help other people find it as we're doing this live stream. And uh, why don't we move on to the second half of the year? Okay, so July. July. All right. Where do we start? What do we start with with July? I would say two Capricorn events. So on July 1st, right away, the beginning of the month, uh, Saturn goes back into Capricorn from Aquarius. So that area of your personal finances that you sort of had a temporary alleviation of um, with Saturn leaving from late March to the beginning of July is now back. And so you might kind of feel like, oh, I thought I was done with tending to that area of my life. I thought my finances were finally under control. And now you need to take good care of it again for the rest of the year. Um, but you are in the home stretch. This will just last for the next five months and then that'll be done. And it's normally a three year approximate transit. So, you know, relatively speaking, you are in the home stretch. So Saturn does return to your second house of personal finances and income. And then there's an eclipse, the last eclipse in Capricorn as well at the beginning of the month on the 5th. And so that's the last in that whole series of Cancer Capricorn eclipses. So again, you're kind of finishing up some of your major attention that you've been paying to your financial life at this time, but there may be a new wrinkle in the story as you go. Yeah, and it's interesting that this is still during the last phase of finishing up that Mercury retrograde in the eighth house. So there could be something involving like shared resources or the partner's finances or even issues surrounding like debt taxes and like money owed to other people mm-hmm. that could be tied in with this. But whatever it is, just know that because it's a solar eclipse, um, that solar eclipse has a six-month duration. Mm-hmm. Um, and a solar eclipse is also a time of setting a new foundation and creating a great beginning for a new phase of your life. So this is going to be the final push to make sure you get your affairs in order in terms of the financial sector and in terms of your possessions so that once you're you're finished with this six-month period, you've put in all of the hard work necessary to make sure that you have a stable foundation moving forward. Mm -hmm, Definitely. So that's the beginning of July. And then Mercury does station direct uh, the middle of the month. The 12th. Mm Mm-hmm. And then let's see, do we have, those are That's really the major things for July, yeah. It's just the Capricorn shift, the shift back to Capricorn really dominates July. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, then we move to August where, well, it looks like there's a lot going on. It's mainly interplanet stuff. The only major outer planet big picture thing is that Uranus stations retrograde on August 15th at 10 degrees of Taurus. Mm -hmm. So this is one of two stations of Uranus this year. The first one was in January, and so this is the second one. And basically, since that's transiting your sixth house of work and health, that's just um, when planets station, they temporarily intensify whatever energy they carry. And so for Uranus, that is that ongoing um, transit of unexpected things or innovation with regard to work or health or both. 
So this is the second point in time where you might really notice that more in that area of your life. And that's of course particularly so if you have any placements around 10-ish degrees or so of the fixed signs because it is stationing between 10 and 11 degrees of Taurus. Yeah, this is the first time that Uranus has gotten that far into Taurus during the course of its um, initial foray into that sign over the past year or two. So this is really going to start to hit some people's charts if they have something around 10 degrees of that sign because Uranus really slows down and then spends this extended period of pretty much the entire month of August just on that one degree. So if you have anything at 10 degrees of Taurus, 10 Leo, 10 Scorpio, or 10 Aquarius, then this transit is for you. And the feeling of like destabilization, but also like excitement and innovation are really going to be at a peak at this point for you, especially in the area of your work or health matters and any sort of efforts or developments in that area that you're focused on, but also depending on if there's other planets around 10 degrees of other fixed signs potentially affecting those areas as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that is the major thing that's going on in August for you. Okay. Uh, that will take us into September, where there's not much going on in September, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, just a couple of things. I just would a couple say. Of things, yeah. okay. <laughs> so um, we're understating this. So the, September is the month of the Mars retrograde. Um, it does station retrograde on September 9th. and then just a few days later, on September 12th, Jupiter stations direct. So those are two of the three big things, um, the two until the end of the month when Saturn stations direct for the last time in Capricorn. So starting with Mars, um, everything we said already about that Mars transit in the fifth house, this is now where you probably hit a snag if you're going to, or at the very least some sort of um, revisioning. You know, we often talk about re reviewing with Mercury retrograde. With Mars retrograde, it's more of a um, going back over your recent efforts rather than communications. So whatever you've been doing or applying your energy towards in this area of children or um, sexuality or creative expression, you thought you were going forward. You thought you were in fact almost done with it because it stations retrograde at 28 degrees out of 30. And so it is almost done with Aries, but then it stations retrograde. And so when it does that, it's suddenly like, a, oh, I hit a snag. I thought we were going forward, but now I have to retrace all of my steps. And so that can be for different reasons, but that's the energy of what that station is about. And it will be retrograde until the middle of November. Yeah. So this is the most intense period and potentially the most problematic period during this overall transit of Mars through Aries, mm -hmm. um, especially if you have planets around 28 degrees of the cardinal signs, which is 28 Aries, 28 Cancer, 28 Libra, or 28 Capricorn. Um, and speaking of Capricorn, this Mars station is interesting because Mars slowing down and stopping and then doing a U-turn at 28 degrees of Aries is actually pretty closely square Saturn at 25 Capricorn at this time. Mm -hmm. So this could be bringing up some tensions between those two parts of your chart. So the fifth house where Mars is transiting, having to do with children, sexuality, um, hobbies, and, and also self-expression or creative self-expression squaring and creating some tensions with Saturn going through the second house of finances and possessions. So it's possible that there's some sort of crossover that's happening here where these tensions are um, cropping up in your life because there's a connection between those two topics or those two areas. Mm -hmm. And that can play out in a variety of ways for different people depending on the specifics of what's going on in your life and in your birth chart. 
I'm really thinking things regarding, you know, the financial care of your children, if you have children that are not adults yet, is going to be a topic for at least some people with Sagittarius rising. So I'm really thinking either for some people, you know, the topics of things like child support, um, or also just like how you share resources with a partner to pay for things that kids need. Yeah, or... Maybe your kid like does something dumb and then that causes like a financial burden mm-hmm. on you where you lose or have an expenditure of money for some reason. Right. And, you know, unfortunately that can pertain to either, you know, minor or adult children. Right. Yeah. As well as like minor frustrations versus like major issues that, that crop up, especially if like let's say you have a day chart and Mars is like you're in a fifth house perfection year or Mars is the lord of the year mm-hmm. and it could be something like more more serious. Yeah, so it will vary for different people, but yeah, I could easily see children and finances really intersecting with these. Definitely. So the positive thing about that however though is as you mentioned earlier is that Jupiter stations direct in that sign in Capricorn just a few days later on the 12th of September, which should indicate an intensification of some of the positive energies because um, this is Jupiter's direct station where it starts moving forward and therefore it's able to start um, producing things positively in a more direct fashion or a more straightforward fashion at this point um, as it starts gaining steam and moving forward again. Then later in the month on the 29th of September, we have the final, the very last direct station of Saturn in Capricorn. So again, with that planet, there's direct movement and sort of forward movement where Saturn is able to um, finish up and sweep up the last of its, uh, what, nearly three-year transit through your second house of finances and some of the restructuring and reorganization that has taken place during that time surrounding it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the Jupiter stationing direct um, almost in the middle of the month here is kind of the saving grace going on. So while the Mars retrograde may, you know, bring up some more frustrations, Jupiter stationing direct at least, you know, helps um, those those opportunities and and so forth come about in a more direct fashion in your life from here through the end of the year. And it's interesting to see both of those, as you mentioned, Jupiter and Saturn stationing direct in the same sign in your house of finances. Um, and they're both going to just be direct finishing out that transit for the end of the year. So this is really the, this through December, mid-December is going to be the tying up of loose ends um, for whatever has been going on with you in your financial house. Unless you have important placements near the very end of Capricorn, then sometimes this can still be a more active period. But for a lot of people, um, this is more going to be a, a smoothing out of affairs and um, restabilizing. Yeah. Um the last, the final stretch of the the major heavy financial transits mm-hmm. of that have been going on for a couple of years now, but especially of 2020. Mm-hmm. All right, so that will take us into October in the final parts of the year. So the main thing that happens in October is we get our third and final Mercury retrograde of the year, where Mercury actually slows down and stations retrograde around 11 degrees of Scorpio, I believe. Um, which is a little bit interesting because it actually stations retrograde in opposition to Uranus, which is at nine degrees of Taurus at that point in time. Um, Then Mercury in Scorpio, it's going to retrograde and fall actually back into Libra by the end of the month. By the 27th of the month, it retrogrades back into Libra, which is your 11th house of friends and groups and alliances, before eventually stationing direct on November 3rd um, in Libra in your 11th house. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for the Mercury retrograde stationing um, first in Scorpio in your 12th house of hidden matters, 
It's interesting with that stationing retrograde pretty closely opposed Uranus transiting your sixth house because both of those can be health houses. So that won't be true for everyone, but probably for some people, there will be some sort of review of a health matter or a review of how you're taking care of your health even more proactively. Um, it's also the sixth and 12th polarity is like work versus downtime. Mm. And so with the Mercury retrograde through your 12th, Mercury is about communication normally as a general signification, but going through your 12th, it's more of a, a silent place or a hidden place. And so you could be kind of like hiding out for a little bit temporarily, just for, you know, two or three weeks um, while you kind of try to figure out a new how to balance those two parts of your life. You know, the putting out effort and work and, you know, necessary rest. Yeah. Um, another possible connection since we have Mercury stationing retrograde in the 12th house and then going back to the 11th house is it may have to do with, um, since it stations retrograde opposite to Uranus, some sort of unexpected revisiting of a relationship with um, an enemy or somebody that you don't get along with very well in your life. But then a question of during the course of that three-week retrograde period from mid-October to early November, if through revisiting that situation and re-examining communications, see if there has been any sort of miscommunication where you can take somebody who is in that 12th house sector of your life as, as somebody you don't get along with for some reason and then sort of transport them and put them through effort and communication and just trying to talk it through into the 11th house sector of your life, which is the place of friends and alliances. So are there any major areas where somebody that you didn't get along with can be somebody who you can get along with for some reason or who can become a friend and to sort of convert them from, from an enemy to a friend? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could see that. And there's all sorts of things, you know, that can manifest this way. There's also, I mean, that's a really good one. I would say also maybe, you know, with Mercury transiting through your 12th, the 12th is a hidden place. And so you may um, find out about, you know, some communication that someone was saying that you weren't aware of. Like you, be, you, you become aware of hidden communication basically, or, you know, um, things that you didn't see. That's the a, a popular 12th house manifestation. And so then maybe you need to talk that out with whoever did it in your, you know, friends or groups area and smooth it out. Yeah. Um, I could see that. Another one is like you're saying, the 12th tends to be more private um, and like isolated, whereas the 11th house tends to be more public. So there could be something where at the beginning of the retrograde, there's some sort of unexpected de development or news that you learn about in private, but eventually, and maybe you're going through kind of like an introspective period as Mercury is retrograde in your 12th house and you're not feeling that social, but then you hit the halfway point of that transit by, uh, when is it, by the 25th of the month, and then Mercury retrogrades back into Libra. And so then you go back into a period of feeling more social or a little bit more extroverted for a little bit after a period of introspection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could definitely see that as well. Though if that does happen for you, just be aware that it'll go back into Scorpio pretty soon after that because it stations direct um, pretty late in Libra. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and the last thing, oh yeah, you pointed this out in the last horoscope, but Mercury actually, when it stations direct, it stations direct square Saturn in Capricorn, right? Yeah, around November 3rd, it does pretty closely. Okay, so there could be some connection or some overlap there then at the very tail end of the retrograde when it stations direct around November 3rd, November 4th between 
um, friends and groups and alliances versus financial matters uh, somehow being connected or somehow overlapping with those topics just due to that that square between Mercury and Saturn and maybe even like a little bit of tension or some sort of dynamic um, situation involving those two areas of your life. Mm -hmm. All right, so this is taking us further and further into the year. Um, we now move on to November. Mm -hmm. All right, November, Mercury stations direct on the third. Mars finally stations direct after a very long several week retrograde period on the 13th of the month at around 15 degrees of Aries, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's still the potential for some tension, especially if you have things around 15 degrees of the cardinal signs, especially 15 degrees of Aries, and especially within the context of your fifth house of like children, um, hobbies, and sexuality. But at least at this point, when it stations direct, it's going to start moving forward, and there's some sense of things of no longer moving backwards, and they're instead starting to be some forward momentum again in that area of your life instead of just trudging through the same stuff for an extended period of time and sort of um, agonizing over some some specific issue. Definitely. Yeah, so Mars does take some time to get speed back up, so you won't be able to resolve everything immediately once it does station direct mid-November, but you'll be able to at least see the way forward, and as it gradually picks up speed and you start moving more and more, you'll get some energy back to deal with whatever you've needed, you've been needing to revisit in that area and finally move forward again, um, as you said. So what's interesting is I think that station's direct just next to within about a day or two of the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction, right? Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Let yeah, me... I, th I think so. Um, and so, you know, both of those kind of indicate more of a push of energy forward, even if it's not fully there yet. So you can see the Jupiter-Pluto station, uh, Jupiter-Pluto conjunction is there on the 12th, and then the Mars direct is on the 13th there. So the right next- funny is that could be like a separation when it comes to children, having to like cut somebody off yeah. or like um, when it comes to like children, which then brings in a period of like forward movement in your finances again. It could, yeah. I mean, it'll play out different ways for different people for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, Mars can be severing sometimes or like, you know, okay, I've paid for you for a few months. You need to get back out on your own now or things like that. Yeah, I mean, sometimes severing and separation, while it can be experienced as negative because nobody ever likes to like end a relationship with somebody, sometimes ending a relationship with somebody in your life can be necessary or can be constructive. It's mm -hmm. like Mars is like a knife. And in ancient Egyptian texts 2,000 years ago, the symbol for Mars was a knife. Mm -hmm. And a knife can be both a weapon as well as a tool. It just depends on the context. Mm -hmm. And there may be some sort of you know friction or conflict in this area for you in general, but it also can mean you know another manifestation could be like your child was having hard times and you were you know taking them in and paying for them, but now they're like getting back on their feet, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Right. Yeah, uh, maybe the issue in their life is suddenly being alleviated or has receded in some sense. Exactly. Okay. All right, so November, last thing, or like one other thing? Uh, let's see. So we've got the Jupiter-Pluto station, or sorry, Jupiter-Pluto conjunction, Mars station direct. And then at the very end of the month, we do have an eclipse in Gemini, which is your seventh house of partnership. Interestingly, it is, I'm going to bring this in, it is two days from that Neptune station direct as well, which is in your fourth house of home and family. 
Mm. And for some people, those may be tied, and that's why I'm bringing it in. But the eclipse in the seventh house, um, this is the part of the year where we fully transition into the eclipse series being in your first and seventh houses of self and other, self and partner. Right. So we're in eclipse season with the first being a lunar eclipse on the 30th of November, and then the second two weeks later being a solar eclipse in Sagittarius on the 14th of December. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so all those things we were talking about earlier, about um, those balancing, rebalancing, revisiting of, you know, who am I, what do I need as an individual, and what am I doing with my partnerships, or who is my partner, or can I find a partner, all of those things. Um, eclipses bring beginnings and endings in those two areas for you for about the next year, year and a half. So right at the end of the year here, there's more um, focus again on that first seventh axis. Yeah, so this could be representing, since it's a lunar eclipse, the one that takes place here, it could be representing a culmination of events with respect to relationships and with respect to either romantic partnerships or business partnerships at this time, especially something that you initiated six months earlier coming to a sort of culmination at this time uh, in late November. Mm -hmm. But whatever that thing is, whatever the development it is that happens, it's not all going to happen necessarily at once, but instead it's something that may um, grow and develop over the course of the next six months before it completes the cycle and is sort of brought to completion entirely. Mm -hmm. So it's opening up a window of time where relationships become more active. Um, but then also the eclipse in Sagittarius, let's touch on a little bit more because that's kind of important um, because it's happening in the rising sign of those with Sagittarius rising. So mm -hmm. there's something here related to the first house of self and both the mind as well as the body for those of Sagittarius rising where they're, they're laying some seeds or setting some sort of new foundation or starting a new beginning that's going to look may not look major or momentous at the time, but is going to grow and develop and turn into something over the next six months in terms of their personality or their body that's going to be much more significant in the long term than it might seem at first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I've seen those with, um, for some people, with changes in appearance, changes in even, even self-perception and therefore how you sort of outwardly put yourself out. I've seen that with people getting greater attention on themselves for some sort of recognition because yeah. it is literally, literally a spotlight on you. One of my favorites was Obama's first term in office. He got elected when he was having, um, I believe, eclipses in his rising sign. Mm -hmm. That was back in 2008. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I had the announcement for my first um, conference lecture around when there was an eclipse in my first house. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty good. Mm -hmm. So yeah, um, it's sort of like shining a spotlight on you, mm -hmm. whoever you are and whatever it is that you're doing at this time in your life and making who you truly are and some core parts of your personality and your personal characteristics come more to the forefront and become more clear and more well-developed in your life at this point, but also more well-defined in comparison to the people that you hold close in your life, especially your partner or any close one-on-one -on -one relationships that you have with other people. Mm -hmm, definitely. So this may be a spark at this time or you know something that will continue to develop. It definitely won't be like a once and done thing because this is starting a series. Yeah. Um, and then this brings us to the final major transit of the year and perhaps the biggest transit just from a mundane perspective of all of 2020, which is that Jupiter and Saturn 
complete their transits through Capricorn and through the second house of finances for those with Sagittarius rising. And on the 17th of December, Saturn moves into Aquarius, where it will spend the next two years or so moving through that sign, completing its three-year transit through Capricorn and through the second house of finances. And then two days later, Jupiter completes its one-year transit through Capricorn and also moves into Aquarius, where it forms a conjunction with Saturn just a couple days later in the sky from our perspective on the 21st of December. Mm -hmm. So all of that hard work and attention you've been paying to your your financial life, particularly your own finances, um, is going to be coming to an end here. Not that you never have to pay attention to it again, but all of the hard work um, is going to alleviate after this point with regard to your um, financial life. And then it moves into your third house. And so what we what we got a little taste of in the spring from late March to July 1st, when Saturn and Mars were going through um, Aquarius, you know, your third house of siblings, short distance travel, um, communications, potentially teaching or learning is now going to come back in a similar fashion. It's going to bring up some of the same themes or similar themes as in the spring, but it won't feel as hard probably this time. Um, and I would say that for everyone, even though for night chart people, the Saturn transit will still be more challenging than for day chart people, you know, because it's Saturn um, and Saturn does that for night chart versus day chart. Jupiter also will be coming in at the same time. And that's pretty unique as a beginning of like a major Saturn transit, because usually it's just Saturn going in, but Jupiter is going to help expand and bring opportunities to that area of your life, even if you have to simultaneously work hard there too. Yeah. So major, especially in the following year, what we have is the inauguration of at least a year-long period of both um, sort of trying to find balance between growth versus contraction when it comes to this area of your life in terms of topics such as siblings and your relationship with your siblings or things that are going on in the lives of your siblings that can be extended to other family members like aunts or uncles or nieces or nephews. Or cousins, yeah. Cousins. Uh, that's a much more concise term than <laughs> listing off all the possible permutations of extended family. Uh, also communication and sort of a period of growth, but also a period of putting in more work to restructure how you communicate and how you put your voice out into the world. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe there's like little personality or like characteristic things that you do that are like ticks that maybe you've not dealt with in the past, but this would be a great time to start trying to exercise discipline in order to communicate more effectively. Mm -hmm. Um, also, what else? Uh, third Course, house matters. Courses of study I've seen with both third as well as ninth house transits. So, you know, particularly with Saturn there, because it is like a two and a half to three year transit, you could engage in a serious course of study, whether that's actually going back to a university or simply doing something more um, either informal or shorter on your own. But studying something, learning something is pretty typical for Saturn there. Yeah. Um, two other areas that are connected I want to mention as well because they, even though they seem minor, they could be very notable for people anytime they have major outer planet third house transits are just mobility and also your neighborhood or your neighbors because sometimes the idea or the concept of your neighbors and your neighborhood can become more important sometimes than it should be at other times in your life. And if the, that was going to happen, then this would be the period in which it would happen for those with Sagittarius rising. Mm-hmm. For sure. Uh, so sometimes that can be like obstacles coming up in terms of your neighbors or your neighborhood or obstacles in terms of mobility in having greater restrictions, but also 
finding and seeking out opportunities for growth in that area, even if you've run into obstacles, like if you're having problems with like one set of neighbors, maybe by reaching out to other neighbors, you also develop a friendship with somebody else at the same time. Mm -hmm, for sure. And I've seen, you know, with the Scorpio rising people with Saturn going through their third in the past while, so many people replacing their cars, which sounds so mundane, but it literally is your mobility, how you get from one place to another in terms of short distances. And so um, it can be as simple as that as mm -hmm. well. Um, and with Jupiter as well as Saturn there, there will be opportunities, even if you need to sort of revise that, like, oh, my car is really old, I should get a new one. But you might have the opportunity to do so more than if it was just Saturn transiting there. Yeah. So there may be some obstacles and difficulties in terms of mobility or, or short distance travel, but also some opportunities for, for growth. Mm -hmm. But a lot of this, this is just starting at the end of December, and we're talking about transits that for the most part are going to be lasting for the next year or two after this point. So that's taking us into the forecast for like 2021 and the forecast for 2022. So we're getting a little ahead of ourselves mm -hmm. and we might have to save save the rest of this for next time. Yeah, I think probably so. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you for joining me for this forecast for Sagittarius and Sagittarius Rising for 2020. Appreciate it. You're welcome. And thanks everybody who joined us in the live stream for joining us and for all of your comments, I really appreciate it. It's kind of hard to do both and like predict the future and like read comments <laughs> right. and follow everything closely, but I've followed a little bit of the discussion and I appreciate it. Uh, I wish you all good luck. Um, if you're here in the live stream, please be sure to give this video a thumbs up or a like on YouTube to help other people find it. Please be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel so you get notification about other episodes of the podcast in the future. And when I post the recording of this, if you want to sh leave a comment to share something that's been happening in your life that matches some of these transits or that you're anticipating coming up, we'd love to hear from you. Mm -hmm. So we need to mention a few things before we wrap up this episode and this live stream for the day. First, um, all of the artwork and the calendars that I've been sharing in this episode come from our um, astrology calendar 2020 poster bundle where we have three posters that are like wall calendars that you can use in order to track the transits for the entirety of the next year at a glance. And it basically tells you when the planets change signs, when the new moon or full moon or eclipses take place, as well as when planets station retrograde or direct. So it's super useful for seeing all that stuff at a glance. And there's also a bonus poster this year that lists the significations of the 12 houses so you know exactly what areas of your life are getting activated when the planets move into different signs. So you can find out more information about that at theastrologypodcast.com slash 2020 posters. In addition, uh, Lisa and I just released our 2020 auspicious elections full year ahead electional report just a week or two ago. And in that, we went through each of the next 12 months and we picked out one lucky date or one auspicious day and time to begin different types of ventures and undertakings using the principles of electional astrology. And we actually found, despite some of the difficult transits next year, we found some really good dates for launching things like businesses or weddings or taking a major journey or a trip or other things like that. You can find out more information about that at chrisbrennanastrologer.com slash 2020 elections. And finally, we also have to thank the patrons who support the podcast through our page on patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. In particular, thanks to patrons Christine Stone, Nate Craddock, and Tanner Robinson, as well as the Astrogold Astrology app available at astrogold.io. 
the Portland School of Astrology at portlandastrology.org, and the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs, available at honeycomb.co. There's two major astrology conferences happening this year. The first one, the biggest one, is by the International Society for Astrological Research, which is hosting a conference uh, in or near Denver, Colorado from September 10th through the 14th. You can find out more information about that at esar2020.org. And the Northwest Astrological Conference, which is happening in Seattle, Washington, May 21st through the 25th, 2020. And you can find out more information about that at norwac.net. So if you'd like to become a patron and get early access to new episodes or other bonus content like our private Electional Astrology Podcast each month, then you can sign up at patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. All right. I think that's it for this episode. So thanks again for doing this with me. I'm going to take a break. And then if I can, with any luck, I'll get it together and do Capricorn rising later tonight. Mm -hmm. And then all that's going to be left after that is Aquarius and Pisces. Yeah. Getting in the home stretch or the final countdown as it were. Yeah. We are getting in the final stretch of doing 12 rising sign horoscopes, which turned Mm -hmm. out to be a much bigger job than I thought it would be. Yeah. Talking about each one for the whole year is a decent bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a lot going on, but it's been fun and I appreciate everyone who's been following this. So thanks a lot guys for joining us today and thanks for watching. Um, And we will see you next time. Yeah. Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and this is your horoscope for Capricorn and Capricorn Rising for the entire year of 2020. Joining me today is astrologer Lisa Shine. Hey, Chris. Hello. And we're going to be looking at your astrological transits for the next 12 months. Uh, so this is the 10th one that I've done. I've been doing a whole marathon of these all week, and somehow with the eclipse just happening in my sixth house, I made myself sick. So I'm actually losing my voice. So Lisa is going to help me and take over a little bit more than in previous horoscopes. Mm-hmm. Thanks for doing that. Yeah, you're welcome. We'll okay. see how this goes. <laughs> and we'll see how this goes. Uh, thanks everybody who's joined us in the live stream. We are live streaming this recording today straight to YouTube. Uh, so why don't we go ahead and jump right into it? Okay, sounds good. All right, let's jump right into the astrology of January. So today is already January 10th when we're recording this. So. Fortunately, because it's taking forever, we're already kind of in the thick of some of the major astrological transits of this month. Definitely. So there's a lineup of three kind of major things all in a row right now this weekend. Um, So first we have the Cancer Eclipse that's been happening today, January 10th. Then later today, Uranus stations direct at two degrees of Taurus. And then finally, on the 12th, on January 12th, there's a Saturn-Pluto exact conjunction, which has been building, but it comes to the exact conjunction point on January 12th. So those are three things that could be major in themselves, but we have them all clustered together sort of in early to mid-January here. And so these are really the big pieces that dominate the month of January for 2020 for you. And for you, Cancer, since you're Capricorn rising, that's going to be happening in your seventh house of partnership. That can be personal partnership or business partnership or anything else you do with a heavy one-on-one concentration. So um, if you work one-on-one with people a lot, it could affect that area as well. So eclipses tend to bring major beginnings and endings. They're kind of chapters in a story. It's not usually that every single eclipse will bring a major beginning or ending since they do happen um, in about six-month intervals. Um, But there is about a year and a half period where they're happening in two opposing houses in your chart. And during that period, particularly clustered around the eclipses, it's more likely a time for those changes to come about or, you know, for you to either start something new with regard to that area or have some sort of culmination or even mini culmination. So for you, this is partnership with the Cancer Eclipse in your seventh house. 
Right. So there's some sort of culmination of, of events that have been building up, especially over the course of the next the past six months since there was last a solar eclipse in Cancer. Mm-hmm. And then that would have been laying the seeds of the foundation for something in the area of relationships and partnership, which has finally grown and matured and developed and come to a point of um, just becoming more visible as a significant part of your life at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, we had a solar eclipse, which occurred just a couple of weeks ago in Capricorn. That was the last solar eclipse in Capricorn, right? Um, the most recent one. We'll have another. We'll have another? Yeah, we'll have another this summer. That'll be the last one. Uh, the lunar eclipse? Yeah. Okay. So, But there won't be any other solar eclipses, which means that two weeks ago, there was also um, some new six-month phase that just recently opened of laying a new um, the seeds or the foundations for something that will grow in your life, especially with respect to your body or your mind or your character um, that will grow and develop over the course of the next six months until it eventually reaches a culmination over the summer during that lunar eclipse, uh, whenever that is in like June or July. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And eclipses in your first and seventh house are kind of a series of changes or shifts with regard to both um, you, which can be, like you said, Chris, the body or the mind. Um, it can be things about your your sense of yourself as an individual person, what matters to you the most when you're not focusing as much about on other people in your life. And so um, it can also be changes in appearance or things of that nature, but it's basically how you present yourself or more attention on you as an individual. And so the eclipses are bou- have been bouncing back and forth between your first and seventh houses of self and partner because shifts in either of those areas can easily, of course, affect the other. And so um, this one's going to be in your seventh. And so that could be anything from changes in your actual relating with a partner or you know meeting a partner or something like that. But it could also be things just having to do with your partner's life, your partner is going through some major changes of their own and something of that nature. So that's that piece. Um, Shortly followed up by the Uranus station in Taurus. So Uranus is stationing at two and a half degrees of Taurus. And a Uranus transit is a seven, approximately seven long, seven year long period. And so for you, that's happening in your fifth house, which has to do with children, um, sexuality, creative expression, if you do artistic things, or things just having to do with fun, going out and enjoying yourself. And so the Uranus transit through the fifth house, Uranus's signature is sort of unexpected changes or things kind of coming out of left field. It basically keeps you on your toes. And sometimes people can find Uranus shifts kind of jarring, but um, it can also bring unexpected good things into your life as well and cause you to sort of um, shake up your routines in whatever area that it's going through. So for you, that is your fifth house, like I said. Um, if you have children, that can be um, some sort of unexpected change with regard to um, what they're going through or something like that. I always actually like to tell clients if Uranus is transiting their fifth house and they're not looking to have children to be more careful during those years just because you know it's the nature of the unexpected in the children area. Right. Unexpected children. Yeah, exactly. Which okay. can happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, so um, yeah, so other things you could innovate, you know, this could be really good for you if you do creative work, um, that sort of thing. Um, Incorporating like new technologies mm, or yeah. seeking out new and innovative ways to like express yourself in different ways. Definitely. Um, also different hobbies, like finding mm-hmm. offbeat hobbies or ways to bring um, pleasure and just, um, what's the other term, into your life for like pastimes or hobbies. Just enjoyment. Things you do for enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, so this is the area where that's happening. And so that's a long transit, but we're just pointing it out here because when Uranus stations, that's particularly noticeable because when a planet stations, it temporarily emphasizes whatever energy it expresses. And so there'll be two stations this year, and this is the first out of the two. Yeah, so it's going to be especially relevant if you have anything at two degrees of the fixed signs, which mm -hmm. is two degrees Taurus, but also two degrees Leo, two Aquarius, or two Scorpio. Mm -hmm. um, in which case, if you did, it could be activating uh, some placement in one of those houses, which could relate to financial matters or friends or other people's money. Mm -hmm, definitely. Mm -hmm. So that's the second out of the three clustered here in mid January. The third one is the Saturn Pluto conjunction. And that one is actually very focal to you because it's a conjunction in Capricorn, and Capricorn is your first house if you're Capricorn rising. And so that's the house of yourself. And when major transits go through there, which either Saturn or Pluto would be, much less both of them together, it's a major restructuring of who you are as a person, sometimes identity pieces, um, which can even be things like you know, the first house can be all-encompassing and a little bit general, but it's just because it's so important to who you are. And so sometimes when Saturn transits through the first or Pluto transits through the first, it's sort of a major restructuring of who you think you are in the world and um, other life structures as well. You know, so it can even be career or partnership because this is kind of just all about you. Yeah, and part of that transit, the Pluto transit, started back in 2008 when Pluto first moved into Capricorn and into the rising sign for those with Capricorn rising. But then more recently, two years ago in December of 2017, is when Saturn moved into that sign and returned back to its home sign of Capricorn and began transiting their first house of body and mind and character. Mm -hmm. So some major restructurings in those areas. Um, sometimes it can bring up some challenges for health matters or some setbacks or some obstacles that you have to deal with. Mm -hmm. um, I know sometimes people like lose weight under like a Saturn transit through the first house. It's one of the ways that I rectify birth charts mm -hmm. um, because that can sometimes come up for positive reasons or negative reasons. The positive reasons can be getting more di disciplined about um, your health and physical vitality. Mm -hmm. um, in other ways, it can be getting more disciplined about your character and like how you express yourself or how you appear to the world in general. Mm -hmm. So that transit's been going on for two years now, and we're entering the final phases of it. And part of the backdrop for this year, though, that's really important to mention is that those aren't the only two planets, outer planets, transiting through that sign, but actually Jupiter entered Capricorn just a month or so ago, mm -hmm. and will be spending the entirety of the year there as well, which is nice, especially for the people with day charts and kind of balancing out the heavy Saturn and Pluto transits that have been going on in that sign for quite a while now. Definitely. So this can be for a lot of people, you know, you've been thinking about restructuring something major in your life, or you've been working on a health challenge or a planned surgery or things like that. I've talked to some people with Capricorn Rising who have stuff like that going on. Um, but this is going to be a beneficial influence that kind of, um, you know, as you said, helps balance out the seriousness of the Saturn and Pluto, and also brings more opening and opportunity to that area of your life. And so you might find it easier at this time if you've tr been trying to implement major changes or major restructuring in your life, or you were just planning on doing so in the coming year. Um, this will help um, make that more beneficial for you and also help it not feel quite as heavy. Yeah, definitely. So it brings 
much more of a sense of like optimism and growth and expansion to this year compared to other years in your life, mm-hmm, and especially compared to the past two years that Saturn's been transiting through that sign kind of on its own. Yeah, and so the big picture is that Saturn will finish this transit of your first house in in December of this year. So you've got just a little bit left. You know, this is the third year out of three, um, and Saturn and Pluto aren't new influences here. It shouldn't be really shocking or anything completely out of left field, but um, there may be a peak in activity because they're conjoining in January. Okay. All right. Um, so I think those are the major transits happening in January, mm-hmm. and, and some of those are like long-term transits that are going to be in effect most of the year, like Saturn transiting through the first house or Jupiter transiting through the first. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Let's move on to February. Okay. Sounds good. So February, um, one of the big shifts is going to be, or probably the most major shift, is Mars going into Capricorn in the middle of the month around February 16th. And so Mars is then joining those three other planets transiting in your first house of self. So there's just a bigger pileup with regard to, you know, whatever you're focusing on that time for major work on yourself, that can be, you know, health matters, that can be how you present yourself. It can just be longer term things like we've been talking about of major life restructuring. But Mars can bring a sense of greater energy to whatever efforts you've been trying to do. Um, but depending on, you know, your your specifics of your chart and whether you were born at day um, or at night, it could bring uh, irritability as well, impatience to do whatever you're trying to do because Saturn is kind of the long-term effort and Mars wants things done right now. And so there can be a little bit of a frustration with this transit, even though it will also probably energize you to do whatever you, you've been trying to work on. Yeah, so maybe be careful about a propensity during this month-long transit of Mars to the first of a greater tendency towards irritability, towards um, impulsiveness, impulsive action, or just being sort of agitated. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be good for getting things done and mm-hmm. like making a concerted effort. Um, but yeah, be careful about the potential. Like Mars can be just a little bit too impetuous, impetuous, and mm-hmm. can sometimes cause people to get into trouble or get into arguments more than they might otherwise. Yeah, definitely. Um, and also, you know, be careful about your health, maybe a little bit more than usual during that six-week transit, because the first house can have to do with that. Yeah, with the the body as well as the mind. Mm-hmm, exactly. All right, so that transit starts on the 16th, but it's going to last all the way until the end of March, uh, until March 30th. Mm-hmm. Um, so weirdly, right about the same time that it starts on the 16th of February, there's a simultaneous other transit that's happening in parallel, which is that Mercury stations retrograde in Pisces conjunct Neptune. Mm-hmm. So this is the first of three Mercury retrograde periods this year, and it's happening in the third house for those with Capricorn rising of communication, siblings, and short distance travel. Yeah, so a Mercury retrograde can cause you to reevaluate anything in that area, wherever whatever it's touching. So that could be reevaluation of your relationship with one of your siblings, if you have siblings, or any other actually assorted relatives also go in the third house, so cousins and things like that. Um, also your neighbors, if you need to work anything out with neighbors, um, this could also be a revisiting of that issue. Uh, it will be just for a few weeks, so it's not a major transit, um, but it does dip 
tiny bit back into Aquarius at the end. So while it's in the Pisces house, in your third house um, of siblings, short distance travel, etc., it is with Neptune. And while we're not really going to be focusing on Neptune too much in this um, forecast, Neptune is a long-term influence that's been transiting in Pisces in your third house. And so that can bring a bit of nebulousness to things regarding any of those topics. Like there can be some confusion with regard to one of your siblings, or your relationship with them, or there could be some sort of uncertainty with regard to interactions with neighbors and that sort of thing. So um, just keep an eye out for that because this Mercury retrograde will be with Neptune. And that's true for everyone, but this is the area it'll be focused on for you. Then when it stations direct, it's going to be stationing direct just in the end of Aquarius, which is for you, the second house of your income and possessions. And so there may be, they're not always tied together when a Mercury retrograde touches two houses um, during its um, time backwards, but it can for some people connect possibly one of those third house topics and something about your own finances, um, either um, you know lending a sibling money, for instance, or some sort of interaction with a neighbor that requires you to spend money on something, that sort of thing. Right. So it looks like Mercury uh, retrogrades back into Aquarius on the 4th of March, and then it stations direct in Aquarius in the second house of finances on the 9th of March. Mm -hmm. So it's activating those two topics. Be careful, especially in the first half of the Mercury retrograde, about miscommunications with third house uh, people like siblings or neighbors. Um, but then once it goes into the second house, it's revisiting and forcing you to go back and finish something or revise something with respect to financial matters. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's wrapped up by the second week of March and then Mercury starts moving forward. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting is that it seems to queue up some other financial transits that actually begin later in March in the same sign. Yeah, definitely. So it's kind of an interesting March where Mercury stations direct near the beginning of the month. And then later in the month, about the third week, Saturn enters Aquarius for just a few month preview of its transit through your second house of income and finances. And then Mars, um, just a bit later in March, also enters your second house. So there's going to be a lot of attention moving towards that area. So even though the Mercury retrograde will maybe wrap up something smaller when it goes direct with regard to finances in your life, there's going to be more attention paid coming up. And when Saturn enters your second house of income, that's going to give you give all of us a little preview of what the Aquarius transit will be about because Saturn transits are normally two and a half to three years long. And um, that will come in full force starting in December. But from late March until July 1st, we do get a preview of the first couple degrees of Aquarius. And so for you, this is going to be um, a time when you start to need to think more um, carefully about your finances. Maybe you're restructuring something about your finances. You are trying to get a higher paying job. You're trying to figure out how you can um, manage your finances better, any of those type of topics. Yeah. So a major restructuring of finances, sometimes it can be a more conservative period for finances. It's like there's some years where things are just rapid growth and, and everything's great, but there's other years where you have to be a little bit more careful or things are a little bit more lean. And this seems to be inaugurating like a period like that, mm -hmm. except it's just kind of a preview of it for this three-month period from late March and th through late June. Yeah. But it's interesting that it begins with a Mars-Saturn conjunction um, right at the end of March, which almost seems to imply whether you have a day chart or a night chart that there's some challenge or obstacle that might arise at this time that forces you to 
address it and deal with it, especially in the financial sector. Yeah, and this can easily be something like you know you lose some you know piece of how you make a make your income. You know, like losing a job would be, I guess, worst case scenario. That's certainly not going to be true for everyone, but it's that kind of thing. Or or conversely, like a greater expenditure that comes out of nowhere, like your car breaks down and you need to replace it, and you weren't expecting to put that money out right now. That kind of thing. So. While this um, Aquarius transit does begin with something that's probably more stressful, either an external thing or at the very least just an internal stress of something about your, your financial picture, um, when it does come back later in the year, I don't want this to scare you as a preview because it'll actually be probably better for most people when it comes back later because it will be joined at that point by Jupiter instead of Mars. And so um, while this preview will give you a sense of what will require more attention down the road starting at the end of the year, it won't feel exactly the same later. Right. There's a little bit more optimism and balance when the transit gets fully going in December because Saturn goes into the second house at the same time that Jupiter does. Mm -hmm. But in this early preview phase, there's a little bit more tumultuousness in this area because of this Mars-Saturn conjunction. That's going to be especially true for people that have placements at zero degrees of the fixed signs, like zero degrees of Aquarius, especially where the Mars-Saturn conjunction takes place, mm -hmm. but also to a lesser extent like zero Taurus, zero Leo, or zero Scorpio. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so that's a lot of what is important in March here. Um, all right, so March, and then that pretty much takes us through because the Saturn Mars ingress, while it begins at the end of March, it carries through all of April, mm -hmm. which takes us into that month. Mm -hmm. So there's April. Yeah. So April starts um, early in the month with a Jupiter Pluto conjunction on April 4th. And Saturn has temporarily for a few months moved out of your first house of self. So in a lot of ways, even though it's moving its attention on, you know, sort of sober seriousness and that sort of thing towards your finances, it's in some ways alleviating that feeling to some extent for you because you're Capricorn rising. And so getting Saturn temporarily out of your first house will probably feel like a little bit of let up of pressure for you. Um, it's not fully done. But so while it's out of your first house, this Jupiter-Pluto conjunction, happens. And so that's a sense of whatever this long-term Pluto transit has been for you since about 2008 that's been kind of um, a very slow-moving but powerful push to transform something about who you are um, or your sense of identity or something major about your life, Jupiter comes along to kind of expand that feeling or that impulse. And so if you've been working on that already, this could be a time where you feel an even bigger push or not just feel, but you're able to do a bigger push at this time to keep um, sort of growing and expanding in the ways that you've been wanting to do. Yeah, so it's kind of nice then at this point with both Jupiter with Saturn and Mars out of Capricorn just leaving Jupiter to its own devices, some of the um push for growth and expansion really accelerates at this point and Jupiter itself probably accelerates some of the push for transformation, hopefully in positive ways that's coming from Pluto when it forms this conjunction in early April. Um, so yeah, this is a good time to expand on things um with respect to your body or with respect to your mind. 
Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of like good body things that you could be doing, like beginning a new course of like uh, like a diet or ex- exercise regime mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah, definitely. Like those Capricorn risings who haven't been, you know, taking care of their health earlier on, this could be a longer term transit where you're like, no, I'm, I need to get it together for the long term. So I say healthy as long as possible. And so trying new things with regard to any of those types of um, routines could be helpful. Yeah, it might just be worth noting that you're not like completely out of the woods with Saturn yet because Saturn will retrograde back into Capricorn. So if there's a question about whether you're initiating something at this time and whether you'll run into any setbacks still mm-hmm. in the future, there might be a little bit of like sweep up that's going to be due in the second half of the year when Saturn does retrograde back into Capricorn. Yeah, definitely. That's good advice. And one other piece of advice I would say is even though this should feel a little lighter for you and you feel like you have more room to push forward or expand um, with less constriction on you, Um, One thing to be careful of with Jupiter and Pluto conjoining in Capricorn, Capricorn itself is a somewhat ambitious sign, and Jupiter and Pluto together can really make you feel like you you want to grow and you want to build and it's it can be very self-focused which in some ways is very appropriate for you right now because it is in your first house of self you just want to i think the um the caution for jupiter for all of those transits in the first and particularly that when jupiter and pluto can join is to try not to be too to come off as too overbearing because that could easily happen with that kind of like um really ambitious push feeling going on right all right. Um, so later in the month, the only other major outer planet transit is that Pluto stations retrograding Capricorn, which mm-hmm. is just an intensification of some of the same energies. Mm-hmm. So we can skip over that and move to May. Mm-hmm. So May, um, Saturn stations retrograde just um, just about two degrees of Aquarius on May 11th. And that, so basically since late March, it's come into your second house of income and finances. It's caused you to focus a little bit more seriously on that area. And now anytime a planet stations, as we were talking about before, it does just intensify whatever that energy is about. And so for a Saturn station, it can be a um, temporarily feel like a more serious um, point in time where you whatever issues have been brought up for you in your financial life, it, it's kind of front and center um, in front of you. So that's that's going to be retrograding. It's only stationing now to retrograde to go back into Capricorn since it's on, only made it to the, through the first two degrees of Aquarius. Um, but that's kind of one major piece of what's going on here. Okay. Um, yeah. So this is going to be the final time of really Figuring out what that long-term Saturn transit is going to be about, like you said, and for some people that's going to be like a light restructuring of financial matters. For other people, it might be a more intense long-term period of having to deal with some setbacks or some problems in that area and figuring out how to adjust accordingly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting though that the Mars transit ends just a couple days later, so it seems like. Mm-hmm. For this is a turning point because Mars then leaves the second house, Saturn stations, where it's going to begin the slow move to move out of the second house. So it seems like definitely for the people with day charts that there's some alleviation of whatever the um, issue was, at least temporarily at this point around the 14th of May when, or 13th of May when Mars leaves that sign and goes into Pisces. Mm -hmm, Definitely. So then Mars will go into Pisces, which goes back into your third house of siblings, neighbors, short distance travel. Um, Not really a, a major transit, but it does get out of your financial house. Then Jupiter stations retrograde and Venus stations retrograde right around the same time in middle in the middle of May. 
And um, so the Jupiter station retrograde isn't a huge deal. The Venus retrograde will be happening in your sixth house, which has to do with, um, interestingly, that can also have crossover with health things, um, just like the first. I would say first, sixth, and twelfth can touch on health matters. So it can be a revisiting of something around your health routines. The sixth house also governs things like coworkers, um, employees, if you have any, and generally things about your work routines, whether that's things you're getting done at home or things you're getting done in the workplace. And so a Venus retrograde, um, it, like any retrograde, can cause you to um, just revisit any of those topics, kind of go back over and see what's not working. There could be someone, since the Venus retrograde, which sometimes has to do more with people coming back, um, you know, in a general signification sense, Venus retrogrades are sometimes known for like ex-relationships coming back or or that sort of thing. Since it's happening, that could be true for anyone, but it's also happening in your sixth. And so that could be something like people you used to work with um, or old employees coming back to you. Um, it's not necessarily the case that in, in any of these situations that you need to stick with them for the long haul, because sometimes Venus retrogrades are more like... Um, you know, you at first are like, oh, I remember that. That was so nice. But particularly with this one, Venus is actually stationing retrograde exactly square Neptune. And there can, so um, it kind of intensifies further the, or exacerbates further the potential for not seeing things clearly with regard to whoever comes back or whatever you're revisiting in that, that time. So, and that can go both ways. You can either see people as um, sort of, more more idealistically than you mm -hmm. should or conversely you could only see the problems um with people you work with or who work for you one scenario i'm thinking of is like revisiting an old job and like thinking about whether you should take mm -hmm. an old job again and having maybe an unrealistic image in your head of like how great it was before but then you like go back to it and, and remember that it wasn't as great as you thought it was definitely or alternatively something like that because the sixth house is also employees so there could be a similar scenario with like somebody who works for you or comes back to work for you mm -hmm. one of the things you might want to be careful about during this time is that with mars also ingressing into the third house of communication during this time it could be a period in which um, you could be a little bit more combative verbally or you could be a little bit more not forthright isn't the right term, but what's mm. a similar term? Like brusque. Brusque. Yeah. Yeah. And like maybe getting into trouble in the workplace as a result of maybe being a little bit too brusque in your communication style. Mm. Yeah, that could be. So Venus retrogrades um, from that point forward and into June. So um, it is oftentimes best, whatever you're sort of reviewing or you know thinking back on at that time, it is best if you can, if it's possible to hold off on any decisions that might you might need to make regarding any of those things until after it does go direct because it'll station direct right near when Neptune's stationing direct. So this particularly this particular Venus retrograde is um, way more Neptunian than usual. So there could be, you know, lack of clarity kind of floating around for everyone involved, really. Sure. Um, and then also, you, did you mention like health stuff? Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the sixth is, you know, similar, has some overlap to the first house because they can both be involved in health. So that's kind of interesting for you with Capricorn rising since there's kind of a focus in two ways at that time. Yeah. But just some potential nebulousness surrounding health issues around that time, especially around the time of the station as a potential. Yeah. Or having to go back for a second opinion or something like that, reviewing something. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you can think back to eight years ago was the last time that Venus went retrograde in Gemini in the same sector in your chart. 
And that could give you some preview of what this Venus retrograde could be somewhat about. Mm -hmm. All right. So I believe that takes us on to June. All right. So June. Um, one of the first things that happens in June is the first eclipse in Sagittarius. And so um, we've been in the Cancer Capricorn series of eclipses for about a year now, and there's still a couple more left here this summer, but there's also this stray Sagittarius one that kind of moves in and starts off that series that will begin more in full force at the end of the year, in November and December. So this is the very first one in Sagittarius. And so eclipses can sometimes bring beginnings and endings with regarding to the areas that are, ha that are happening in for you. And the Sagittarius one for Capricorn rising is going to be in your 12th house, which is kind of a hidden house. It has to do with things that happen behind the scenes, sometimes, um, you know, time that's needed to be alone, sometimes reasons that you're taken out of the everyday, you know, day to day life, such as if you get sick and, you know, things. Um, so you have to be home for a while. The 12th house does govern other things that are sort of even more secluded, like hospitals and prisons and things like that. But it, it's just sort of something that's hidden area for you. Um, so with the eclipse happening here, you know, it's interesting. Um, I will double up and say, you know, everyone with Capricorn rising should, you know, not be fearful, but do keep a handle on any health things that are coming up for you because the first, sixth, and twelfth are those three houses that can touch on that. Mm -hmm. So for some people, that could mean like a period of time where you get sick and you need to like stop working for, you know, temporarily. Sure. Yeah. Having a Lunar eclipse, which is like a full moon, a supercharged full moon shining a spotlight in the twelfth house, can bring just greater attention to both physical as well as mental health. Mm -hmm. And maybe if there's anything that you need to be addressing or haven't been addressing, this might be a time when you start to put greater attention on that area of your life. Mm -hmm. um, other topics associated with the twelfth house are things like people that you don't get along with in your life. It could bring greater attention to that area of your life and needing to resolve or address some of the issues that you have with those people. Mm -hmm. uh, the 12th is also the place that has to do with instances where we sometimes undermine ourselves. And if there are areas in your life where you've been undermining yourself, it might force you to focus on those areas more in order to see if you can stop doing that or manage it a little bit more constructively than you have in the past? Yeah, for sure. Any movements in the 12th house, particularly more major ones like an eclipse, can kind of shine a spotlight on um, things where you're not, th you can have a skewed perspective in some way in the 12th house, like and be like, um, you know, something about your subconscious where we all have like, you know, maybe at least one thing where we don't necessarily see completely clearly in that topic. And so it can just sort of be like, oh, right, that's that's something that's activated for me right now. That won't be for everyone, but for some people so that might come up. And I would also say, um, you know, you're only getting the 12th house eclipse now, not the sixth. But since there was a retrograde as well through the sixth and then at the end of the year, the eclipses will be happening in the 12th and the 6th. This is starting to bring your attention to the balance in your life of work and rest. I see that a lot when there's eclipses in the 6th and the 12th. People are kind of struggling to, not always struggling, but trying to figure out how to rebalance those topics in their life. And oftentimes, for many people, it is because they're overworking. And so they need to you know, start to, <laughs> what are you no, laughing at? I'm not at? sure what you're talking about. <laughs> and this is actually not a pointed comment. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, I just recorded 10 horoscopes in a row, and this eclipses 
are falling in my sixth and twelfth houses, right? And I feel like that's a little, <laughs> that's a little pointed. <laughs> well, it just happens to be true without me actually saying it with the motivation of being pointed. <laughs> no, I no, I have actually. I know it's funny, but uh, it may be true for you at this time. But it is also I've seen that with tons of people, really. Um, you know, struggling with. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're making me laugh. I've seen that a lot when people have, you know, with clients when they have eclipses in their sixth and twelfth is, and it's not always from being becoming sick, although sometimes it is. Um, but even if it's not from that, it's often a sense of being burnt out or feeling stretched to your limit and realizing you can't work 24 seven. And so, um, and sometimes with the eclipses, I am not someone who says, you know, this has only happened to bring it to your attention if you got, you know, sick at this time. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, these do bring up that balance for you. And so you may have to like figure out a new, like actually I'm working too much. How do I take alone time for myself, which is a 12th house topic? How do I rest enough so that I go back into the world refreshed after that, that kind of thing? Sure. So that's a good keyword. So the balance between work versus rest. Mm -hmm. And so this is something that they're just inching into. Um, like you said, we had the Venus retrograde and then we've got this eclipse here, but it's really later this year around november and december that this eclipse series will fully get going and that'll be that shift towards that topic and that axis of houses will be much more not dramatic but much more um firmly in place at that point mm -hmm. much more active later so this is starting it off so giving you a sense of what that's about okay all right, so um, that's not actually that's just like one eclipse that mm -hmm. we just spent a while talking about at right. the very beginning of June. Yeah, not the only eclipse. No, there's like three that. So usually there's two every six months, but sometimes when the nodes are shifting between signs, then you can get like a stray one that's you know kind of wide out in one direction or another, and so you have three. So anyway, we have that one in Sagittarius in your twelfth house of hidden places. Then we have later in the month. Um, a Cancer Eclipse on June, June 21st, and that is going to be in your seventh house of partnership. We talked about that earlier. This is going to be the last Cancer Eclipse in that area of your life. Yeah, so this is a solar eclipse, so it's a new moon, supercharged new moon in your seventh house of relationships. But what's weird about it is it actually happens around the same time as a, the second Mercury retrograde of the year, which is also in Cancer, and that begins on the 18th of June. Mm -hmm. So Mercury goes retrograde in your seventh house of relationships and partnerships. So there could be some need to go back and revisit something involving your partnerships, whether it's a romantic partnership or a business partnership, potentially to reassess it or renegotiate something in that area of your life. And for whatever reason, during the process of doing that, that ends up um, laying a new foundation or sets the seeds of something that will grow and develop in terms of relationships for you over the course of the next six months. Yeah, definitely. So I normally don't put a ton of emphasis on Mercury retrogrades because they happen three to four times a year. They're just a few weeks at a time. And unless Mercury is activated for you through some sort of timing technique, like annual perfections or something like that, they're not usually super major. But in this case, like you just mentioned, it is tied into the same exact area in your life as the eclipse. And so it may be a more important revisiting this time because it's tied into, you know, potentially something that's a bigger change. So um, yeah, so that will go that and this retrograde will actually start in cancer and end in cancer. So all the attention is in cancer in your seventh house here. Yeah. And so during the course of that, Venus eventually stations direct on the 25th of June and ends its retrograde cycle in the sixth house of 
work and health. Mm -hmm. And then shortly after that, the last major shift that happens is that Mars moves into Capricorn on the 27th of June. In Aries. Oh, Aries. Yeah. Okay. Mars moves into, into Aries, which is the fourth whole sign house in the sector of the home and the family and the living situation for those with Capricorn rising. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, normally a Mars transit is only going to stay in a certain house of your chart for six weeks. But this year is a little unusual because Mars is slowing down to go retrograde later in the year. It will station retrograde in September, direct in November. The upshot of that is that Mars is going to stay in Aries for six months instead of six weeks which is a pretty big difference. And so for the entirety of the second half of 2020, the planet Mars, which has to do with assertion, self-will, um, sometimes conflict or tensions, is going through your house of home and family. So that could bring a lot more um, energy towards you, the private area of your life. That can pertain to your actual living situation, like your house or your apartment. It can pertain to things involving family members, particularly parents or your relationship with your parents. Um, or just, you know, things involving anyone else you live with at home. And so Mars transits there. It's a very active influence, particularly in Aries. It's not a very gentle influence. Usually you kind of want peace and quiet, or most people do in their home. And so this is going to be more um, something needs your energy. You need to fix something maybe with a Mars transit there. Um, you might, you know, have an argument with someone you live with, that kind of thing. Yeah. So Mars can generally indicate a period of like strife or conflict or at least tension in the area that it's transiting. So if you're here in this context, it's the home and the living situation and the parents. It could create a kind of tumultuous situation in terms of your living situation for a few months. That's going to be particularly important during the two stations, especially when Mars actually stations retrograde in September, mm -hmm. um, especially if people have uh, placements around 28 degrees of Aries, which is the actual degree it stations or to a lesser extent, 28 degrees of the other three cardinal signs, Cancer, Libra, or Capricorn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And this will differ a bit depending on the specifics of your birth chart. It won't be the same for everyone. Um, it will be more tensions for people who are born during the day, whereas if you're born at night, it might just be more like you have to expend more energy in that area of your life or attention, but it not, won't necessarily um, be like a super conflict. Yeah, it could just be like doing a lot more work at home or like initiating some sort of major, like even like a construction project or mm -hmm. something like I, that. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So it's still energy, but you know, it depends on, you know, the the specifics. Anyway, so we're kind of dwelling on it now for a moment. It will become more important later, but this is when that transit begins. And so it will um the themes related to that in your area of home and family may start to arise at this time. Yeah. All right. And that takes us into July. Mm-hmm. And the major stuff in July happens largely right at the top of the month. Yeah, so right away, the first day of July, July 1st, Saturn retrogrades back into Capricorn into your first house of self. So that transit we were talking about earlier in the year, um, starting off the year in January, it did leave in late March. You got a, a little bit of a let up in terms of that serious focus on transforming, you know, who you are in the world or major changes in your life and um, or, you know, to your health routines or things like that. It's coming back now for the last time that is the final stretch. Um, from July until about mid-December. And in terms of you know the bigger picture, it's been for about three years. It'll be a three-year transit by the time it's done. And so this isn't that big of a deal. This is like five months left. But yeah. it is back into your first house, and so it does become central for you again. Yeah, and there's a lunar eclipse in Capricorn immediately after that. Mm -hmm. So both both of these 
are repeating or reemphasizing a similar theme, which is like finishing something up and bringing something to completion and starting to see the results of a long-term series of activity that have been taking place over the course of the past two or two and a half years, yeah. and really starting to see um, some of those efforts come to fruition, especially in the first house in the sense of self and the long-term impact of those transits in terms of either some bodily changes and changes in terms of your physicality or physical health over the past couple of years, or alternatively with respect to your character or your mind and some of the characteristics that you've been developing and cultivating that might be new in your life in some way? Yeah, definitely. So um, a lot of this will be already underway and in process well before now, unless you have um, placements in very late degrees of Capricorn, then this could be more of a you know focal point in time. But for many people, this is something you've already been working on for a while. Now, if you don't see the results yet, or if you still feel, particularly once Saturn goes back into your first house of self, like a sense of like, you know, I've been working on this forever, and you know, when the when is this going to let up? Because it can be a heavy feeling transit for sure, and for some people more than others. Just know that Saturn transits often also pay their dividends after they're done. And so even if you still feel like you're laboring at whatever this is, a major change in your life or, you know, responsibilities in your life, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're off track because it may still pay off after the transit is finished. Sure. Um, and it might be partially tied in with, because it looks like the Mercury retrograde doesn't finish until the 12th of July. So it's kind of notable that we're having this sudden shift in first house activity, but it's kind of happening in opposition to this Mercury retrograde in the seventh house, which is causing some sort of reassessment um, in the area of relationships. And it may be that something that happened or is happening during this time in June and July um, in the relationship world is forcing you to define better who you are and your sense of self and what you want out of your life as opposed to like your partner or as opposed to some of the close personal relationships that you've had. Yeah, definitely. And that can easily happen, you know, if you are partnered anytime that you redefine your sense of who you are, that can affect how you relate with a partner, how they relate with you because maybe something has changed that then they have to adjust with, adjust to. And vice versa, if your partner has been having changes in their life, then that forces you to readjust. So it is kind of like a dialectic going back and forth between these two houses for you and particularly right now. Right. All right, I like that word dialectic. Thank you. We're using big words at this point in the horoscope videos. <laughs> this is the big word horoscope forecast. <laughs> right. All right. Um, that's pretty much it for July in terms of the major transits. It's just those two major Capricorn shifts at the beginning, Mercury going direct, and then we move into August. Okay. So August, let's see, the major thing, honestly, even though it looks like on the calendar here visually that there's lots going on, many of these are quick interplanet transits. So the biggest picture thing that's happening in August is going to be Uranus stationing for the second time out of two um, for 2020. Uranus is stationing on August 15th, and it will be stationing retrograde 
at about 10, almost 11 degrees of Taurus. And so for you, the topics we brought up um, at the top of the year in January with regard to unexpectedness or ups and downs or you know innovation with regard to fifth house matters, which is children, sexuality, creative expression, um, things like that, or things you do for fun. This is another point when you're in a stations in the middle of August that there may be an intensification of whatever is coming up for you around that. And that's going to be particularly so if you do have fixed sign placements around 10, 11 degrees. So um, any planets at 10 degrees of Taurus or to some extent um, 10 degrees of Scorpio, Aquarius, or Leo. Yeah, because this is the furthest that Uranus has gotten into this sign. So for people that have placements around 10 degrees of fixed signs, it's really going to be the first time it fully hits some of those personal points in their chart. Mm -hmm. And so the real sense of either disruption or excitement or in some instances, just like rebelliousness will really um, become much more prominent, even though they've been there in the background ever since Uranus went into Taurus a year or two ago. Um, it's definitely going to hit a peak point at this point for some people, mm -hmm. especially in the area of either children and sexuality, fifth house, eighth house shared resources, 11th house friends and groups, or second house uh, finances. Mm -hmm, for sure. And if you're in the dating world, you know, not everyone will be, but if you are, that can make um, things regarding dating, because that often goes in the fifth house, you know, things that aren't established partnerships, mm. um, you know, particularly exciting, but also potentially um, up and down or um, just, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not memorable. Just like unstable yeah. or short term? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. Um, Definitely. I think that's a good delineation. So that's really the main thing that's happening in August. It's just that you're in a station. There's other like interplanet transits, but nothing we need to dwell on. Mm -hmm. That takes us to September. Um, and September is one of the more notable months of the year because this is when Mars actually finally stations retrograde. Yeah. So the three major things that happen in September, um, first on September 9th, Mars does station retrograde in Aries in your fourth house of home and family. The other couple of things we'll touch on are Jupiter stationing direct a few days later and Saturn stationing direct near the end of the month. And so Mars stationing retrograde in your fourth house of home and family um, we mentioned that when it first went in at the end of June. So anything, any energy you've been expending on the area of home and family or things involving your parents or your living situation, um, there, it, I don't want to say revisit because that's not even strong enough term. It is that because it's turning retrograde and so it's literally going back over um, the area that it, you've already covered up to this point. There may be a sense that especially since Mars is retrograding at 28 degrees, it's almost all the way through the end of the sign. And so you may have a feeling at this time that like, oh, I've already done this, everything's handled. And then something comes up where you have to go back over what you've recently been working on in that area for some reason. And so um, sometimes, um, I mean, a keyword for both the Mars Saturn when it went into Aquarius and also this Mars retrograde is a feeling of frustration. This one is more of a, I thought I already had that handled or sometimes like an anger, you know, conflict can come up at this time when it does station direct because it's an intensification of Mars energy, which is like your, what you want coming up against potentially what someone else wants in your home or living situation. Um, so this is going to be retrograde until the middle of November, so a little over two months. So this is the time period where you can expect to go back over whatever you've been doing in this area of your life and try to figure out what you need to do to reroute it to get it moving forward again, but it may take a little bit. Yeah, and just looking at the chart for when 
Mars actually stations retrograde, one of the things that's interesting is that it does so um, pretty closely square to Saturn. Mm -hmm. So Mars stations at 28 Aries and it's squaring Saturn at 25 degrees of Capricorn. So it may be bringing up some real instances or real um, issues uh, surrounding like your home and living situation and family and that creating tensions with you and your sense of like self mm -hmm. and your want to differentiate your own personality from let's say your family or your family background or something about your living situation. Yeah, definitely. And squares are natural tension. So it is literally, you know, something in this area is coming a little bit at odds with something in this other area, and you somehow have to handle both. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's not that you can just focus on one or the other. And that's what creates that feeling of tension, in addition to Mars being one of the planets in this particular square. Um, it's interesting for Capricorn rising that you have you know, simultaneous to these long-term transits and your first sort of redefining your sense of self or who you feel you are in the world with things going on in your fourth house of home and family or parents and your seventh house of partnership. There's a lot of stuff going on this year with regard to who you are and other people in your life and interpersonal relations. Yeah, that really seems to be one of the big themes this year of just that axis of like first house self, seventh house other, and fourth house origins or foundations. Mm -hmm. And with this Saturn Mars square in particular, with it stationing retrograde in, Mar in um, Aries in your fourth house, I could easily see this. It will play out differently, of course, for everyone uh, with the specifics. But you know, Saturn is like I'm working on this stuff for my for myself for what I need, and then but you simultaneously then something crops up in your home or living situation or with your parents that you need to handle at the same time while really wanting to continue focusing on what you're trying to do for yourself. And somehow mm -hmm. you have to juggle both of those. Right. That makes sense. So yeah, that's one of the things happening in September is Mars stationing retrograde. Um, additionally, we have Jupiter stationing direct in Capricorn, which is positive, mm -hmm. especially for those with Capricorn rising. And even at the end of the month, Saturn stations direct in Capricorn and makes its final direct station which also seemed kind of notable, especially for those with Capricorn rising. Yeah, and the Jupiter stationing direct is a little bit of a saving grace this month, I think, especially just a few days after that Mars retrograde. Um, it doesn't negate that. They're in different areas of life. But the Jupiter stationing direct you know, just emphasizes further that sense of opportunity or expansion in the area of self for you or openings or you know, um, things saying yes instead of no. And so that does help out quite a bit here. And that makes it um, direct for the rest of its time this year, I believe, right? Yeah. I mean, this is the final direct station of Saturn, and then it's going to be heading on its way out of Capricorn for the rest of the year until it finally departs in mid to late December. Yeah. So that's really nice. And that's a bright spot in this month for you in particular with Capricorn rising because it's so focal to, to you and your chart. Then Saturn stations direct near the end of the month. And um, that will mean, even though it is a final intensification on that feeling of like responsibility, hard work, restructuring, which is also very focal to you because it's transiting your first house of self, this is the last push. This is really the last push. We did mention a, the last push when it went back into Capricorn, but as it stationed, it was still retrograde. So as it stations direct here, this is really like the last bit. And it's interesting that Jupiter and Saturn are both stationing direct in the same month here in September because they're both in your first house of self. And it's kind of like, you know, okay, um, uh, I can't, I'm not thinking of that phrase, but you know, like uh, something going ahead, basically. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, right. I'm, I'm missing a catchphrase here. Mars isn't going ahead yet, but Saturn and uh, Saturn and Jupiter are in your first, and that's very helpful. Yeah, I mean, it just seems that whatever the tensions are that are happening in the home and living situation or with the parents somehow um, are connected to or might uh, prompt a period of growth and development and becoming more mature um, with respect to the sense of self with these two planets stationing direct in the first at the same time. And that seems positive for the most part. I mean, I guess it depends on what specifically they're hitting in the birth chart in terms mm -hmm. of those degrees, Yeah, but it could be constructive in the long term. Yeah, for sure. And again, this won't be true for everyone. Lots of different manifestations possible, but I could see a, you know, a sort of allegorical situation here where maybe you've been working hard to you know, get a new job or something like that, or, you know, improve your professional situation. And because even though this isn't the professional area per se in your chart, sometimes that happens just with Saturn going through the first is greater responsibilities being put on you mm -hmm. and you kind of rising to the occasion, even though it takes a lot of work. And so you could be doing that and finally attaining something new, but it causes you to have to move. And then, you know, you spend several months figuring out where you're going to live for the new position. That's not going to be true for everyone, but that's the kind of thing it can be. Sure. All right. Um, so I think that's going to take us then out of September and into the astrology of October. Okay. So October, we start early on Pluto stations direct on October 4th. That's just kind of an intensification um, of the same themes that we have been talking about. There is the last Mercury retrograde of the year that starts in mid-month on October 13th. It stations retrograde in Scorpio, which is going to be your 11th house of um, friends and groups and associations, networks of people. And then, yeah, that's the major thing actually that's happening in October, I think. Nothing other that um, bigger that I'm missing, right? No, Mercury stations retrograde in the 11th house. Yeah. It retrogrades back into the 12th house. But most of the, the tenth. most of the month is dominated by that. Uh huh. You're right. Tenth house yeah. into Libra. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So Mercury is retrograding in the house of friends and groups for you. So there may be um, people that you used to be friends with, or old professional networks, or you know something about your social sphere that either comes back at this time from a previous um, time in your life. Or there's, there could be miscommunications with regard to people you're friends with or something like that or groups you belong to. And so that retrogrades, um, you know, the retrograde period is just for a few weeks. It does retrograde through that 11th house and then end at the very end of Libra, which is your 10th house of career um, and public reputation, supervisors if you have one. But it's, it's the workhouse, basically, the sort of more professional workhouse. And so... For some people with Capricorn rising, these topics could be tied back together, thinking of something like, you know, I don't mean to focus so much on the job thing, but Capricorns often are focused on things like that, so maybe it's not terrible. Um, so maybe you get back in touch with an old friend, or they get back in touch with you, and they're like, oh, there's actually this position for, you know, would you like to take it? Or something like that, just because the retrograde is happening through the friends group and through your professional sphere. And one of the things about that is that's potentially notable and relevant worth mentioning here is that Mercury, when it stations, it stations at 11 degrees of Scorpio opposite to Uranus at 18, or sorry, at nine degrees of Taurus, mm. which almost seems like there's something unexpected or something disruptive that comes in the sphere of friends or groups or alliances that sort of like precipitates whatever the Mercury retrograde odyssey is over the course of the next three weeks. Mm, yeah, that could be. 
So yeah, then it stations direct in Libra at the beginning of November. We're not to November yet, but that's basically one of the main things going on in October. Yeah, so retrogrades back into Libra on the 27th, and then it stations direct on the 3rd of November in very late Libra, mm -hmm. uh, like you said, in the 10th house of career. Around that time, it's actually it stations square Saturn in late Capricorn, mm -hmm. yeah. so possibly connected. This is actually like the final other cardinal house that it's actually filling out this year just to like get all four of them. Mm -hmm. It seems to come very late in the year where we have another transit that's happening in the 10th house, so the other major sector of the chart. So that means in the end, we do get somewhat notable transits in all four of the angular houses for the Capricorn rising people this year. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. So for some people, like I was talking about earlier with potential job things, you know, that could actually come up at this time more so just because even though a Mercury retrograde isn't a huge transit, it is stationing direct then in your 10th house of the professional sphere, square Saturn transiting in your first house of self. Right. All right. Um, so this is taking us into November. Mm -hmm. And aside from Mercury stationing direct on the third, the other major thing that happens is that Mars stations direct at about 15 degrees of Aries on the 13th of November mm -hmm. in the fourth house of the home and living situation and parents. Yeah. So we've talked about that a decent bit at this point. So whatever has come up for you um, over the past few months since Mars was in your fourth house of home and family and then went retrograde in particular since then, since early to mid-September, this now is a possibility of getting it, starting to get it straightened out. Mars moves pretty slowly when it stations direct, so it won't be up to speed immediately. But this is the next major turning point where um, you know you can start to put plans in place for smoothing things out in this area, whatever has cropped up for you going forward, even if you can't make it all happen immediately. Right. So at least we're starting to see the end of that and the resolution, hopefully, of some of the challenges or the tensions that have occurred in this area of the chart over the past few months. Mm -hmm. And then Mars will start making its way out of that sign between now and the early part of next year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you still got a bit to go in terms of Mars transiting your fourth house of home and family, but this is the turning point where it can start to move more smoothly or at least more directly and figure things out. Sure. So by this point, we also enter into eclipse season again by the end of the month, mm -hmm. starting on the 30th of November with a lunar eclipse in the sign of Gemini, which is the sixth house of work and health. Yeah, so we talked a little bit about that earlier with the Venus retrograde in the summer in your sixth house in Gemini. So this brings up a lot of those same themes, you know, coworkers, employees, um, your own work and health, um, health routines, that kind of thing. So eclipses are activating. Also, what I was talking about earlier with that Sagittarius eclipse in your 12th in the summer, this now moves into that whole axis of 12th and 6th, which is, you know, work and rest. And so this is the work part. Right. Because there's two weeks later, there's a Sagittarius solar eclipse, which takes place on the 14th of December. So now the eclipses has, have fully shifted to that 6th house, 12th house axis where they'll stay for the next year or so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Basically, if health things come up for you, best to get them checked out. It won't always be a reactive thing. It can also be proactive. So this can be a good time for you to start new health routines or things like that um, to revisit what you're doing to maintain your health because Sixth of the House is a lot about um, you know, your daily routines, whatever they are. Yeah, and since this is a, a lunar eclipse that's taking place in the Sixth House, there's probably something that you initiated 
in this area, either in your workplace or with respect to your health and physical vitality that was initiated six months earlier that starts to come to culmination at this point and you start to see some of the results of it. Mm-hmm. So it's like if you started going to the gym over the summer or something, you may now start to really see the difference six months later and how it's changed your life in some notable or significant way. Yeah, for sure. And it can go back and forth too, because then six months after this, we're going to get the opposite. So it's kind of an ongoing story here with regard to those topics. Yeah, some of the changes that happen in our lives happen more like like waves rather than a singular a singular push. But mm-hmm. instead, it's like multiple attempts to push something into place in your life, and then sometimes it takes a few tries until you can really get the ball rolling. Yeah, definitely. All right. So those are the two eclipses between the sixth and the twelfth house axis in late November and early December. And this finally brings us to the final month of the year and perhaps one of the most notable or momentous general, just mundane astrological transits of 2020, which is the much anticipated Jupiter-Saturn conjunction, which takes place in December shortly after both of those planets move into Aquarius. Uh, with Saturn moving into Aquarius on the 17th of December and Jupiter moving just two days later into that sign on the 19th. Mm -hmm. So Saturn moving back into Aquarius um, does put that focus on work and attention and effort and for the next few years with regard to your financial picture, whether that's how you make a living, your source of income, like your particular job, or how you manage your own finances. Um, but whichever are coming up for you at this time, it'll be a revisiting of that little dip we had into that area from late March to um, Jan- uh, July 1st. But it'll probably be a less stressful re-entry because Jupiter is also attending here. And so when you have Jupiter and Saturn both going into your second house of finances, it's like it's so much more helpful than Saturn alone, you know, whereas Saturn is about kind of contraction and, you know, how am I taking care of my resources? Maybe I need to spend less, things like that. But Jupiter is simultaneously an expansive or um, opportunity-oriented transit where that can bring openings with regard to those same topics for you. And so it's a little bit of a push-pull in the sense of expansion versus contraction. And this may be an ongoing thing for the next year for you as far as, you know, how do I try to expand and be hopeful in the area of my financial life, but not expand too far and be responsible and cautious. It's those kind of tensions, but they're not the tensions of like the Mars-Saturn we saw earlier in the year, where that's a much more frustrating feeling of like stop and go. This is a more gentle tension, I would say. Yeah. The attempt to seek and establish equilibrium in one's financial life and in terms of one's assets seems to be the major signature of this transit, and most of that won't really be experienced fully until 2021 because that's going to be a major backdrop of the entirety of next year of 2021. But for some reason, we get that preview of it a little bit early this year in 2020 between March and June, and then it fully starts here in Mm mid-December. Yeah, so this is the kickoff to the next following year of those transits in your second house of finances. Saturn will continue on after that, but Jupiter will just be the next year. Right. Nice. Well, that seems pretty good. Um, And it also, as you said, completes the long-term transit of Saturn through the first house for those with Capricorn rising, Mm -hmm. which um, I have to feel like even if it pushes the attention towards the second house, there's some feeling of breathing a sigh of relief of having 
sort of weight lifted off your shoulders by the end of the year mm -hmm. um, and sort of getting through kind of a more heavier part of one's life and moving into something that's a little bit lighter? Yeah, definitely. Saturn transits through the first can often feel similar to like Saturn returns in the sense that you have more responsibility, things feel more weighty temporarily. Um, you're maybe working hard for a while without seeing the results quite yet until later, you know, things like deferred gratification, basically. And so that's what that Saturn transit has been like for you um, since uh, December of 2017. And so finally, at the end of this year, December 2020, you will be finishing that three year long transit. I want to give everyone like graduation caps, even if you haven't been in school, just because it's that kind of feeling like, okay, we did it. You know? Right. Yeah, I like that. Um, success and a reward for like a job well done mm -hmm. for putting in the hard work. Yeah. Um, but really, I mean, most of this year has a little bit of that as well with Jupiter transiting through that sign mm -hmm. and, and already the initial phases of like letting up a little bit after a couple years of more challenging just Saturn transits. Yeah, that's true. People don't always get Jupiter transits while they're having Saturn transits through their first. So that, that is a nice bonus this year. Definitely. All right. Well, those are pretty much the last major transits for 2020, and we're already like getting ahead of ourselves and talking about transits for 2021. So I think that means we have to uh, call it a day, mm -hmm. and that's the end of this yearly horoscope for 2020 for Capricorn and Capricorn Rising. Mm -hmm. Cool. Thanks for joining me for this today and for carrying me through this on your shoulders. I appreciate it. <laughs> Quite welcome. I hope you can hold up for two more signs. I am not sure how I'm going to do, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, yeah, thanks everybody who joined us in the live chat. We had like 100 viewers, I think, consistently. So thank you. Appreciate it. Um, please be sure to like this video. That helps us out. Also subscribe. And once the video is posted, um, post some comments and let us know how these transits have been working out for you, especially through some of the houses that we mentioned, like Saturn through your first house or other things like that, and just how it's been going or what you anticipate coming up in 2020. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, so we have a few things we needed to mention. We've been using the artwork from our um, astrology calendar posters this year. So we released all of the artwork that we used in this episode, we released as posters so that you can see all the major transits in the year at a glance, uh, including the lunations and the retrogrades and the major outer planet conjunctions and ingresses and everything like that. So you can find out more information about those posters at theastrologypodcast.com slash 2020 posters. Uh, Lisa and I also released a electional astrology report for 2020 where we went through and we picked out one lucky date or electional chart for each of the next 12 months, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we went through all of 2020 to pick out um, the best date and time period for each month to start new projects or do a hold events or anything that you want to go better um, to kind of hedge that. So um, yeah, we've done all that work for you. And so we're looking forward to people um, starting events with these. Cool. So you can find out more information about that at chrisbrennanastrologer.com slash 2020elections. And then finally, we have to give a shout out to all the patrons who support the production of episodes of the Astrology Podcast through our page on Patreon. In particular, a shout out to patrons Christine Stone, Nate Craddock, and Tanner Robinson, as well as the Astrogold Astrology app available at astrogold.io, the Portland School of Astrology at portlandastrology.org, the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs at honeycomb.co. And then finally, there are two major astrology conferences happening this year. One of them is hosted by the International Society for Astrological Research, which is hosting a conference in Denver, Colorado, September 10th through the 14th, 2020. 
More information about that at esar2020.org. And then finally, the Northwest Astrological Conference, which is happening in Seattle, Washington, May 21st through the 25th. More information about that at norwac.net. So if you'd like to become a patron and get access to early early access to new episodes or other bonus content, you can find out more information at patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. All right, that is it for this yearly horoscope. So thanks again. Thanks everybody for watching and we will see you next time. Yeah, have a great year. Hi, my name is Chris Brennan and this is your horoscope for Aquarius and Aquarius rising for the entire year of 2020. Joining me today is astrologer Lisa Scheim. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Chris. And we're going to be looking at the next 12 months of your life and looking at the major astrological and planetary transits that are going to be taking place uh, during that time. So uh, this is my 11th horoscope in a row, and I'm losing my voice. So Lisa's graciously hopped in to help me out to get through the last two horoscopes for this year. Uh, so why don't we jump right into it? Okay. All right. And thanks, everybody, who's joining us in the live stream. I appreciate it. All right, so um, let's start with the month of January. All right, so January has three big things happening in a row, and they're actually happening right now since we're recording just a little bit into January here, but they'll still be applicable for more than those few days. So right now on January 10th, which is when we're recording today, there is an eclipse in Cancer, and that is in your sixth whole sign house of health and work. Then today we also had Uranus station uh, in Taurus at two degrees of Taurus, and that is happening in your fourth house of home and family. And then finally, um, on Sunday the 12th, there is a Saturn-Pluto conjunction in Capricorn in your 12th whole sign house of hidden places. So that's kind of the major lineups, just starting out the year with a bang, kind of. So. Um, the first of those three things, eclipses bringing, bring beginnings and endings with regard to the areas of life that they're touching for you. And so for you, well, for everyone, all of the eclipses for the past year or so have been happening across the Cancer Capricorn axis. And so for you, that's the sixth house and twelfth house. Now, we did have a Capricorn eclipse right before the month started, so that's kind of in effect too. So basically, the Cancer eclipse is work and health. It has to do with either health things that can come up around this time or proactive changes to your health routines. The sixth does have a lot to do with daily routines of how you get things done during the day. So that can pertain to exercise routines, nutrition, and things like that, um, particularly in cancer, since that is a sign more noted for like how you take care of yourself or others. So that's a major thing happening here. Um, the axis that's being activated has the overlap of health matters, I would say, with the 12th house as well, wouldn't you? Yeah, and I think one of the things we were talking about earlier was the balance between like work and rest as being a major emphasis of the 6th house, 12th house axis, and that would be a major theme for uh, the Aquarius rising people at this time. Yeah, definitely. Um, oftentimes when there are eclipses or major transits going across that 6th, 12th axis, um, there are questions that come up, um, even if you've thought about it before in your life, about how to rebalance the amount of work you do and getting adequate rest. And usually I would say it's, you know, most people land more on the side of overwork or not really taking enough time for themselves to rest and have downtime to refresh themselves. And so that's kind of one of the major questions that that's coming up for you at this time. Right. Um, so the other major stuff, so we're talking about the eclipse. So we just talked about the lunar eclipse. There was also a solar eclipse in Capricorn that happened two weeks earlier. Right. 
uh, which would have been in the 12th house. Yeah. So that's activating the same axis. And then, of course, all of this is taking place within the larger backdrop of all of the Capricorn transits this year, mm-hmm. where we can see in the chart for right now, or at least for today, this huge pileup of planets in Capricorn in the 12th house. Yeah, so the 12th house does have to do with taking time apart from your everyday life, and sometimes because you need to, and sometimes because you want to. And so there can be a, a variety of specific circumstances surrounding that for different people, depending on your birth chart specifics. So it won't be the same exact thing for everyone, but um, it's about um, retreating. Really, that's a good word for the 12th, you know, because sometimes it's like things that take you in seclusion. Seclusion is another good for the 12th, good word for the 12th house. Um, seclusion away from everyday life. And for some people, that's just periodic, while for others, there may be a needed reason for that, like you need to recuperate from something. Um, the 12th can also be um, things like your subconscious. I have noticed sometimes when people have Saturn transits through the 12th house, if it's not like a concrete matter that's taking you away from everyday life, sometimes it's more like things in your subconscious become more activated or you become more aware of you know little things that skew your perspective at times. And it can be a time to work on that. There is still a year left of this transit, more or less, um, beginning in January, because the Saturn transit through Capricorn started in December 2017. And Pluto entered in 2008. So these are long-term transits. So with the Saturn, you are two-thirds of the way through already of this house. But, you know, if you haven't gone into that, um, I find Saturn transits through the 8th or the 12th being good times for things like counseling or sort of reflective things around that. Yeah. And um, the 12th house is one of the more challenging houses. It can also deal with people that you don't get along with very well, and Saturn going through that sign could have brought some obstacles or difficulties with that area of your life over the past couple of years since Saturn went in in December of 2017. Um, It can also be a house that has to do with um, just challenging things that come up in terms of health matters. Um, I know a few Aquarius rising people that had some health stuff come up um, with some of the things taking place in Capricorn not too long ago. But the good news is that Jupiter is also moving through the sign of Capricorn this year, which should bring some relief and some rectification to issues that you may have experienced as Saturn has been transiting through that sign over the past two years. Yeah, definitely. So that is a nice change compared to the last couple years of only having Saturn and Pluto there. So Jupiter joined it as of December 2019 be there for a year until December 2020. Um, so that should help things out a bit. I do find that's a more subtle transit. It should more intangibly help things out behind the scenes, but it might not be outwardly obvious in your life. Sure. Um, and the last topic to mention with the 12th house is traditionally like self-undoing or ways in which a person may sometimes undermine themselves even intentionally or even unintentionally, but sometimes intentionally um, by doing things that are not productive or that can be self-destructive. And that's one of the challenges that's been going on with Saturn going through the 12th house for two years now, but that's another thing that hopefully they'll be brought a little bit more balance this year with Jupiter moving through that sign, especially later in the year once Jupiter stations uh, direct or retrograde and stations direct at two different times later in the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely true. And that's a little bit of where I was going with that in terms of counseling. It doesn't have to be as formal as that, but basically just examining your own potential self defeating activities or habits of mind. Sure. Yeah. All right. Um, So we've talked about the eclipse. We've talked about all of the Capricorn transits. Mm -hmm. 
Um, did we spend enough time on the Uranus station? No, no, in Taurus? No. So that's the last of the three to mention. So that did station today on the 10th. And um, so Uranus is transiting for seven, approximately seven years through your fourth house of home and family. And so Uranus transits tend to bring instability, unexpectedness, um, erratic behavior, and things like that. And so it initially entered in May of 2018, but it's only been there in full because it went back to Aries for a bit for just about a year now. So it's still quite early in the transit. And as it stations here in mid-January at two and a half degrees of Taurus, stations just put an extra emphasis on whatever energy um, is happening with that planet. And so it intensifies it temporarily, basically. And so sometimes if something is going to arise rather than be in the, a background influence, this is when it happens. And so Uranus stations twice this year in January and August. This is the first out of two. So it may be an accentuation of some unexpected change with regard to your living situation or with regard to something involving your parents or other family members. Um, and that's particularly true if you have any placements, particularly around two-ish degrees in Taurus, but also to some extent around that degree range in Aquarius and Scorpio or Leo. Right. So the Uranus transit itself is about a long-term period of major changes and somewhat rapid changes with respect to the home and living situation or with respect to the parents or your relationship with them. Um, for people that have placements and early fixed signs, this is going to be more pressing for you earlier on in the transit. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you don't have fixed placements or like your ascendant or IC degree until later in Taurus, it may not be as intense for you now, but it may be building up to that point later on. Mm -hmm. But if you do, if you do have, any, have any fixed placements around two degrees of Taurus, then you're probably really feeling this placement now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that can bring change and sometimes unexpectedly so. That is the nature of Uranus transits. But um, sometimes it you know, can look not really like what you want initially, but it can sometimes be for the best towards the end of the transit as it sort of breaks you out of ruts. You know, Taurus is known for wanting stability in particular of all the fixed signs, I would say, even though all of them do to some extent. Um, Taurus is a, a fixed earth sign, and so it really wants things to stay the same. And so it's an, a little bit of an unusual transit having Uranus um, go through there because it's breaking up things that had been potentially pretty stable up until this point, but it still can bring new and innovative things to that area of your life that you didn't know you wanted or perhaps you didn't want initially but become something useful for you later. Sure. So there'll be two periods of intensification of this transit this year when it stations twice. One of them is in January that we're going through right now as we're recording this, and there'll be another later in the year when it stations retrograde at 10 degrees of Taurus. Mm -hmm. So we'll return back to this transit later. All right, I think that does it for January. Let's move on to the month of February. Okay. So two things um, that are notable in February. The first is that Mars moves into Capricorn mid-month around February 16th. And that means that that joins that Capricorn party stellium in your 12th house. So then it's going to be Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, and Pluto all transiting your 12th house of hidden things. So that's a lot. I mean, that's going to be true for all of us. It just depends on which area of our life it's touching. So you are in good company. Um, but Mars moving into your 12th um, can temporarily make you... I would say the Sun or Mars moving into the 12th can temporarily make you sort of hibernate or at least to whatever extent is practically possible for you to sort of take action more behind the scenes 
rather than be more overtly out in the public. Um, you may still need to, of course, continue your regular daily activities, but to some extent at least, it puts more attention and your efforts on behind the scenes activities. And that can still be concrete things that just happen to be more behind the scenes, or it can be more in those other realms we were talking about, um, like going to places that are more secluded, like which can be, you know, places like hospitals or retreat centers. It can be um, that you feel more mentally agitated sometimes when Mars goes through the 12th, um, but in a way that you're not necessarily fully conscious of, I think. Sure. Um, yeah, there's often a greater potential for like conflicts with people you don't get along with when Mars transits through the 12th. It can be a period also of lower vitality or lower energy as mm -hmm. it's going through that sign because it tends to be one of the more low energy signs, whereas Mars tends to represent like energy and vitality. Um, what are some other things? Yeah, I think those are a lot of the main things. Basically, you know, it's not a great time to make, you know, major acts of self-assertion that you might need to do. You might wait for that mm -hmm. because when Mars is transiting your 12th, it's more like your your efforts aren't out in the world. They're they're just kind of hidden right now. And sure. so it kind of makes it harder for you to do that if you need to do that at that time. Right. Yeah. All right. Um so that transit's actually beginning weirdly the same day that Mercury stations retrograde for the first of three retrograde periods that Mercury will have in 2020. And this one is stationing retrograde in Pisces, uh, conjunct Neptune in the second house of finances for those with Aquarius rising. Mm -hmm. So the Neptune transit, we're not going to talk a lot about that because it's not doing a lot on its own this year in terms of interacting with the other planets, but it's a longer term transit, about a 14 year transit through Pisces. And um, it's in the mid degrees now. And so that brings some nebulousness potentially to the area for you um, with Aquarius rising to your Pisces second house, which has to do with your income, your financial matters, how you manage your money, that kind of thing, and your possessions. So um, any sort of background nebulousness that is happening for you in that area, the Mercury retrograde could particularly touch off since it's one of the few things that will interact more strongly with um, Neptune this year. So Mercury retrogrades have to do with reviewing something, going back over. They can also have to do with temporary miscommunications, um, things of that nature, or things mechanical things breaking down. So as it retrogrades through your second house, there could be <sighs> some sort of miscommunication or some other, um, that snafu type thing coming up with, particularly with regard to your finances. It's not necessarily like a major transit, but it's something to be aware of at that time. Yeah, especially towards the beginning of the retrograde in the beginning, in the middle of February, just be careful about the potential for miscommunication or even um, in the worst case scenario, like deceit involving mm -hmm. financial matters and involving your money or possessions to a lesser extent. Right. Um, just because a Mercury retrograde al already has that potential for miscommunication and having to go back and relook at something again that wasn't communicated clearly. But when you combine that with Neptune, it just amplifies that potential quite a bit. Mm -hmm, definitely. So that's something to be aware of. Then it, towards the end of its retrograde, it does actually go back to about 28 degrees of Aquarius. So that does station direct then in your first house of self. Um, so that won't necessarily be connected areas for all of you. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of like what that would even be if it was connected rather than two disparate things. Yeah, it looks like it goes back into Aquarius into the first house of self and mind and body on the 4th of March, and then it stations direct in Aquarius on the, the 9th of March. Mm -hmm. So um, if it was connected, 
it could be something about in reorganizing your uh, or relooking at your financial situation that it also leads you to reassess your sense of self and like who you are and what you're doing in the world or how you put yourself forward in the world. And there may be some connection between those two that's kind of either obscure or somewhat straightforward to you personally um, that could tie them together and make them uh, more relevant at that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And however this comes about, it is actually almost like a tiny preview of more um, important influences that will happen later in the month, well, starting later in the month. Yes, definitely. Because for some reason, the Mercury retrograde, which stations direct in Aquarius in the first house of self, and brings maybe those themes of having to find your own voice or having to reanalyze like who you are and how you perceive yourself as well as how others perceive you in the world. For some reason that cues up some major like long-term transits that start in the same sector of the chart later in March, um, especially starting on the 21st when Saturn itself moves into Aquarius and moves into your first house for the first time in almost 30 years. And then just a week later, Mars similarly ingresses into Aquarius, also moving into your first house, where it very quickly forms a conjunction with Saturn in the first degree of Aquarius. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that Saturn transit will be a long-term thing that's good to be aware of. And Saturn transits are normally two and a half to three years through each sign, so it's a longer-term transit that will mostly take place starting in December of this year. But this spring, from late March to July 1st, there's a little bit of a preview of this transit for you, for all of us. And so it'll just go into the first two degrees of Aquarius. Um, but in doing so, it will give you a sense of what this transit, larger transit will be about when it returns again at the end of the year. And for you, I guess one thing we didn't mention about the uh, Capricorn transits through your 12th house is that one other thing that can be is about endings. It's not all of the time that, but sometimes the 12th house can be, particularly because it comes right before the first house of self. And so sometimes there's like a whole cycle of things happening where you get to the last house, the 12th house, before you enter your first house again of self and you kind of sweep out some things before you start anew with something. Yeah, so this is really the the beginning of the beginning of a new 30-year cycle of Saturn through the 12 houses of your chart as soon as it dips into your first house here. But this is just kind of a preview because Saturn is just going to sort of dip its toe into the first house between late March and then it'll retrograde out by the beginning of July and it won't come back finally or won't come back permanently for its full transit through that sign until later in December. Right. So um, Saturn in the first house that's going to be a two or three year transit. The first house represents, as we've said before, like the sense of self, but also the body and physical vitality, as well as the mind and character, um, including things about your appearance. So it could be a, a period of reorganization or restructuring when it comes to that area of your life. Mm -hmm. I always think Saturn transits through the first house are secondary only to Saturn returns in terms of the major emphasis of Saturn in your life during that time. It, ha it can have a crossover kind of similar feel, which is just majorly restructuring your life as a whole and re-envisioning what 
you are wanting to do or needing to do in some respects. Oftentimes Saturn going through the first is um, taking on new responsibilities or conversely leaving something that's old um, because you're restructuring for a whole new cycle. Sometimes it is a renewed focus on body or health matters, um, either attending to health matters that do crop up at this time or um, being proactive about taking better care of your health because one of the things that Saturn governs is the passage of time and the limitations of the material world. And so for that reason, it can be just like, oh, bodies are finite. We should take good care of them so that they serve us well for years to come. Yeah. And that brings up also like themes of like aging mm -hmm. and reaching an important turning point in one's life in terms of reaching a new age and some of the attendant things that come along with that, both physically as well as like mentally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's kind of where I was going with that. Um, and sometimes that can be specific things that are um, visible, since this can be your appearance as well. Like, um, I think losing your hair or things like that can sometimes be Saturn transits affecting the first house of the appearance. Um, sometimes other times it can be like, um, you know, taking up exercise routines that slowly change your appearance, because Saturn also is things that take time, not things usually that are quick. Yeah, one of the things that we should say though is that because this long-term Saturn transit, which is going to last for two to three years, um, it starts with Mars moving into Aquarius at the same time. That mm -hmm. does have the potential, whether for those with day charts or those with night charts, for it kind of to start with raising some sort of initial obstacle or even a, a difficulty or even potentially like a crisis with respect to first house matters that then has to be dealt with or has to be addressed over the course of the next month or so as both Mars and Saturn are moving through that sign. And I think that's especially the case for those that have um, early degrees of Aquarius or fixed sign placements around where that conjunction will take place around zero degrees of Aquarius. Um, but perhaps you know even later, since then Mars will be transiting through that sign for the next month. Mm -hmm, definitely, yeah. So while it is true, like we were talking about, that this will be a preview of the later transit when Saturn returns to Aquarius in December for a longer while. Um, this will be a harder initial foray into that new area for you. And again, that's true for everyone. It's just sort of more focal to you because Mars and Saturn are ingressing into your first house of self. So, um, you know, wherever we have Aquarius in, with that first ingress, Mars and Saturn within a few days of each other or so, um, it is kind of an initial like, oh, this is an area you need to pay attention to right now with the Mars because Mars can be more, Saturn is slow moving influences. Mars is more, um, quick, headstrong, sort of urgent, you know, not always urgent, urgent, but um, yeah, it could be for some people. So anyway, but it won't be like that later. So I, I do want to preface that, you know, it'll show you the area or that some of the themes that arise that you will focus on for a longer time later on. But um, the initial part in the spring here will be more of like a potential problem or issue arising, whereas later on, it might be more um, long-term work that you can do less urgently. Right, because one of the things you really focus on is that Jupiter is going to go into Aquarius with Saturn in December, which will bring a little bit more balance and a little bit more optimism compared to the initial Mars-Saturn ingress in March, which is a little bit more tumultuous or mm -hmm. potentially tense. Yeah, definitely. Okay. All right. So that transit really just begins at the end of March, but it carries through into April and lasts for the entirety of April. Um, 
there's only one major thing in terms of outer planets that happens in April, and that's the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction on the fourth of the month. Mm -hmm. So Jupiter and Pluto um, have been transiting your 12th house. And again, this is a little bit more of an obscure area to watch this happen. I mean, I think for everyone, since all of those transits have been happening in Capricorn, Capricorn does have a very sober feel planning for the long term and, um, you know, kind of getting your act together, you know, taking care of business and things like that. So I do think that's a general theme for everyone, no matter where those transits are happening. So you could still be feeling that even though they are in this more obscure area of your chart. Um, but that said, I mean, the Pluto transit has been going through Capricorn since 2008 in your 12th house of hidden matters. So whatever that's been doing, you know, is a kind of a long, subtle, but like slowly, inexorably, uh, like changing something about something behind the scenes for you, about, um, you know, work that you do behind the scenes, potentially to things in terms of mental health, Jupiter is going to come along and expand that. And so Saturn's kind of temporarily out of the picture just for a few months, it will come back. But when Jupiter and Pluto get together, whatever you've been trying to transform in that area of your life um, and change over the long haul, Jupiter's gonna give it a bigger push, a push to expand, a push to make it better, opportunities around that and so forth. Yeah, I think one of the greatest potentials is smoothing things out with like just Jupiter moving through the 12th house during this few month period and Saturn and Mars no longer being there is the potential for rectifying or smoothing over some relationships with people that you don't get along with in your life um, to the extent of potentially even having some benefits from that area of your life if you're able to bring sort of peace to that area as opposed to maybe some discord or some challenges that you've been experiencing up to this point. Mm -hmm. Um, it's also a good period maybe to work on mental health issues as you were talking about and maybe rectify some issues where one had been undermining themselves, but in putting some more effort into that area, you might be able to be successful in coming to terms with some specific issues. Mm -hmm, definitely. All right. Um, let's. I think that takes us then into May. Okay. Yeah, late April, the only other thing is at Pluto stations, which really just echoes the same thing we were just talking about, accentuating that. Yeah, just an intensification of the Jupiter transits. Mm -hmm. All right, so once we get into May, uh, the first major thing that happens is that Saturn stations retrograde in Aquarius. So this is the first station of Saturn in Aquarius and the first intensification of that transit where whatever that transit is going to be about, this is the point where you fully will start feeling it. And what's interesting is just a couple days later, Mars actually departs from Aquarius and it moves into Pisces, which is the second house of finances. So it departs from the first house of self and mind and body and moves into the second house. So um, yeah, this is going to have important ramifications for both people with day charts and night charts just in terms of really getting a sense for what that long-term Saturn transit is going to be about for the next three years. Um, but also, thankfully, especially for the people with day charts, removing the more irritating side of it um, and potentially the more tense side with Mars finally departing from that sign. Mm -hmm, definitely. So yeah, like you said, with Saturn stationing there, it's kind of the only time it stations before it goes back into Capricorn and you know finishes out that transit for the rest of the year until December. 
And so it just puts a little bit of a temporary exclamation point on whatever issues have arisen at this uh, by this point in those few months that it's been in your first house of self. Gives you a sense of, okay, bookmarking that, I need to work on that later. Um, you know, if it is something that can wait or is a long-term thing, which it may well be given that Saturn transits are often about things that are long-term. So that's the first thing that happens there. And then, as you said, Mars departs the first house of self for the second house of income. The major thing that happens right there in the second week is the Venus retrograde starts. So that's going to start in Gemini, and it's going to station retrograde in your fifth house, which has to do with children, um, things you do for fun, um, creative expression, sexuality goes there. So um, any casual dating goes there. So Venus stationing retrograde, Venus retrogrades in a general sense are often known for bringing people back from the past, particularly like um, past friends or romantic partners. And um, it's not always, the reason is not always to bring them back so that you can uh, you, you can reconnect, but it's not always because you're supposed to get back together. That's always a good caveat to be aware of. And particularly so because Venus is stationing retrograde this time exactly square Neptune, which does have that nebulous sort of illusory effect. And so it can either look more positive than you than is really the case in reality. Like someone can come back from your past and be, you can be kind of blown over and be like, oh, we're supposed to get back together. This is made to be, you know, um, meant to be. Or, um, you know, conversely, someone can go back and you can think more ill of them than is realistically the case because Neptune just kind of skews your perception oftentimes. Although I would say more of the time, it tends to go for most people in the rose-colored glasses kind of way. But Venus retrogrades, you know, it can be fine to reconnect because the idea is to sort of revisit something, but then it's going to station direct later. And so the reviewing part comes during the retrograde. But when it stations direct and then goes forward again, which is going to be in June, then you can sort of more realistically assess, you know, is this something that I'm supposed to reincorporate into my life or someone I'm supposed to reconnect with for longer? Or is it really just a, oh, hi, it's nice to see you again. Okay, we're good, you know? Right. So yeah, that whole Venus retrograde that starts in the middle of May and lasts through June, through mm -hmm. the end of June, um, should just be a period of reviewing um, and revisiting some things that have been established in terms of either your children or in terms of creative self-expression or in terms of sex and sexuality. Um, in order to get a preview of what this might be about, you can think back to eight years earlier, the last time we had a Venus retrograde in Gemini um, around the same time of the year, and that could give you some idea of some topics that might be activated in your life or some themes that might arise that are connected with your specific birth chart. Mm -hmm. um, the Mars transit that starts at the same time, we should go back really quickly and just mention because that does begin a one-month period in terms of Mars perhaps putting greater focus and forcing you to put greater energy towards the area of finances and towards whatever it is that you do to make money. Mm -hmm. um, it can also be sometimes a period in which there's more tension surrounding financial matters or even sometimes where conflicts or like strife can come up in that area of your life. Yeah, definitely. And particularly if you're born during the day, there are more tensions around that. Um, when Mars transits your second house of income for about six weeks, it can be a time where you um, you have greater expenditures come up because you have to replace one of your possessions. For some reason, more money is going out than is coming in. It's that kind of transit. Um, or you could lose money in, in some way. But um, 
you know, whereas if you're born at night, the Mars transit through the second is often more of just a focus or putting efforts towards making money at that time or something like that. Um, but either way, you'll be putting more efforts in that area from that point forward for about six weeks. Okay. Um, I think that takes us then into the astrology of June. Mm -hmm. Uh, where we enter into eclipse season right off the top of the month. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's a few eclipses here coming up this summer. And while we've been in for about a year now, the eclipse axis of Cancer Capricorn, um, and those have been going across your 6th and 12th houses, this is the first one that kind of edges in and gives you, not a preview per se, this is a real eclipse, but it just starts off the eclipse series of Sagittarius and Gemini that's going to be in full force starting at the end of the year. So this is the very first one. We're only going to get a Sagittarius one this time um, of that series. And so the eclipses can often bring important endings and beginnings um, with regard to the areas of life that they're happening in. And for you with Aquarius rising, that's going to be in your 11th house of friends and groups and the larger social sphere. Yeah, so it could indicate some sort of certainly there's a shift that's going to happen over the course of the next year where for some reason the um, topics in your life are going to shift more towards friends and groups and that becoming a more important or pivotal area of your life than normal. But also the fifth house eventually, which has to do with uh, children, self-expression, creativity, or uh, sexuality. So it starts with this eclipse here. Uh, the Sagittarius eclipse, which could indicate some sort of culmination of events uh, with respect to the role that friends play in your life at this time. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, this is like right in the middle of the Venus retrograde, yeah. which it reaches its middle point about two days earlier on the 3rd of June in the opposing house, in the fifth house. So there may be some sort of connection there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So that's the first of a few eclipses this summer here. Later in the month, there's going to be a Cancer eclipse on June 21st in your sixth house again of health and work. And right before that, we have a Mercury retrograde start in Cancer as well. So Mercury retrogrades, of course, again, are about reviewing, particularly reviewing communications, but also just going back over things in general, wherever it's falling. And so for you, that is the sixth house of work and health, people who either work with you, coworkers or employees, if you have employees, um, you could be revisiting some topics around that, reviewing arrangements, basically. Um, is this arrangement working out? It's a good time to review that if you have any sort of work connections with that, with respect to other people like that. Um, and then the eclipse is another kind of new start within that eclipse series that we've been having. And this is the last eclipse in Cancer. Um, so we've been having them for about a year or so now, and this is the last one in that series to kind of really activate your sixth house of health and work. Yeah, one thing that's interesting about this eclipse is just a few days earlier, there's a, the second Mercury retrograde period of the year begins, and it also happens in the sign of Cancer as well. So that starts on the 18th of June when Mercury goes retrograde in Cancer in your sixth house of health and uh, work. So there may be some sort of focus on going back and rethinking or revisiting things that were established in that area of your life previously either with respect to health matters or with respect to your job, that ends up having a much longer-term impact than it might seem at first as a result of the eclipse that begins then just a few days later. Yeah, so there's a little bit of synergy going on between this particular Mercury retrograde, since it both begins and ends in your sixth house of work and health, and the eclipse happening right around there too. Right. Um, so then 
later in the month on the 25th, the Venus retrograde is over. That goes direct on the 25th of June. Mm -hmm. And then the last major, major thing that happens this month is that Mars ingresses into Aries on the 27th of June, which is important and notable because this is the sign that it's going to go retrograde in uh, starting in September. Yeah, so we don't normally mark every single Mars transit with a year overview, but this one is actually more notable than usual because it's going to be spending six months there instead of its usual six weeks. So that's quite a bit longer than um, for the planet of effort and you know tensions and things like that, action to be going into one area of your life. And usually you kind of Mars transits are like, okay, I got to do this in this area. Okay, I'm done. And then you move on to the next area. Um, but here it's going to take much longer. And it's also with the retrograde later, starting in September, you're going to have to go back over some things that you initially do or decide in this area. It's not going to be a straight shot. And so that's good to know ahead of time. This is not the point in which you need to worry about that exactly um, when it first enters. But one thing it is good to know ahead of time is that there will be a retrograde. And one of the things about Mars retrogrades in particular is since Mars can be part of how we um, feel energy in our lives, um, when it slows down to retrograde, which it will be for a while, even before the actual retrograde itself, you can kind of start feeling less energetic. You can feel more lethargic. You might still need to put efforts towards something in this area, but you can't find the drive to do it. And so it's good to kind of pace yourself because Mars doesn't usually want to do that. Yeah, um, there's definitely gonna be more of a focus during this, what, six month period on communication and communications ramping up and intensifying. Um, you'll have to be a little bit careful because this could indicate a period in which you're more prone to aggressive communication or even getting into verbal fights or sort of altercations with people. Mm -hmm. um, it can also be a period in which travel is somehow more important or more of a focus, especially short distance travel like driving. Um, but also it's a period in which you want to be extra careful not to do anything impetuous in terms of that or anything risky or dangerous because sometimes like a Mars transit through the third could indicate um, like getting into an accident or something like that. Mm -hmm, definitely. Um, third house is also siblings. Yeah, siblings. So, you know, with Mars going through your third, you might on the one hand need to put more energy towards something involving a sibling, either they're going through something or you need to deal with something involving your relationship, like you're getting into conflict with a sibling at that time or tensions are at least rising or something like that. Um, but you know, just be careful in how you deal with it because Mars is not a particularly careful planet. It's more about like, let's do this. And so you might need to put effort there, but you also just kind of want to, you know, um, not be too aggressive when you do so, how, however that arises. Sure. So that transit begins at the end of June and that takes us into July. Mm -hmm. um, and I just also wanted to mention neighbors. We didn't throw that in there. Third house is also neighbors or your immediate neighborhood. Hmm. So the same thing that we were saying about siblings could also apply to interactions with neighbors. Yeah. Or even extended family or other mm -hmm. relatives outside of your immediate family unit. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay. So July. So July starts with Saturn moving back into Capricorn for its last foray through your 12th house until December. 
So Saturn is no longer fo focusing its kind of um, serious minded efforts towards the house of yourself um, and body and mind, but instead it's moving back into that obscure area of your 12th house. So Saturn's moving back into examining, putting efforts and examining your subconscious, potentially mental health things, um, working on things involving people at cross purposes to you, um, who you don't normally get along with, that sort of thing. Jupiter's still going to be there all year until December too, so that's still helping out. But um, just know that that initial foray of Saturn into your first house of self, that just gave you the preview. Saturn's now moving back, and then it'll be back in December. Yeah, so this is the final. And it, there's also a solar eclipse that happens just a few days later in mm -hmm. Capricorn, and that's also the final eclipse to take place that sign. So that whole balance of like work versus rest, as well as um, dealing with health issues, whether those are like physical health issues or mental health issues. And um, coming back and revisiting this part of your life in order to see what changes have been made over the course of the past two and a half years or up to three years at this point almost, and um, finishing up the last of those changes and those restructurings and laying um, the foundation so that you can then move forward by the end of the year, by December. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's a renewed Capricorn emphasis in the beginning of July. And then let's see, what do we have later in the month? Let me put the calendar back up. I mean, that's pretty much it for July. It's just that the Mercury stations direct in mm -hmm. the sixth house. Yeah. So again, it's like emphasizing that sixth house, 12th house axis, which mm -hmm. is like work and health. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the main themes there, sixth and 12th house for July. Okay. Uh, that's going to take us forward into September, August, August, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So August, um, even though there looks on the calendar like there's a lot going on, the main actual theme is going to be that Uranus station on August 15th um, in Taurus in your fourth house of home and family. And it, it it's this is the farthest it's getting through Taurus this year, um, between 10 and 11 degrees of Taurus. And so this is one of the two times that it temporarily emphasizes that feeling or those those things coming up around unexpected events or change with regard to home and family life that can be changing where you live unexpectedly. That can be something arising with family members, particularly parents, um, if they are still around. So um, that is the second time this happens this year of January and August. And this will also be more the case for you at this point if you have important placements around 10 or 11 degrees of Taurus and to some extent any of the other fixed signs. So around 10 to 11 degrees of Aquarius, Scorpio, or Leo. Yeah, so this is the first time that Uranus has gotten this far into Taurus where it gets to 10 degrees. Uh, how far did it get last time to like six or eight or something? So about six. I want to say six. So yeah, it yeah it's six. getting like really far into Taurus at this point. So if you have any personal planets around 10 degrees of the fixed signs, you're really going to start feeling this Uranus transit. And while there may have been some events that preceded this in terms of your fourth house, um, Uranus's tendency to import excitement, but also rapid changes and sometimes a sense of like instability is really going to start hitting a peak around this time in mid-August. Mm -hmm. um, if you have anything at 10 Taurus especially, but also 10 Leo, 10 Scorpio, or 10 Aquarius. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the other things that you you saw on the calendar are just kind of more quick temporary transits. Um, so that's kind of the main theme to look over for August here. Okay. All right, that will then take us into September. 
September has a lot of the main action going on here because September is actually the month that Mars does go retrograde. So September 9th is the day that Mars, Mars stations to go retrograde. And so it's been in there for um, a bit since the end of June. You've already seen by this point in the year, whatever is arising, like whatever will be arising for you in terms of what you need to put effort towards, um, what is coming up in terms of potential tensions and things like that with regard to third house matters. So, you know, things involving your siblings or your relationship with other relatives or neighbors or things involving how you get around town, like your transportation issues arising with that. So Mars stationing retrograde is the the pivot point in time where you thought you were kind of going along and doing what you needed to do in that area and now something comes up where you have to go back over your previous efforts and review and potentially change course reroute and that sort of thing in order to move forward then later in the year yeah so i'm just moving this forward to see the exact degrees involved because mars actually stations retrograde at 28 degrees of aries and one of the things that's notable is that it's pretty closely squaring Saturn around that time, which is at 25 degrees of Capricorn by mid-September. Mm -hmm. So this may be creating some sort of conflict between your third house of communication and your 12th house of um, enemies. So you might want to be careful about you know, getting into like a verbal altercation with somebody that like makes them an enemy or creates a worse situation in terms of that than what you had previously. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and similarly, you know, just kind of echoing the same theme that you said earlier about being more careful at this time regarding, you know, perhaps driving around town and things like that and not taking unnecessary risks because since this is the third house of how you get around town and then it's squaring Saturn in one of the health houses, you just want to be more careful that that doesn't turn into a problem. Yeah. Um also just be careful about other like tensions involving siblings or tensions involving neighbors or other extended um, relatives. This is definitely the most intense part of the Mars retrograde transit when it first stations retrograde in the middle of September. So that's the period, especially for those with day charts, when you would expect to be expect to see the most tensions potentially. Um, especially if you have placements in the later degrees of the cardinal signs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So this will go through mid-November, So, but this is the point in time where it does station retrograde. Then um, ha more happily, a few days later on September 12th, Jupiter stations direct in Capricorn. So um, Jupiter direct just kind of makes it's it's not a huge difference, but it does make Jupiter's opportunities and you know benefits and things like that. It bringing you sort of help um, to go even more smoothly or more directly or be expressed more obviously. Right, um, and then later in the month we have Saturn also stationing directing in the same sign in Capricorn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's interesting because this is so much activity in your 12th house of hidden things. So I'm sure this is going differently for different people. Um, but um, in any case, Saturn stationing direct at the end of September, this will be the final, final push. We kind of said it's the final push once it went back into Capricorn at the beginning of July, but this is the last time it's both in Capricorn and then stationing direct to go forward and to move forward into new territory and eventually out of your 12th house. So um, this is the last stretch here from September through December. Yeah, like uh, July when it moved back into Capricorn was like the revisiting phase and coming back to something 
to deal with those issues again and revisit them, but this is the point where you actually start making forward momentum and probably have really started to wrap those things up in your life and perhaps resolve some of the issues um, that came up in terms of, like, let's say, people you don't get along with or mental health issues or undermining yourself. And mm-hmm. from this point forward, you're in the home stretch of that transit between uh, late September and mid-December. Yeah, definitely. And even though Mars will be retrograde for a while in the fall there, um, having both Jupiter and Saturn direct and going forward um, through your 12th house is really nice in terms of smoothing out, like you said, whatever you've been working on in that area of your life up to this point. Right. All right. Um, September, I guess those are the major transits for September. So mm-hmm. that's going to take us into October. Yeah. So October starts, there's a Pluto station early on, on October 4th. So that just intensifies further some of the same Capricorn 12th house themes we've been talking about for a while now. There is the last Mercury retrograde of the year that happens in mid-October. It stations retrograde in Scorpio, which is going to be your 10th house of career and public reputation, superiors, if you you know, supervisors, if you have them, your boss, basically. Um, Mercury goes retrograde mostly in Scorpio and then ends up um, dipping in a little bit to Libra before it stations direct in your ninth house of higher education, um, travel, um, religion, philosophy, things like that. Yeah, and one of the things that's interesting about this Mercury retrograde in your 10th house is that when it initially stations retrograde, it stations in opposition to Uranus around 11 degrees of Scorpio, opposing Uranus at, uh, I think, 9 degrees of Taurus. Mm-hmm. So there may be some like unexpected um, situation that arises in the sphere that has to do with your career. And it forces you to go through a period of like rethinking and revisioning what you're doing in that area of your life. Mm-hmm. Then eventually, um, Mercury retrogrades back into Libra and stations direct in that sign. Yeah, and the Mercury retrograde through your tenth house of career opposing Uranus in your fourth can be some interaction involving something unexpected coming up with regard to your home sphere. Um, So you suddenly need to move or your parents suddenly need help or something like that. Oh yeah, so maybe it's like a change in the job sphere that prompts a unexpected change in the home sphere. Um, Either way. I mean, I think I could see it going either way. Okay. Yeah. So in any case, you know, Mercury retrogrades aren't huge. They do happen just for a few weeks for every um, every time, unless that's particularly activated for you by timing for some reason this year, in which case it might be a more important transit. But otherwise, it's pretty temporary just for a few weeks here. Then it stations direct in Libra. When it does station direct around November 3rd, it stations square Saturn, um, pretty close to exact. And so that's just something to be aware of. Um, I'm trying to think of, I mean, with Mercury stationing direct in the ninth house, square Saturn in the 12th, one possible thing that overlaps those two can be um, places abroad, because while the ninth house is usually the main house of um, long distance travel and things that are foreign to you, the 12th house can sometimes have some of those meanings, like being away from home. Mm-hmm. Travel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, travel, interaction with foreign places and foreign people or foreign cultures, mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, and that having some sort of impact on your educational, like what you know about the world. Mm -hmm. And for some people, I guess a final thing with the Mercury retrograde overlapping your 10th house of career and 9th house could be something regarding your career leading you to think you need some more education or something like that, because the 9th house is an educational house as well. So, and that is one easy connection between those two. Yeah, I could definitely see that prompting um, needing to go back and take some sort of course or do some educational program that's somehow tied into one's career. Like, what is the term for that? Like, further education or continuing education? Continuing education. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, um, did we hit? I think we hit everything in October, right? Yes. The main we're, things. That's taking us through to. November? So Mercury retrogrades on the 27th of October back into Libra, and then it already stations direct in Libra by the 3rd of November. Mm -hmm. um, just a week later, we have Mars stationing direct at 15 degrees of Aries and ending the Mars retrograde cycle. Yeah. So that's, I was going to say a welcome sigh of relief. Mars isn't really about sighing. It's more about action. But anyway. Um, a welcome <laughs> cry of relief. A welcome war cry of relief. Right. Something like that. Well, so um, Mars stationing direct is welcome, however we put it, um, because while things won't get moving quickly at first, because Mars takes a while to pick up speed again. So um, you won't get everything ironed out right away once it goes direct, but um, you will get a sense of forward motion to eventually clear up whatever you've been having to go back over for the past couple months. Um, in the area in particular of siblings, neighbors, um, your neighborhood, your short distance traveling, and so forth, and communication. So, and you know, it again, since Mars is stationing, I would say while this is welcome compared to the retrograde station, it still is a time where it's intensifying Mars things. So you still want to be careful about um, overly aggressive speech or things like that in interacting with others. I would say anyone else, but particularly so like those siblings or other relatives, um, if that is applicable for you. Um, I'm trying to think what else about this. Yeah, or overly aggressive driving or movement mm -hmm. in general. Yeah. Um, especially if you have placements around 15 degrees of the cardinal signs, which would be 15 Aries, 15 Cancer, 15 Libra or 15 Capricorn, mm -hmm. just because it's like you've got that travel and movement axis, which is the third and ninth, as well as a communication versus wisdom axis in those two houses. But then you've also got the um, health or illness and accidents and enemies axis there with the sixth and twelfth. So you still want to be careful, even though Mars now is going to have forward movement and there should be this sense of like, getting out of being bogged down by being stuck in this one area or having this intense energy in this certain sector of your chart for several months, for almost six months, um, there's still, if you have personal placements in the middle of the cardinal signs, uh, potential for the intensification of that energy, which can sometimes be stressful or can sometimes um, indicate like conflict or strife. Mm -hmm, definitely. And if you have been feeling more lethargic, like a lot of people do when Mars is retrograde for a while, your energy should start picking back up to just more generally speaking, to take action on whatever you need to in that area of your life. Right. Um, so that's happening when Mars stations around the 13th of November. And then later in the month, we start moving into eclipse season again, mm -hmm. and we get a lunar eclipse that happens in Gemini on the 30th of November, which is followed two weeks later by a solar eclipse in Sagittarius on the 14th of December. Yeah, so by the end of the year here, we've really fully moved into that Gemini-Sagittarius axis. 
um, which for you is that fifth house of um, of children, sexuality, um, entertainment, and artistic expression, and things you do for fun. That's one eclipse area for you. And then the 11th house being friends, groups, and associations for Sagittarius. So here with the Gemini one at the end of November, this is sort of a, a mini culmination potentially with regard to any of those fifth house topics I mentioned first. Um, so something, this is an ongoing story. This isn't the last we'll hear of it because there will be more eclipses there in Gemini and Sagittarius in the following year. Um, but this is the first time that the full pair is happening near the end of the year here. Yeah, so something that was initiated six months earlier um, maybe starts to come to fruition in this area of your life. Mm -hmm. So, because we're talking about a lunar eclipse here, right? Right, right. So, a lunar eclipse in the fifth house. So, for some people, one of the funny fifth house things that sometimes comes up is like hobbies or that which you do for fun. Mm -hmm. And sometimes a hobby can become more important in your life. Something that like started as a side thing becomes a more serious. Um, thing in your life at this point. Mm -hmm. So maybe six months earlier, you started trying out something new over the summer, but then it turns into something that you're more serious about or starts having a more uh, major impact on your life at this point in time. Yeah, definitely. Um, it can also be something pertaining to children, whether you have children or just the general topic of children in your life becoming more important or having a spotlight shedded on it at this point in your life, mm -hmm. um, or the topic surrounding sex and sexuality becoming more important to you at this point and uh, just taking more focus in your life at this time. Mm -hmm, for sure. If you haven't been dating for a while, that can be an area that just becomes more important again for a bit. Um, that's something that also goes into the fifth house. Or creative expression, like you said, sometimes people will have things like that in their lives, but they don't stay uniformly focused on it if it's not like their main career, but it's something that they still like. And so sometimes when there's things like eclipses happening in your fifth house, you can have projects come up where you're like, oh, I'd like to do that again, actually, for a while. Sure. So the other side of that is the solar eclipse in Sagittarius in the 11th house of friends and groups on the 14th of December and laying some sort of new foundation or planting the seeds for something that will grow and develop in that area of your life over the course of the next six months until they eventually reach a sort of period of fruition and, and becoming more clear. It may be something that starts off subtly or almost imperceptibly in terms of a new phase in your life with respect to friends and groups at this time, but whatever you initiate at, that, at this time in that area will probably end up having a greater impact or becoming more important in the long term than it might seem at first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And honestly, this one, you know, which we've had the first one of in the summer, so this is the second one, but the first one in the full series where they're both happening is um, probably going to be a breath of fresh air for you in some respects because there's been so many um, Capricorn transits going through your second, your twelfth house of seclusion, and so even though many people's lives do not allow them to fully seclude themselves, I can imagine that a lot of you with Aquarius rising have had some element of that, where you've been either feeling more withdrawn internally or actually externally, like withdrawing yourself from more social situations compared to average. Yeah, and this definitely seems more fun and more light lightning by shifting the emphasis to like the fun axis of the chart, which is the fifth and eleventh houses. Yeah, definitely. You know, because both of those can be fun or social or both, and um, not just that, but um, it's also an air sign and a fire sign compared to so much Capricorn Earth energy we've had this year. Mm -hmm. So I think this will be a lightening up. You can kind of get out and socialize a little bit more, and that will be an ongoing story that takes you into twenty twenty one. Brilliant. All right. That takes us to 
The last major and perhaps the most notable astronomical event of the entirety of 2020, which is Saturn completes its three-year transit through Capricorn and moves into Aquarius on the 17th of December, where it will stay for the next couple of years, and then Jupiter just two days later on the 19th of December also moves into Aquarius, where very quickly it will form a conjunction with Saturn on the 21st of December, and that conjunction only takes place once every 20 years, so it's kind of a notable or momentous astronomical alignment from a, both an astronomical and an astrological perspective. Definitely. So Saturn going back into your into Aquarius means going back into your first house of self, body, and mind. And that is the area that we did have the little bit of preview of in the spring from late March to July 1st. And so this is now, you probably hope you hopefully got an idea in the spring of what this might feel like or be about for you in terms of restructuring your identity, your sense of yourself, anything about your appearance, even health matters, um, or just um, restructuring something more major about your life as a whole since the first, first house is so primary to your life. So Saturn will be going there from, um, transiting there from December 2020 for a good about two and a half years from that point forward. Really nice for you though, Jupiter joins it at the same time, which doesn't mo happen most of the time with Saturn transits. And so um, Jupiter going into your first is kind of the opposite. You know, it's an it's um, an energy of expansion, opportunity, buoyancy. You usually feel more optimistic when Jupiter is going through your first. You do want to be careful, although it won't be probably a huge thing with both Jupiter and Saturn there. You know, often um, it's said when Jupiter goes through there alone, you want to be careful of not overdoing things, particularly like um, expanding your body, basically overeating and over, you know, over partying or things like that, because Jupiter is a very jovial influence oftentimes. Um, so that's one thing to keep in mind, but it probably won't be as much of an issue for you because you'll have Saturn counter counterbalancing it at the same time. Yeah, it's really nice and really unique having both of those planets going in at the same time because they're such polar opposite planets. But in doing so, that probably is going to help to achieve uh, balance and equilibrium between the desire to expand versus the desire to contract over the course of the next year in 2021. Um, so there'll be some areas where you'll be wanting to focus on getting more structured and doing a better job of like pulling things together, both in terms of your physical vitality, but also in terms of your mental vitality, um, and perhaps um, yeah, just integrating better structures in that area of your life and cutting some things out or removing and rejecting some things. But then also uh, with the Jupiter transit at the same time incorporating and expanding in other areas instead of contracting. Um, and yeah, just giving you a better overall sense of like growth and optimism instead of just a, a super heavy Saturn transit, which on its own can sometimes be kind of overbearing or depressing. Definitely. Yeah. So it's really quite nice that both of them are entering there at once in mid-December. Um, it's kind of like measured growth or considered growth, which I think is a good balance of, you know, being careful and responsible, but also optimistic, optimistic and taking um, opportunities as they arise. Yeah, let me just throw the chart up for that conjunction because it's so cool seeing it happen at the very beginning of Aquarius in the rising sign for those with Aquarius rising and therefore could be much more personally important for those with Aquarius rising compared to other rising signs. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not every, I don't even know when the last one was. The last Jupiter Saturn conjunction was in Taurus, mm -hmm. but I guess it's been something like eight or 900 years since the last set of conjunctions and air signs. So nobody has seen a conjunction like this in their lifetime. 
unless there's some like a mortal that's like walking around <laughs> that's seen all right. of them or something like that. Yeah. I mean, um, have you, is that? I mean, no, I mean, no. Okay, I'm just checking. <laughs> Yeah, so um, this will, I, I keep saying breath of fresh air, this will actually be like that because it's in an air sign in your first house. So it really is a nice movement really for all of us with Jupiter and Saturn moving into an air sign versus a heavy, um, you know, the heavy earth sign of Capricorn, but in particular because that's the air sign that's the rising sign for you. So I I'm sure that many of you with Aquarius rising are going to feel quite a bit better at the end of the year compared to whatever you're still kind of trying to work on before that point. Sure. I mean, there will be still some challenges. I mean, I don't want to undersell yeah, yeah. like a Saturn transit through the first house. For sure. Which certainly can raise some obstacles with respect to health matters or bodily matters or one's appearance or even one's character traits and how you present yourself to the world, yeah. as well as sometimes, because whenever Saturn goes into the first house or any of the angular houses, it also activates all of the other angular houses. So sometimes when there's greater emphasis on the first house of self, it can cause or be the result of tensions that are happening in the seventh house of relationships. It can also be connected with tensions that start surfacing with the home and family and living situation, as well as the tenth house of career. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of um, there's going to be stuff coming up in all of those areas, but it's definitely more moderate for those with Aquarius rising compared to how it could be, just because Jupiter is there at mm -hmm. the same time, bringing a little bit more optimism than there would be otherwise. Yeah, for sure, all of that. It's a good caveat because we're we're being so optimistic about that combination just in comparison to having um, Saturn there alone. But it's not to say you only have Jupiter there alone either. It's both. So you will still need to do some, you know, work potentially restructuring your sense of self or what you're doing in the world, and you know that can be pretty major. But Jupiter is going to help out. And so you have that to um, kind of be thankful for compared to perhaps another rising sign. Yeah. I mean, one of the pieces of advice is just to take care of yourself. And that'll be one of the goals of that transit is figuring out how to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. All right. I think that brings us to the end of 2020 because we're already like getting into like major transits that are really going to be dominating 2021. So we're kind of mm -hmm. getting ahead of ourselves here a little bit. And we might have to save the rest of that discussion for next time. Yeah. You don't want to do the rest tonight? I mean, we could. <laughs> okay. I don't know if my voice will cooperate. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, and we still got to do Pisces rising if we if we can get to it at some point here. Sounds good. I feel bad about the Pisces rising. I know. I do too. You've waited a long time. All right. We'll see what we can do. We'll see if we can get to that tonight. Uh, thanks a lot for joining me today to do these horoscopes for Aquarius and Aquarius Rising. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. And thanks everybody in the live stream. I've been watching some of your comments and I really appreciate it. Uh, so thanks for joining us for the live stream. Uh, please be sure to like this video if you enjoyed it. Give it a thumbs up. Um, also be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel if you want to see future videos. And if you're watching the recording afterwards to post a comment just letting us know how some of these transits have been going for you over the past couple of years, or what things you're anticipating from 2020 coming up in the future. All right, we got a couple of things we got to mention before we wrap up for the day. One of them is that all of the artwork that I used in this episode actually comes from a set of calendar posters that I released for 2020. One of them is the Planetary Alignments poster, which shows all of the major ingresses and lunations and retrograde periods and everything else so that you can see when exactly some of these transits that we talked about today will start during the course of the year at a glance. 
We also have the planetary movements poster that shows where the planets will start at the beginning of the year and where they'll end up by the end, as well as a third bonus poster that shows the significations of the houses if you're still learning uh, that element of astrology, which is so major. Um, additionally, Lisa and I just released the 2020 Auspicious Elections Full Year Ahead Electional Report a couple of weeks ago, where we went through and picked out some lucky dates during each of the next 12 months to use for different beginning different types of ventures and undertakings. Mm -hmm. So basically, if you want to plan further ahead in the year in 2020 for any important events you want to hold or projects you want to start or, or so forth, um, these are basically better dates and time ranges to do that versus other times. In order for things to go better. Yeah, so you can find out more information about that at chrisbrennanastrologer.com slash 2020 elections. And finally, uh, we wouldn't be able to do any of this except for or without the support of all of the patrons who support us through our page on patreon.com. So in particular, shout out to patrons Christine Stone, Nate Craddock, and Tanner Robinson, as well as the Astrogold Astrology app available at astrogold.io, the Portland School of Astrology at portlandastrology.org, the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs at honeycomb.co, and then finally there's two major astrology conferences happening in 2020. One of them is being hosted by the International Society for Astrological Research, which is hosting a conference in Denver, Colorado, September 10th through the 14th, 2020. More information about that at esar2020.org, and then also the Northwest Astrological Conference, which is happening in Seattle, May 21st through the 25th, 2020. More information about that at norwac.net. Um, if you'd like to sign up to become a patron of the Astrology Podcast and get uh, bonus to bonus content and other things like that, like early access to new episodes or private patron-only podcast episodes, you can find out more information at Patreon.com/AstrologyPodcast. All right, I think that's it for this forecast. So thanks everyone for joining us, and good luck in 2020. And we'll see you again next year. Have a great year. Hey, my name is Chris Brennan, and this is your horoscope for Pisces and Pisces Rising for the entire year of 2020. Joining me today is astrologer Lisa Scheim. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Chris. And we're going to be looking at the next 12 months and giving you an overview of the major transits and uh, other planetary movements uh, during the course of 2020. Mm -hmm. All right, so this is the last one. We saved the best for last, of course, as always. Yes. And we also, even though sometimes people complain that it takes forever to get to Pisces and that comes last if you don't do it out of order. The positive side that I wanted to mention is that now we've done enough of these that we've really got it down mm -hmm. to like the most important things, and it's much more refined at this point than when we started way back at Aries. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. So you're getting kind of the best cut of all of them, I would say. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody, who joined us on the live stream tonight or who has joined us in the chat. Uh, let's jump into it. Okay. So January. January. So January, we're already into some of the thick of the important transits happening. Um, we are recording this on January 10th, and that's actually the day of both the Cancer Eclipse, the Uranus Station in Taurus, and the Saturn-Pluto conjunction then will be happening in two days from now, January 12th. So that's quite a clustering of a bunch of important things within just a few days. Um, let's start with the Cancer Eclipse. And so for you, with Pisces rising, that's going to be an eclipse in your fifth house, which has to do with children, sexuality, things you do for fun or entertainment or hobbies, um, creative expression, um, as well as, yeah, just 
going out and enjoying yourself. So um, this is a Cancer Capricorn axis um, is where the eclipses have been happening for about a year now. So this one isn't new. Um, it's actually to the second to the last one. The last one we'll get this summer. But this is kind of a, a mini culmination since it is a lunar eclipse to your fifth house. Right. So there's something that you probably started six months earlier when there was a solar eclipse in your fifth house, which is now coming to culmination or coming to fruition in some way, where the seeds of that may have initially been somewhat subtle uh, in terms of starting a new thing in this area of your life, but now it's turned out to be something that's much more important than you thought at first, or at least that is devoting more of your attention and this has sort of like a spotlight shown on it uh, this month. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes things relating to the eclipse will crop up around the time of the eclipse, but they don't have to exactly. So in other words, this is one of the this is one of those three actually major things this this month that are longer influences. It's not just like this cluster of three days, even though that's potentially when some of it is the most intensified. The other one, is the second out of the three, I should say, is the Uranus station in Taurus. And so Uranus has been transiting your third house, which has to do with siblings, neighbors, or your immediate neighborhood, um, short distance travel, so basically the way you get around town, which can be your car, um, and communication in general can go in the third house. And so Uranus transiting there, which is a seven year long transit approximately, brings innovation, unexpectedness, and um, things that, um, yeah, I was going to say unexpectedness, ups and downs, I would say, unevenness to this area of your life. Sometimes for some people with Uranus transiting your third house, since it can sometimes involve technology, can be you're incorporating more technology into how you communicate with people. Um, I've seen things like, um, you know, starting a, a podcast or a blog with Uranus going through your third because it's changing suddenly the way you communicate with other people, even people you don't know, potentially. Um, I'm trying to think other things going on with Uranus through the third house. Things going on with your siblings could become more unexpected. Um, something could be going on with regard to major change in their lives if you do have siblings or other assorted relatives there. Um, and yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah. So Uranus can sometimes be kind of a disruptive planet. It can sometimes shake things up in your life. And that would especially be the case if you have anything around two degrees of Taurus, which is where Uranus is stationing, or even to a lesser extent, two degrees of the other fixed signs, which are two degrees of Leo, two Scorpio, or two Aquarius, because then Uranus would be making a hard aspect at this time to those placements, mm -hmm. where it could be importing some sort of sense of instability or shaking things up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So while this is a longer transit, when you'll you'll notice that the most is when it either goes over or makes hard aspects to natal placements in your chart, or when it stations um, as it is here in January. It's the first of two stations this year in January and August. Um, so that's when you'll notice it the most unless it's hitting your planets directly. So sure. so we'll return back to that later in the year when it makes its second station. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, and then the third thing. Right. The third thing's going to be Saturn-Pluto conjunction in your 11th house, which has to do with friends, groups, the larger social sphere, networks of people that you know. And so this is a major area of concentration that's been the case for a while now for you, because with Pisces rising, Pluto entered Capricorn in 2008, so that's when it entered your house of friends and groups, um, kind of 
sort of very slowly pushing for major transformation with regard to something about that area of your life. And then Saturn joined it at the end of 2017 in December for approximately three year transit there. So both of those have been transiting there for a while and this is just kind of coming to a peak now. So it's not a new thing. Um, whatever's coming up with regard to friends or groups for you. But um, with the exact conjunction in the middle of January here, something about that can come to a head. Um, oftentimes when those planets are transiting your 11th house, there can be a sense of either outgrowing friendships um, or some sort of greater distance than usual with regard or between you and some of your friends. Um, for some other people with Pisces rising, it could have been a time where you had fewer friends, but you were concentrating more on them. Maybe one of your friends needed help in their life for some reason, or perhaps you joined a professional organization. That would be a Saturn transit through the 11th, that kind of thing. So there's different ways it can play out, but um, this is where if there is a major change that's been happening, particularly with regard to sort of serious reconsideration of the role of friend, particular friends in your life um, or groups that you belong to, this is a, one of the times it'll come to a head in mid-January. Yeah, and so that Saturn transit, which could have indicated some difficulties or in the best case scenario, some restructuring of your friendships in your life since December of 2017, one of the positive things, even though you're in the last third of that transit over the course of the next year, and it's going to be wrapping up between now and December, one of the things that's different this year is that Jupiter, just a month ago, ingressed into Capricorn as well, and will spend the entirety of this year moving through that sign and moving through your 11th house. So that's going to bring in a different energy that's quite opposite to Saturn, uh, where Saturn can be more constrictive and a little bit more depressing and a little bit more isolating. Jupiter can be um, more expansive and more about growth and new opportunities. So this could be a year in which um, things are balanced out and you reach a little bit more of an equilibrium in your life when it comes to friends and perhaps even make some new friends or at least have some relationships be more stabilized after going through a period of testing or questioning. Definitely. Yeah, I would agree with all of that. So there's definitely a benefit this year to Jupiter joining that Capricorn transit party um, as opposed to just having Saturn and Pluto there. So I was highlighting the Saturn-Pluto conjunction because that does go exact mid-month, but Jupiter certainly transiting there almost all year until mid-December of 2020 will definitely help bring new opportunities and have some more optimism and not just seriousness in that area of your life. Right. All right, so those are the main transits, and some of these are like background transits that are going to be operating in different ways for most of the year, but I think those are the main things we needed to mention for January. Mm -hmm. So let's move on to February. All right, so February, one of the main things is that Mars moves into Capricorn mid-month around February 16th. And so Mars is joining all of those other planets in Capricorn, Jupiter, Saturn, and Pluto in your third or sorry, in your eleventh house of friends and groups. And so this will definitely bring more attention. A Mars transit is usually quick, just about six weeks, but even though that's still true here, it's just a lot of energy going to your 11th house at this point. So, and Mars in particular, when it goes into the 11th, can bring on the one hand um, greater energy and greater effort towards something in that area of your life, towards um, something about a friendship or putting a lot of your energy temporarily more than usual into a group endeavor or something like that, even into activism or something because that is the larger social sphere. Um, it's a quicker transit, but it's kind of 
just adding to these longer transits. So um, the other thing that Mars can bring when it transits the 11th is tensions with regard to friendships um, or even conflict with a friend. Yeah, so especially for the people with day charts, this could be kind of a tense period for friendships that lasts for about a month. And uh, there could be, in the worst case scenario, like a severing or separation when it comes to friendships, um, depending on how your birth chart's set up and if it's hitting it in a certain way. Mm -hmm. So the good news, though, is this transit only lasts for about a month, um, starting on the 16th of February and going through into the very end of March. Mm -hmm. Uh, weirdly, right around the same time that that Mars ingress takes place on February 16th, uh, Mercury stations retrograde uh, that very same day in Pisces in your first house. Yeah, so this will be the first of three Mercury retrogrades this year. We normally have three to four Mercury retrograde periods per year. And this one is a little bit more focal to you because it is happening in your first house of self. So um, this is probably one to pay a little more attention to than than average, I would say. So Mercury going backwards through your first house um, can cause you to revisit or rather can coincide with you revisiting something about your sense of self, your sense of individual identity, who you are in the world. It can also have you revisiting things like um, your choices in appearance, like hairstyle or clothes. That can sound a little superficial, but although, I mean, and this is a quick transit anyway, but um, those things are the external manifestation to a large extent anyway of how you feel about yourself and who you think you are. So it's not entirely superficial if you're revisiting things like that. Um, let's see, what other things would be a Mercury retrograde through the first? Um, I think just more broadly themes of finding your voice and figuring out how to communicate and maybe r revising if there's ways that you could communicate more effectively um, what you're trying to convey to people from your internal world to your external world. That could be a large part of this transit. Mm. Might be a little tricky because there might be some instances of like miscommunication where maybe from your end that you misunderstand something or you mishear something from somebody else or don't convey some message that you're attempting to convey as effectively as you could since Mercury is stationing retrograde conjunct Neptune in Pisces in the first house. So that's one potential drawback of this Mercury retrograde transit is it could amplify issues with miscommunication and the miscommunication or the misunderstanding could come from you rather than from um, elsewhere from somebody else. So maybe be on your guard to try to be extra explicit and extra clear in communications around this time to whatever extent that you can. Yeah, definitely. And just to add to that, we won't be focusing too much on the Neptune transit this year because it's not um, largely interacting with many other planets this year in a strong way. But for you, it is pretty focal because ne Neptune as a long-term transit is transiting your first house of self. So um, when other planets do interact with that, that's going to emphasize that further for you. And with the Mercury retrograde conjunct Neptune in your first, um, as you said, not just taking care around potential miscommunications on in one direction or another, but part of that could come from <coughs> you even potentially um, not knowingly giving off an air of misunderstanding simply because not just the Mercury retrograde going through the first, but the Neptune transit as a long-term transit going through your first house of self can have you having fluctuating feelings and uncertain feelings regard regarding your own identity, really. And so, you know, other people could misperceive you or vice versa because your identity isn't really in a solid frame of reference right now. Right. And one of the funny things about this transit is that since it the retrograde begins 
the same day that Mars goes into the eleventh house of friends, one thing you might want to be careful for in case those two are connected is like a miscommunication or misunderstanding that leads to a difficulty or a period of tension or even a falling out with a friend. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So that retrograde period, like all retrograde periods, lasts for three weeks. And the halfway point when there should start to be some resolution to the issue that's set up when it begins uh, occurs on the 25th of February when the sun conjoins Mercury. And then early in March, Mercury actually retrogrades out of Pisces and it moves back into Aquarius into your 12th house where it eventually stations direct on the 9th of March. Mm -hmm. So um, while it's not a serious transit here, with the Mercury retrograde dipping back into your 12th house of hidden places and then stationing direct there, that could be something like some miscommun miscommunications that happen in your life you suddenly realize um, came from someone else communicating that you weren't aware of with regard to the issue because the 12th house can be things that you don't see in the moment. Mm -hmm. um, it can also be Mercury retrograding back into the 12th can be something about you suddenly seeing something about your own motivations that you weren't clear about before because the 12th house can also have to do with things like your subconscious or um, sometimes things that, that are kind of self-undoing. Right. Yeah, I think especially the idea of the Mercury retrograding out of the first house and moving into the twelfth house, so that you have to go back and revise something or revisit something about the twelfth house, may focus on ways in which you might be undermining yourself accidentally or inadvertently and forcing you to re-examine that, or even um, instances where you might accidentally make um, an enemy or create a situ situation where you're at odds with somebody inadvertently so that you have to go back and revise that and see if you can smooth things over with that person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could see that. All right. So that's the Mercury retrograde, which is wrapped up by the ninth of the month. Mm -hmm. um, then for some reason that acts as a precursor to a major set of transits that begin later in March, uh, first with Saturn moving into Aquarius on the 21st, and then just a week later, Mars also moves into Aquarius on the 30th of the month. Yeah, so this area of your life, the 12th house of <coughs> hidden places, um, is going to have a lot more activity coming up. And so the Mercury stations direct early in the month there, but then Saturn coming in in late March on the 21st will last until July 1st. And that's going to be a preview of a longer transit, since most Saturn transits are two and a half to three years through a sign. That's going to start in full at the end of the year in December. So this is going to be a bit of a preview of what that will be about for you. It'll just dip into the first two degrees of Aquarius before retrograding back to Capricorn in July. So you can pay attention at this time to see what comes up, and you'll get a better sense of the area of your life that's being activated with the next Saturn transit once it moves out of Capricorn. However, Mars also moves in there around the same time in late March. And with Mars and Saturn both going into Aquarius around the same time, that probably will bring a sense more of stress or strife or some, some issue that you need to deal with rather than just attention itself um, to that 12th house area. And that can be a little bit tricky because the 12th house is by its nature um, very indirect. You know, it's kind of like your blind spot. Right. And so it can be things like you were saying a moment ago about um, people working at cross purposes to yours or, you know, basically people who 
you know, for whatever reason, don't like you or something. Um, and having to deal with something around that. Uh, it can also be that you're entering a longer period of time where you're going to be inwardly introspective and kind of working on yourself um, psychologically. It can be a time where you feel like you need to withdraw more, whether that's for some particular reason, like you are sick all of a sudden and you need to rest more than usual or something like that. Or it can just be that you feel more inward and therefore you're going to be more reflective rather than social over the next few years. So this is just gonna be for a few months here, but it will give you a sense of the later transit later, uh, starting in December. Yeah, definitely. And because Mars and Saturn form a conjunction really early on at the end of March in that sign, it may um, inaugurate this shift into activating the 12th house through some sort of obstacle or difficulty or even potentially like a, a crisis or an issue that comes up at this time in your life. So um, this could mean, I mean, the 12th house, the 11th house traditionally deals with friends, whereas the 12th house deals with enemies or people you don't get along with. So this may be showing some long-term period of needing to restructure um, some of the people, the, the relationship you have with some of the people that you don't get along with in your life. And maybe some of those people or one of those people is being particularly like annoying or combative in a way that you have to address or deal with more head-on than you're used to wanting to deal with. Mm -hmm, for sure. Um, that's going to be especially the case for people with day charts as soon as Mars ingresses in. And luckily, that's only going to last for about a month because I believe it looks like Mars goes in on the 30th of March, but then it's already finished with that transit by the 13th of May. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that's one of the main things I would mention just about that is that it initiates, it sort of starts off more difficultly, but I think you've focused a lot on how once Saturn goes back early later in the year, that it will go in with Jupiter at the same time. Yeah, and that's a much nicer combination than Mars and Saturn being in there at once. And so while this will highlight um, come late March, what that area of life will, you know, will be focused on for you at that time. It's not when it goes back later, I don't want that to scare you because when it goes back later, it'll probably be better. Um, it will still be probably effort and attention and work you need to put into that area, but Jupiter will be there helping out along side Saturn. So um, this March through July or March through April period will really be more of the focus of the um, the stress around it, I would say. Sure. All right. So that's starting at the end of March, but then really those transits are going into April. So mm -hmm. that'll take us into that month. Mm -hmm. So April, let's see, we have a Jupiter-Pluto conjunction at the beginning of the month on April 4th. Yeah, April 4th. Mm -hmm. And so that is happening in Capricorn, which is your 11th house of friends and groups. And um, since Saturn has kind of gotten out of the way at this point, this does mean that whatever this sort of more long-term um, uh, transformation you've been working on since 2008 with regard to Pluto transiting your 11th house of friends and groups has been about for you, Jupiter now comes around and touches Pluto and kind of expands opportunity to change that further or, um, <clears throat> or uh, gives you more opportunity to grow in that area. Yeah. So it's kind of nice that after two years of Saturn transits through the 11th house in the sense of constriction and the sense of this um, being a period of testing for friends or sometimes the rejection of certain friendships that now with Saturn just moving through Aquarius, all that's left is Jupiter moving through that sign for a few months. So we get these this period of like growth and expansion that gets kind of 
um, accelerated or exacerbated by the conjunction with Pluto. So you may find your social life or your work with groups expanding very rapidly all of a sudden, and that almost becoming, like in some instances, like a point of obsession or intensity for you at this time in your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and with Jupiter and Pluto there as well, um, it's not going to be true for all of you, but some people may be working on things either in the social sphere or um, or working with friends on something because Pluto is kind of like big energy. And so when you put Jupiter and Pluto together, for some people, that will be like a bigger than usual push towards doing something with friends. And that can be, again, activism, if that's something that's in your life, um, because it's the social sphere. If you're doing actual work with a, with a group of friends, or even one or two friends, then it can be something where you're trying to expand that further at this time. And that'll be a little bit easier because it'll be just Jupiter and Pluto, like I said a moment ago, without Saturn in the mix temporarily. Right. Um... All right, so that actually gets intensified later in the month when Pluto stations retrograde on the 25th of April. Mm -hmm. And that's the last major outer planet transit during that month, which then takes us into the month of May. Mm -hmm. So May, the major thing that's happening is Saturn is retrograding in Aquarius on May 11th. And so that just little dip into your 12th house of hidden places, there's a temporary accentuation of whatever that transit is about so far for you. Because anytime a planet stations, then it temporarily intensifies that energy, whatever the that planet's energy is about. And so Saturn is always about hard work, responsibility, um, paying sort of serious attention to a certain area of your life, wherever it touches. And so um, this is just going to be a temporary little um, further feeling of whatever that Saturn transit through your 12th is about. But that won't last very long because then it will pretty short order move back into Capricorn. Yeah, and what's interesting around the time of this station that Mars also completes its transit through Aquarius just two days later on the 13th of May. So it's like there's one last little push here of whatever that Saturn and Mars transit through Aquarius is about right in the middle of May. And then there's almost like an alleviation of that over the course of the next few weeks. Mm -hmm. So Mars moves into Pisces on the 13th of May, mm -hmm. and that is the first whole sign house, the place of the body as well as the mind uh, for those with Pisces rising. Mm -hmm. So Mars will usually give you more energy when it moves out of a 12th house transit and into the first because the 12th is more about kind of um, withdrawal. And then the first is really being out front and center. It's the house of self. So Mars moving through there can have you more energized than you were for the previous month or so. Um, you just want to be careful to kind of use that energy responsibly because the flip side of that can be feeling more combative or acting more aggressively than you mean to um, because it's a very forthright energy. So that's just something to watch out for as it goes into your first. I mean, I would say particularly because it does, um, well, let's see, is Saturn still in Aquarius at this point? Yeah. Okay, never mind then. I was going to draw a connection there that's not quite there yet. Um, yeah, so I would say the main thing is just, you know, use your energy wisely and, you know, enjoy the newfound um, vigor, but just kind of don't come across too aggressively to people. Sure. Yeah, it could be a period in which you have more energy and can speak and act more directly than normal, especially compared to the previous month and a half. Yeah. But also sometimes that energy can bubble over and lead to aggressiveness or irritability. Um, or impulsiveness that can sometimes get you in trouble, either 
uh, mentally and verbally, or alternatively, even either even physically, because sometimes a Mars transit through the first could indicate like an accident or an injury if it's hitting your chart in a particularly difficult way. Yeah, exactly. So that'll be there until near the end of June. Okay. Um, so that is that transit. And weirdly, there's a whole cluster of stuff happening around this time because Jupiter is stationing retrograde. Uh, in Capricorn in the 11th house the next day on the 14th of May, and the same day that Mars ingresses on the 13th, uh, Venus actually stations retrograde in Gemini in the fourth house of the home and the family and the living situation for those with Pisces rising. Mm -hmm. So a Venus retrograde normally is about um, people coming back into your life that used to be around. And <laughs> that can be, as a general signification, true for everyone. It's often associated with like people coming back into your life that you used to date or something like that, or old friends. Um, and that still can be true here, but the more particular area of your life that it's transiting through and revisiting is your fourth house of home and family. So there may be a sense of, um, at this time, of you reviewing your living situation, whether you're happy with it or not, um, thinking about moving, but maybe not moving yet. It could also be a time when um, someone you used to live with comes back around or comes back into contact with you. That's not necessarily to say someone actually moves back in with you, although that could happen. But um, it's more to say that there's just some sort of review process around for you at this time with regard to things involving your living situation, maybe home, um, as well as anything with your parents in particular or family more generally. Yeah, one thing I could see somebody doing at the Venus retrograde through the fourth house is like redesigning their home mm. and just like their decor or general arrangement of their house in order to create a more, more harmonious like living situation. Mm -hmm. That's true. Although that does bring, I agree with that. And that also does bring up the thing that we talked about with Venus retrogrades through the first, which is, do you actually act on that redesign at this point? Or do you wait until Venus goes direct? Because sometimes when you're in the review process, your aesthetic um, choices are different than they would be normally. Yeah. I mean, I think it's fine to initiate that process, but you may not it may not come to completion and you may go through several different stages before you reach a final thing that you're happy with more towards the very end of the retrograde. Yeah, that could be. Yeah. So right. just know that it's a review process and you're not quite done with that until it goes direct. Right. Um, all right. So Jupiter stations retrograde here, which is an intensification of some of the 11th house growth and expansion significations with respect to friends and groups mm -hmm. on the 14th. And then that's Pretty much it for May. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, go ahead. So that takes us into June. Yeah, so June starts off with the first Sagittarius eclipse, which is going to be in your 10th house of career and public reputation. So that's on June 5th. And up to this point, we've had the eclipses in the Cancer Capricorn axis, which is your 5th house and 11th house. But at the end of the year, they're going to be fully in Gemini and Sagittarius, which is your home and living situation and family and your career or your supervisors, if you have any. And so this first one in Sagittarius um, kicks that off, even though there's not a full set. And so this is something about bringing to a mini culmination, because it is a um, lunar eclipse, into 
your 10th house of something that you've either been working on or an opportunity that arises with regard to career. But basically, eclipses bring beginnings and endings, and those can be mini chapters, not, not necessarily like a wholesale ending of your entire career, although that could mean for some people switching careers. Um, it could also mean something changing with regard to your boss, if you have one. I've seen that with eclipses in the 10th house, sort of your supervisor changing, um, getting a new supervisor, things like that. But anyway, this is going to be an area um, of potential change for you over the next year or so because the eclipses <coughs> in Gemini and Sagittarius will continue into 2021, and this is just the first one of the set. Yeah, so this is starting to shine a spotlight on your 10th house of career and questions about who you are and where you're going with your life and what is your reputation and what do you want it to be. And you may see some things start to reach um, a culmination point or start to reach a point where they start wrapping up in, over the next six months so that you're ready to begin a new phase in terms of your career and life direction later this year around November and December. But this will be the initial starting point or the initial phase of that that'll sort of open that chapter of your life with this eclipse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I know I've talked with some clients who are Pisces rising who are thinking about a career change or looking for a new job or something, and this will start to become um, times when change will be more likely as an opportunity. Right. All right. So that's going to take us into the later part of June where there's a couple of potentially related things that are happening in the same sector of the chart. One of them is Mercury stations retrograde for the second time this year, this time in the sign of Cancer in the fifth house for those with Pisces rising. And then just two days later, we get a solar eclipse, and it's the, the last or the final solar eclipse in Cancer, also in the fifth house for those with Pisces rising. Yeah, so while Mercury retrogrades usually aren't big deals in terms of transits, this one is tied into something that's a bit bigger, that eclipse there. So with the Mercury retrograde happening in your fifth house of children, sexuality, creative pursuits, and things you do for enjoyment, there may, may be some sort of review that's happening for you with regard to at least one, if not more, of those topics. Um, and then with the eclipse happening there, that just intensifies that further. So basically, there's something happening during this part of the year, during the summer, um, with regard to children. If you have any children, perhaps for some people with the Mercury retrograde there in particular, it's um, reviewing your ideas about whether you want to have children or not in your life in the future. Um, I could see that that being true for some people. Um, like miscommunication surrounding children. Oh yeah, that's true. That's funny with the solar eclipse there um, in the sixth house, it's all or fifth house. It's also going to lay a new foundation and start something new. The seeds of which could grow subtly over the course of the next six months. So maybe one good piece of advice is to make sure you have clear communication, no understand misunderstandings with your partners about like birth control, for mm -hmm. example. No, for sure. Having like a miscommunication involving that that starts some new major phase in your life in that area. Mm. Yes, in theory, I could definitely see that combination. Okay. Yeah, so be careful about that and be as clear as possible. Um, I think it is happening near a Neptune station, is it not, on the calendar there? Um, let me pull up the calendar. Yeah. Because I think, um, and you know, I'm only mentioning this with a few signs when it's more focal, but since it's happening in your first house, I think that's more important because it's the first house of self. So um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting actually with some of these transits, they tie in more easily than others. And with all of this activity with the Mercury retrograde and the um, solar eclipse in your fifth house, but then that happening so close to the Venus stationing direct and Neptune stationing retrograde in your first house, 
Um, the Neptune station, in addition to the rec Mercury retrograde, I would say be especially clear as much as you can be about where you're coming from, particularly with regard to those fifth house topics like children, um, because you could be inadvertently, again, as I said earlier, with any Neptune activity in the first, you could be inadvertently less clear than you think you are being. Um, and then with the Venus stationing direct, um, yeah, I could just see that tying in a, a lot for some people, even though the Venus station is more in your fourth house of home and family, just the general signification of it, plus the fifth house um, activity, I could see that being something important with regard to dating for some people, dating, sexuality, potentially children. Sure. So Venus stations direct on the 25th of June, and then just two days later, we get our last major transit of the month, which is that Mars ingresses into Aries and into the second house of finances for those with Pisces rising. Yeah, and so Mars ingressing into Aries is more important than usual this year because while Mars transits are usually just a six-week transit, Mars is going to retrograde in Aries this year in the fall, which means that um, through all of its um, direct and then retrograde and then direct again movements, it's going to spend six months in Aries instead of six weeks, which is quite a bit of difference. The entirety of the second half of 2020, Mars will be transiting your second house of income and finances and possessions. And so this is an important one to watch for you as it enters at the end of June, even though the main piece that we're really looking at isn't going to happen until September, the retrograde station itself. So with Mars transiting your second house, this can bring more effort, uh, effort and attention and energy towards your um, making a living, towards what you're doing with your money. And depending on your specifics of your chart, um, that can either be simply that you're just putting more energy towards that area of your life for a while, or it can be more conflict or strife or loss with regard to money or possessions. Um, sometimes if Mars, if you were born during the day, that's gonna be more likely in terms of Mars being the more stressful transit through there where, um, you might have financial problems during some piece of the second half of 2020. It's more likely to crop up during the retrograde itself, but this sets some of the themes for what's going on. If it's gonna be more constructive for you, if you have a night chart, um, it's usually just more that you're putting more energy towards making money for some reason during this time. Right, right. so best case scenario, greater focus and intention for the next six months on the area of finances and like what it takes to make money and putting energy or even um, pushing yourself harder than at other times in your life to do that for some reason. Uh, maybe something comes up that causes that as a necessity that you have to do during this time, especially once it gets intensified later in September when Mars stations retrograde. So that's like the best case scenario. Worst case scenario is some sort of strife or conflict in the area of finances um, that sort of gets going or has its initial phase when Mars goes into Aries at the end of June, but really peaks once it stations retrograde in September. Definitely. And while most people don't want to hear, you know, news like that, one of the things that's really useful to know about that ahead of time is, you know, maybe try to set aside more money than usual in terms of savings if you know that this kind of um, transit is going to be coming up for you because you don't know how it will go yet. And so you can be try to be like perhaps more conservative um, than you usually are with your spending um, in preparation for that transit. Right. All right. So that begins at the end of June, but then it lasts for most of the rest of the year mm -hmm. with an intensification in September. So we'll actually come back to that transit later. Yeah. But this will take us into the second half of the year. I uh, just wanted to pause for a second and say thanks, everybody, for joining us for the live stream. There's a bunch of viewers 
and I'm enjoying a lot of your comments that are coming in. Uh, please be sure to like this video if you're enjoying it, just to help other people to find it. And let's transition into talking about the astrology for the second half of the year. Okay. So July starts off um, with Saturn going back into Capricorn, into your 11th house of friends and groups. And pretty soon after that, there is also the last eclipse in Capricorn in that same area of your life. So this is going to be a time when, on the one hand, you kind of had an alleviation of work on that area of your life um, for a few months when Saturn went into Aquarius into your 12th house and now it's kind of back in so for some people it might be like oh I thought I dealt with this area already and you know now I have to focus on it again um, but this is only going to be for five more months and then you're done with the three-year transit so this is the last stretch during the second half of 2020 Saturn goes back into Capricorn from July until mid-December and so you're going to be putting more work and effort into your friends and groups area again, um, any work you do with groups of any sort or work on a friendship that you have um, or work restructuring who you are friends with or who you hang out with. All of that could come up at this time with both the Saturn ingress again and the last eclipse there. Yeah, so there's something um, that may be not finished about the area of friends and, and groups that you've been working on for about two and a half years at this point, but Saturn is coming back in order to either make the final push to make sure that you've finished up and, and sort of swept up the pieces in that area of your life that you've been working on restructuring for the past couple of years, or there may be some specific thing that you have to go back to make sure that you got the lesson of whatever the point of that transit was about. So um, at the same time, there's a solar eclipse that occurs a few days later, also in Capricorn, uh, which, or sorry, a lunar eclipse, which sort of indicates additionally or sort of reiterates this idea of a period of a culmination of events in the area of friends and groups, and just putting a greater spotlight on that area so that something that you started six months earlier in the beginning of or end of December will sort of come to completion and start to bear fruit or show the results of your efforts, even if they started off in a way that was very um, slow or in a way that didn't seem important at first, now suddenly your efforts in the area of friends and groups start to really matter and start to become more clear. Mm -hmm, definitely. And for some of you, a lot of the work will have been done already since the Saturn piece is only going to go back to about 25 degrees of Capricorn, I believe, before it stations direct again. So unless you have important placements towards the end of the cardinal signs, so the last about five degrees of Capricorn or Aries, Libra, Cancer, then you might have more of the focal point of actual events coming up with regard to friends and groups at this time. And you could still with the eclipse there, but um, to some extent for a lot of people with Pisces rising, this won't be a new story and you will have already done a lot of things with this area already. Right. All right. So the only other major thing that happens in July is that Mercury stations direct in Cancer. So it sort of finishes up that three-week retrograde cycle that we were talking about earlier. And then we move into the astrology of August. Mm -hmm. So August has a lot lit up on this calendar, but really the main thing, those a lot of those are quick interplanet transits. The main thing that's happening to note right now for the year ahead is Uranus stationing retrograde on August 15th in Taurus in your third house of siblings, short distance travel and communications. And so what we were talking about earlier in January with that first station comes back again. And so there's another intensification for the second time this year on um, unpredictability, unexpected things coming up in any of these areas of your life. 
And that's going to be true more if more so if you do have placements close to 10 or 11 degrees of Taurus, because that is where uh, Uranus is stationing here at this time. And also to some extent 10 or 11 degrees of any of the other fixed signs, so Aquarius, Scorpio, or Leo. Yeah, so this is the first time that Uranus has gotten this far into Taurus. So especially for those with placements at 10 degrees of Taurus or the other fixed signs, some of those feelings of instability or disruptions or unexpected developments um, are really going to start to become more prominent in your life, even if they were slowly building up up to this point. Um, this is the point where they might peak in terms of intensity during the course of this transit. Mm -hmm. So um, major changes in overhauls and communication, uh, major changes in terms of your siblings' lives or in terms of your relationship with your siblings, uh, changes um, potentially to your neighbors or your neighborhood in general in some way. Mm -hmm. It's funny, we have a, like a local business that we know the birth chart for, and they were having some major outer planet transits over the course of the past three years few years in their third house and literally we saw the entire neighborhood around the business like change during the course of that time yeah uh, which is pretty wild to watch how that happens in the chart of like a business mm -hmm. yeah definitely it was pretty um striking really so it can be something like that like your neighborhood goes through changes innovations of some sort come in that weren't there already and things like that right so that's the main transit happening in August, is that Uranus station right in the middle of the month, mm -hmm. and then that takes us through into September. Yeah, so September is actually the main event in terms of the Mars retrograde. Mars does station retrograde on September 9th, and it's going to be retrograde until mid-November. So a good a couple months or a little more. And so this is the point in time when all the things we were mentioning earlier with regard to um, energy, any energy output put towards um, income or possessions or potentially conflict or tensions around that area of your life um, will come to a head. And if something is cropping up that causes you to review what you were doing up to this point, then this is around when that will happen. And that is because, you know, Mars gets all the way to 28 degrees before of Aries before it retrogrades. And so you will have the feeling, we'll all have the feeling at that point, I think, that we were mostly done with that area and that we did what we were supposed to do with regard to, you know, for you, money, um, you know, your source of income or your spending or your possessions. But then all of a sudden there's something that makes us do a detour or a U-turn and go back over what we were just working on before that with regard to the financial area of our life um, and try to figure out what you need to do to go forward again. Right. One of the things that's interesting about when Mars stations in September when it stations retrograde, it's at 28 degrees of Aries, and it's pretty closely squaring Saturn at 25 Capricorn during that time. So there could be some sort of connection here about tensions between the person's personal finances and their friends, or financial matters and their relationship with like groups or organizations. Mm -hmm. And that might be an area to watch out for as a potential source of problems during that time. Um, just because the retrograde itself is kind of a tense period that really gets going at this stage. Yeah, definitely. And if there's any conflict around money, you know, and friends, that could definitely crop up at this time. I was thinking when I was mentioning earlier about the Jupiter-Pluto transit through your 11th, if you know you are one of those Pisces rising people that is working on a project with friends or even you know doing something professionally with friends, you want to be especially careful around this time um, with regard to conflict around the financial pieces of it. Sure. 
The good news, though, is that just a few days after Mars stations retrograde, Jupiter stations direct in the 11th house of friends in Capricorn, mm -hmm. which should indicate some sort of positive forward movement or expansion in terms of friends and groups. And then later in the month, Saturn makes its final direct station towards the end of Capricorn, and then it's going to start moving forward on its way to departing that house and finishing up its three-year transit through that sign. Yeah, so this is the last hurrah for all of your 11th house um, efforts and you know with friends and groups and so with both Jupiter and Saturn direct after this point you can kind of do I was going to say smooth sailing I mean it depends on if you have any placements in the rest of the degrees of Capricorn in the last five degrees but to some extent relatively speaking it's smoother sailing forward and finishing up whatever you're working on in that area right so those are the last major things for September Mm -hmm. And some of those transits, even though intensified at this point when they station, are still in effect going into the following month. This takes us into October, where, where really the main thing that happens is that Mercury stations retrograde in Scorpio on the 13th of the month. Mm -hmm. So this is the last Mercury retrograde of 2020. It will station retrograde in Scorpio, which for you with Pisces rising is going to be the ninth house, which has to do with higher education, long distance travel, things that involve cultures that are different from yours, even if you are staying at home, um, religion, philosophy, worldview types of things. And so with Mercury stationing retrograde there, there's some sort of review for you going on for a few weeks. Uh, with regard to at least one of those topics. So you're rethinking perhaps um, your desire to do some sort of educational pursuit, or you are rethinking a travel plan, um, or you maybe need to change a travel plan that you've already set up. Um, other yeah. things like that, reviewing your belief systems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it could indicate a Mercury retrograde in the ninth house could indicate taking a sudden trip. Um, especially because Mercury stations retrograde at 11 degrees of Scorpio opposite to Uranus um, at 9 degrees of Taurus. So there could be some sort of unexpected traveling that has to take place at this time, and there may be some snafus or, or miscommunications or difficulties that come up during the course of that, but sometimes that's necessary to do nonetheless, and you can't necessarily always avoid it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's true. And especially so since the third house where Uranus is transiting and the opposition will happen to um, travel is also one of those topics there. Right. So uh, Mercury, though, doesn't stay in that sign, but instead towards the end of the month on the 27th, it actually retrogrades back into Libra, uh, moving back into the eighth house of shared resources for those with Pisces rising. Mm -hmm. So there may be something that you also need to review at this time as it dips back into your eighth house of shared resources in terms of your financial life. And that's not just true because of the Mars transit in the second, but then the eighth house is the other financial house that has to do with joint finances. So anything you um, own or any financial life you have with a personal partner or a business partner. It can also be the other financial topics that aren't income, such as taxes, loans, debts, um, inheritance, those sorts of things. And so Mercury retrograding just a little bit back into that house for you and then stationing direct there could have you reviewing any of those topics as well at this time. Yeah. Um, so there could be a connection between the ninth house of travel and like the eighth house of um, maybe having to borrow money from somebody due to a trip or due to an unexpected expense that comes up within the context of a trip, or education, which is a ninth house thing, and something that came up in the context of education requiring you to borrow money, which would be an eighth house thing. Mm -hmm. um, there may be some connection with the fact that, uh, or 
overlapping of ninth house and eighth house topics because the Mercury retrograde goes across the boundaries of those two signs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, that's taking us into the month of November, where very early in the month on the 3rd of November, Mercury stations direct and starts moving forward and completes its three-week retrograde period. And then the other major thing that happens this month is Mars finally completes its retrograde period and stations direct around 15 degrees of Aries. Mm -hmm. So this is the turning point, the other major turning point besides the station retrograde in September that everyone I think will really be looking forward to because whatever you needed to review or go back over or redo in your financial life, you're finally going to be able to turn it around and start moving forward again with that. And Mars does take a bit in terms of speeding back up to its regular um, speed and motion. And so when it does station direct here in the middle of November, it won't be that you can implement everything immediately to smooth everything out, whatever you know cropped up in your financial life here. But you will at least feel like you have a plan or you will start to have a plan to move things forward again and, um, you know, what's the word? Um, Just iron out the wrinkles of whatever came up during this Mars retrograde in your um, financial house. Yeah, there's definitely a sense of forward movement again at this time. And um, you had been sort of like treading water for several weeks when it comes to financial matters or having to put and expend a lot of energy on that area of your life for some reason. But now all of a sudden, there's an end in sight to this period and a realization that you're going to turn a corner and start to come out of it before too long, which Mm -hmm. should be probably a happy sight to see by that time. Yeah, definitely. I think the mostly it's really good. I think the only cautionary note uh, would be again with any Mars intensification, um, just, you know, be aware of not um, provoking too much conflict with regard to finances at this time. I mean, Mars is in Aries. That's a very assertive sign. So um, to some extent, some of you may need to be assertive about financial matters at this time, you know. But you just want to be a little bit cautionary as, as far as not going overboard. Um, it's not so much that it's in your first house of self at this point; it's just around financial matters primarily. Right. Definitely. All right. Um, so then, later in November, we get back into eclipse season, and it starts with a lunar eclipse, which happens in Gemini in the fourth house of the home and the family and the living situation on the 30th of the month. Mm -hmm. So now we're fully into the Gemini-Sagittarius axis for the eclipses. And so we just had the one in Sagittarius in the summer, but now we have Gemini at the end of November, and then two weeks later in mid-December, we'll have the Sagittarius one. So they come in pairs like that. And so at the end of November, we will have that um, lunar eclipse to your fourth house of home and family. And this is an area that you would have been focusing on a little bit earlier in the year in the summer, in May and June in particular, because of the Venus retrograde happening there. So whatever was coming up at this time, um, even though that's different than an eclipse, the eclipse brings beginnings and endings, um, there could be something around the same topics for you coming up near the end of the year. So basically, um, new decisions around where you're living, maybe new things happening in your parents' life or in your relationship with your parents, um, or new things happening with regard to your private life. And it's not completely new because this is a lunar eclipse, so it's kind of a mini culmination. Um, But the series in general brings new beginnings and endings in that area. Yeah, there's something that you probably initiated six months earlier over the summer that 
in the area of your living situation or your parents or your private life that starts to become more clear and starts to manifest as a more significant part of your life at this point, even if it didn't seem like it was going to be a major change at the time. Mm -hmm. um, so that starts happening there. But then also with these two eclipses and the shift towards the fourth house, 10th house axis, uh, in the middle of December on the 14th, with that solar eclipse in the sign of Sagittarius in your 10th house, there is a major new beginning when it comes to your career and your overall life direction. And there's something that gets initiated at this point where you're laying the seeds or the foundations of a new direction in your life with respect to career that will grow and develop until it eventually matures about six months later, uh, about halfway into 2021. Mm -hmm, definitely. So this is a time, as I was mentioning earlier, that with the Sagittarius eclipses in your 10th house of career, there can be more openings if you were looking for a new job or looking to switch um, fields that you're working in. Uh, eclipses are a time when greater change is possible in whatever area they're touching in your life. So um, any of you who were you know, looking for new work or thinking about switching companies, you can look, look at that around this time and there'll be more um, openings for that, I think. And that also can be true, like I said earlier, for things involving your boss. So some people, for instance, maybe your supervisor leaves the company, and so then you are starting to report to a new boss, and that's a whole new experience. So the 10th house can govern both of those things. It can also be recognition, professional recognition, um, sometimes not necessarily things like switching jobs, but you reach some sort of mini pinnacle with regard to work that you've been working on in whatever professional field you're in. Yeah, uh, there's somebody in the chat named Stargirl who says that she's saving money, hopefully to get a buy a house by the end of the year. Nice, which would be a really great sort of textbook manifestation of that uh, eclipse taking place in the fourth house. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. All right. So this is taking us into December and into the final major transits of the year, and perhaps the most momentous or major transits of 2020, which is. Saturn finally completes its three-year transit through Capricorn and through your 11th house of friendship, and it ingresses into Aquarius for the final time on the 17th of December. Then two days later, Jupiter also moves into Aquarius, and the two form a conjunction in the sky on the 21st of December. Mm -hmm. So Saturn is coming back to where it did its little few-month preview in the spring, which was late March through July 1st. And so this is now, um, for the next about two and a half years, Saturn will be applying its scrutiny, its sort of, you know, impulse for hard work and responsibility and so forth to your 12th house of hidden matters, um, your own subconscious and um, things of that nature, things that you do in private. And Jupiter also will be transiting there. So as we were mentioning earlier, that's a way better combination at the end of the year starting to form instead of just Mars and Saturn, which are more strife. Jupiter is more opportunity. So Jupiter transiting through your 12th, um, let's see, experiences of that. I mean, oftentimes it's more of a hidden influence. You don't actually see it or other people don't see it outwardly in your life. It's more about um, beneficial things coming from retreat, I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, or growth through seclusion could be one. Yeah. Like going off to like an ashram and like meditating or like going off to a library or something. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, definitely. So the 12th house has to do with seclusion of various sorts. And so with Jupiter transiting through there for the next year, that would say you will get benefits in your life through retreat of whatever sort, through taking more time, more alone time for yourself, which, you know, for a lot of people feels hard to do. But this at this point in the year and then going for about a year forward, this will be something that if you do take more time for yourself, you will probably have more inner growth and better you know, benefits for your overall life. And that also will help out the beginning of your Saturn transit or relatively speaking, the beginning of your Saturn transit because this is when it's gonna be in Aquarius for a while now. And so for the first year of that, um, you're getting Jupiter and Saturn there and not just Saturn alone. Saturn alone is more just hard work or responsibility or you know, taking care of this area in a more way that you kind of have to. But Jupiter there joining it for the first year of that transit is bringing more expansion, even though you also have those other things going. Yeah, definitely. Um, it can also be a good time to restructure and deal with or address uh, the sort of like internal or mental health area of one's life mm -hmm. uh, during a heavy 12th house transit and going through a period of introspection and like internal house cleaning, so to speak. Yeah, definitely. And Jupiter will help you do that rather than it just feeling more like something you have to do. Sure, definitely. All right. Um, well, this is taking us to the very end of the transits at the very end of 2020, and we're actually getting ahead of ourselves because we're starting to talk about transits that are going into 2021. Mm -hmm. So we may have to uh, call it a, a night for this forecast and maybe come back again uh, next year for the forecast for 2021 and save save the rest for them. Sounds good. Okay, cool. Well, thanks everybody for joining us tonight, especially in the chat. Those who joined us live for the live stream, I appreciated it and enjoyed some of your comments. Uh, please be sure to like this video, to subscribe to the YouTube channel, and if you're watching the recording, uh, please post a comment below just explaining how some of these transits are working for you so far in your life, like the 8th house Saturn transits over the past couple of years, or how you anticipate some of the transits working coming up in 2020 that we've just been describing. Mm -hmm. Um, just a few things to mention before we wrap up for the night. Uh, most of the artwork in this episode comes from a set of posters that we released as a set this year which display the planetary transits for the entirety of 2020. And it tells you at a glance exactly when certain planets change signs, when they station retrograde or direct, when the lunations like the new moon and full moon and eclipses take place, and so on and so forth. So it's really helpful tools for tracking some of the astrology of 2020. And you can find out more information about that at theastrologypodcast.com slash 2020 posters. Uh, Lisa and I also released a couple of weeks ago our annual 2020 auspicious elections full year ahead electional report, where we went through each of the next 12 months and we picked out uh, a specific date, so one day for each of the next 12 months that had the best astrological or planetary alignments for starting new ventures and undertakings, like starting a new business or getting married or going on a major journey or other things like that. Um, and it was pretty fun to record that because that was like a two-year or two-hour sort of presentation like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you're wanting to plan further ahead in the year uh, for something that you plan to do months ahead of time, this is a great tool for that. We've already looked through the entire year and found the best options for you for it to go well. Right. So you can find out more information about that at chrisbrennanastrologer.com slash 2020elections. And then finally, we also have to do a shout out to all of our patrons who support the production of each episode of the Astrology Podcast through our page on Patreon. Uh, in particular, shout out to patrons Christine Stone, Nate Craddock, and Tanner Robinson, as well as the Astrogold Astrology app available at astrogold.io. 
the Portland School of Astrology at portlandastrology.org, and the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs, available at honeycomb.co. There's two major astrology conferences happening this year. One of them is the International Society for Astrological Research is hosting a conference in Denver, Colorado, September 10th through the 14th of 2020. More information about that at esar2020.org. And then finally, there's also the Northwest Astrological Conference, which is happening in Seattle from May 21st through the 25th. And you can find out more information about that at norwac.net. Uh, to become a patron and get access to early uh, early access to new episodes and other bonus content, go to patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. All right, that's it for this forecast. Uh, we did it. Congratulations to yeah, us. Th- yes. Thank you for carrying me through as I'm like losing my voice towards the end of this, <laughs> the last three episodes uh, installments today. Yeah, quite welcome. Thank you. And uh, thanks, everybody, for your patience this week. This took longer than I expected because initially I was thinking I was going to do maybe like five horoscopes <laughs> a day, and then they turned out to be a little bit longer and more detailed than I anticipated. But I wanted yeah. to make sure each one got a proper treatment. So we did a full hour at least for each one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So if you like this, then let us know in the comments. Thanks, everybody who joined us in the live stream. We appreciate you. And uh, we will good luck in 2020, and we'll see you again next year. Have a great year.